Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. You're looking for the same thing. It's a new thing. Check out this. I bring all the rope below the level because I'm living low next to the base. Come on. Turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal. But now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy can be the friend guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist. Preach the teacher. Oh. Cause they never had this. Number one. Never want to run about the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me. I'm the epitome of public enemy. Used abuse without clues. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on the news. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. Yes, was the start of my last jam. So here it is again. Another death jam. But since I gave you all a little something that I knew you lacked, they still consider me a new jack. All the critics you can hang on my hold the rope. But they hope to the Pope and play it ain't dope. The follow-up Farrakhan. Don't tell me that you understand until you hear the oh, man. Oh, there it goes. You notice how he dropped Farrakhan's name, right? Public Enemy, Chuck D. And that Flavor Flay would love to take that clock around his neck and just strangle the life out of But anyway, remember, ladies and gentlemen, you're joining me right now. And uh, we're going to the break of dawn. Oh, yeah, we're going to the break of dawn. That's right. Right there. Right there, Broadway Billy. Keep public enemy just simmering at that temperature. As we're in with our honed down crew, we have the smallest crew of all. And yet you would say, well, how is it you're number two in the ratings now, Curtis? And number two in sales if you only got the smallest crew. Because we don't need all the frills. This is no frills radio. We can do it with just the basics. We don't need to be filming. We don't even need to do five, seven, eight podcasts and nobody listens to us. Some of my colleagues, right? You go to WABCRadio.com. They spend more time doing podcasts than doing their program. No, 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 no. This is the thing that makes us unique. Live and local radio. There's nothing like it, and only a few can do it. Doesn't mean that my colleagues can't do it, but they haven't mastered it because, let's face it, they listen to another show and they just carbon copy it. It's like a Xerox copy, right? Whatever you heard on the previous show, you hear all over again. No, no, that's not, that's not what I do. 35 years of talk radio. I'll be damned if I'm going to be a carbon copy of the last program you just heard. Although that would be pretty difficult, having listened to Tony Orlando and Dawn, right? But he didn't play Public Enemy. No, no, no. no. That, that, that's not why you listen to Tony Orlando without Dawn. Or before that, Cousin Brucey, a.k.a. Bruce Morrow. Or before that, the Staten Island kid who's trying to become the king of Staten Island in his battle between the old Kaja, old geezer, Frank Morano. 
who's young but acts old. We'll talk about him later on in the show. And then, obviously, Vinny Maduno, who works uh, Port Richmond High School by day, entertains at night, and then goes back-to-back, belly-to-belly with his entertainment extravaganza, 5 to 6 on Saturdays, and then so nice in just a few hours, 5 to 6 on Sundays, before Jersey Joe Piscopo and the Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza put on by Ramsey Monster. Gee, I wonder if their uh, Ramsey Monster is sponsoring... This Broadway show coming up about the life and times of Frank Sinatra, the Hoboken Kid, to be continued. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, it became Jersey Boys. That's exactly what's going to be taking place in the Great White Way down Schubert's Alley. Who knows? Maybe Jersey Joe Piscopo will be featured in that. All I know is Sinatra has a birthday coming up, and as a result of that, They've cleaned out half the studios here at WABC because they're doing a Joe Piscopo WABC tribute. I'll give you more information as it comes to me. And then, of course, there's Dina Martin doing her tribute to Dean Martin. You see, our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, has decided that weekends shouldn't strain your brain. It shouldn't be all politics, all uh, current events, all talk all the time that makes you nauseous, gives you political vertigo. And makes you want to reach for the Advil and Tylenol. Don't do that. Don't mix them. That's a that's a barbiturate in the streets. But you know what I'm getting to. Same old, same old, same old, same old. Or infomercials, which we don't have, thank God, any longer like some of our other competition where if you tune them in, it's one infomercial after another infomercial. And you say, why don't you just call yourself an infomercial station and not a news talk station? We are the number one in the nation. I'd like to pat our colleagues on the back so hard they'll have to go for a chiropractic adjustment, starting with our morning guy. Uh, as of uh, Monday, I believe, it'll be Sid Rosenberg and Friends with the passing of Bernard McGurk, uh, greatest of all time when it comes to combining talk radio host skills and production skills. He's taken an easy pass right through the pearly gates into talk radio heaven, no doubt about that. But WABC continues to put out product that people want to hear, not just throughout our tri-state area, but all across the nation. Right now in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of England, and right on down to Davy Jones's uh, closet, you know, that separates the Bahamas, which has become a sanctuary for the cryptocurrency Ponzi scammers, the Bitcoin bandits, the FTX blockchain criminals, the crooked Bahamian government, and actually, Bermuda, which is where Cousin Brucey had his very first opportunity to uh, to do his uh, radio talk in spinning stacks of wax. Although we heard uh, in one of the many episodes provided to us by our owner-operator, John Casamitidis, that the very first place that Cousin Brucey learned radio wasn't at Madison High School where he went. And remember, also uh, going to Madison High School in Brooklyn was Bernie the Altakaka Sanders. Was also Ishmael uh, Tapats uh, Chucky G. Schumer. Was the uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ginsburg. And then uh, I'm missing one. I'm missing one here. Uh, it'll come to me momentarily. Uh, if anybody out there can give me some of the other infamous. And famous people who graduated from uh, 
Madison High School. I would appreciate that as I'm trying to connect all the dots. My medulla and cerebellum, there's a slight chasm there. I'm trying to sort of get some crazy glue and patch it up so I can take you to the break of dawn. And nobody's going to sleep. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As I continue on with my Quinella, four different programs that I'm hosting over the weekend, which ends up 11 or 12, with the most requested, most phoned in to all of the hours I do at WABC, the acronym standing for Always Broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour. And, oh, boy, we have a lot of animal welfare news. I don't know. We may have to go two hours, maybe three. I mean, it's chock full of animal welfare stories, starting with uh, the swagger man with no plan. We'll call him soccer man for the occasion because he's out there in Qatar raising the roof until the break of dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at a, (laughs) a private club over in Qatar. I don't know how he got into that. They're probably whining and dining him with uh, dinars there with the schmatas on their head. Uh, I'm talking about Eric Adams. We're going to talk about him momentarily. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's still Michigash in the subways, a number of crimes that were committed today, especially up in the Bronx, which is the hot spot of the many hot spots in this very vast system that is our veins and arteries that is clogged with emotionally disturbed persons, homeless people, gangs, and enemies of society. In fact, in two instances, you can check it out in the New York Post, guardian angels were involved in doing interventions and stopping uh, assaults and potentially really serious crimes uh, being committed against some passengers up in the Bronx on two separate occasions just today alone. Oh, yeah, we're going to go into all of that. And the other thing I don't understand, my colleagues, I guess they figure uh, they just got to talk politics uh, 24-7, 365. I'm telling you, yeah, yeah, it makes me nauseous at times. Right? This is entertainment. This is theater of the mind. Have any of our colleagues here, Broadway, Billy, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, talked about the craziness of what's going on in Idaho with the murders of the four students? And the inability of the Keystone cops there in Moscow, no, no, not in Russia, Moscow there, in Idaho to resolve this, including with the FBI that used to stand for forever busting Italians and then in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11, forever busting Islamists, and they don't seem to be able to bust anybody any longer. Man, we're going to talk about that, that's for sure. And we're going to talk about the addiction and gambling Now, they have uh, invaded now that gambling is legally. They have invaded the campuses and universities of America. They're buying out the boards of directors. They're buying out the chancellors. They're beginning to advertise on the campus. Very similar to what happened about 30 years ago when they started giving away free credit cards initially to undergrads so that they would become addicted and that they would blow their limit, and then all of a sudden, double trouble for their mom or dad, uh, double trouble for that student in perpetuity. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But I got to tell you, walking around the streets and passing gin mills today in the rain, you would have thought that somebody had died. Oh, especially young people, young males, young females, half in the bag, Sitting shiver because Team USA lost to the Netherlands in a knockout round. 
Exactly what I had said, right, Broadway Billy? I said, they're not ready for prime time. Well, what, what, what are you? This is not our sport. We cannot, we cannot compete with the best of the world. It's just not in our DNA. And I'm going to lay out for you, and I hope the very last time, they've tried this now three times to brainwash us. That soccer is going to be part of the American sports scene. It's not. It's just not. It's a B-grade sport that, of course, we want to compete. But we're not at the top level. We've never been at the top level. We will never be at the top level. But, oh, eternal hope survives, right? You should have seen here at WABC. We have a number of young men, young women who work here during the day on Saturday. They were all sitting shiver. Oh, they were wrapped up. They were, like, in a uh, fetal position. Oh, Team USA lost to the Netherlands. Three one. Oh, well, what, you're surprised? I mean, even a team that trains... At the coffee shops in Amsterdam and Rotterdam, right? The Dutch do in Holland. What do they do for their training uh, regiment? They smoke ropes of dope. They have hash brownies. They wear wooden shoes. They smell the tulips. And they watch the windmills. That's it. And they whooped us. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I just cannot understand. This has been happening since the 70s. It almost occurs every 25 years. A new wave of interest in soccer here in America. And hope uh, hope burns eternal that all of a sudden we're going to win ourselves a World Cup. Ain't going to happen. It just isn't. Unless we buy out a championship team. A perfect example. Uh, the team that threw the game to the Saudis in the initial round, right? You know they threw it, right? Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. Get out of here, 2-1. Really? They threw the game. They got bribed for billions and billions of dinars by the crown prince, the killer of Khashoggi, who's been giving immunity by the Biden administration now. Oh, uh, it's like uh, Biden is uh, Punch's pilot. He's done no wrong. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, we know he murdered Khashoggi, uh, who had become an American citizen and also was a correspondent for the Washington Post. But you know something? Let bygones be bygones. We need his freaking oil. We really don't, but what the hell? Let's give him immunity from prosecution criminally and civilly, which they did. And then we saw the crown prince sitting up there in the stands holding the hands of the emir of Qatar. A year ago, they were at each other's throats. And then all of a sudden, they're lovey-dovey. I mean, I could have swore they were swapping spit, kissing, although if two guys did that outside the stadium, the um, what they call the police promoting virtue versus vice would have taken them back to the pitch and would have chopped their heads off if they were homosexuals. But they're making homosexual love up there, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, the House of Fraud, 3,000 princes with the fake, phony, fraudulent mustaches and beards, who claim they bow to Mecca and Medina in the sands of Saudi Arabia five times a day. And the moment they come to America to check on all their real estate holdings and their stock portfolios, they're wearing those knockoff Armani suits. They're chasing trim. They're doing cocaine. They're drinking uh, Hennessy and you name it. Any other high-end drink. They're half in the bag. And then all of a sudden they're hedonistic, they're debaucherous. 
they're demonic, and then they go back, they put the shmanta on, and, oh, we're supposed to believe that, you know, they're close to Allah, close to Muhammad. You want to get close to Allah and Muhammad? Just jump on the Paradise Express and zoom yourself on up to Allah's side. That's Saudi Arabia, part of the attack in 9-11. We've given them absolution again and again. So they fixed their match against Messi and Argentina. They made billions of dinars in the fix. Remember? Oh, that's right. Say it ain't so, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Say it ain't so. Black Sox scandal, 1919 World Series. Remember, it was the uh, Chicago White Sox. Foregone conclusion that they would beat the Cincinnati Redlegs. And the match was fixed by, who fixed that match? Which famous New York mobster choking on his lobsters, although I don't know if he was able to eat Trafe, according to his last name, a little hint. Which uh, famous uh, mobster from New York City fixed that World Series and caused eight, eight Chicago White Sox to get banned from baseball by Kennesaw Mountain Landers, the commissioner who did not abide by a court decision that exonerated them. He said, hey, I'm the commissioner. I don't abide by any court. All eight of you are out in perpetuity. You'll never play wiffle ball again. You'll never play softball. You'll never play hardball. You will never, ever enter a stadium again. Gee, isn't that what we told Pete Rose? Pete Rose, one of the best ball players of all time, right? I mean, not born a ball player, had to work hard, oh, banned in perpetuity from Major League Baseball, although we're promoting gambling now. Gambling everywhere, right? Every Major League ballpark. Gambling on the college campus uh, at the stadiums, all the signage. Gambling on every sport in America, including lawn bowling. Yes, that's right, Broadway Bill Lee. They're now taking action on lawn bowling. And because they know Americans... uh, 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 degenerate gamblers. We're going to be talking about that later on. Not just Frank Morano, who's shooting. I think he's shooting craps at the Bordaga, uh, Borda, Borgata again. Man, I almost, uh, cat got, oh, I can't say that. If my wife Nancy's listening, if I say cat got my tongue, I'll never be able to return to the lair with the 18 rescue cats. They'll be eye fornicating me, a mad dog at me and say, what did you say? What? You know, now that, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, all 18 are staring at the terrestrial radio that Nancy is listening to because they hear my voice or they'll hear her voice when she's on the Animal Welfare Hour in just a few hours, 11 to 12, and they pay rapt attention. It's almost like they take notes. What the hell did he say? Cat got his tongue, huh? Huh? It'll be a hell of a price to pay for that. They'll put me in the litter box and say, sorry, the bathroom's not working. Uh, You're a furry today. You'll have to use the litter box, huh? Oh, yeah, Joe Rogan. Remember, you told that tall tale. Oh, you know, a teacher. Uh, I know a teacher. Actually told me that one of her students is forced to eliminate in a litter box. You know, it's a furry. Oh, yeah. Tulsi Gabbard was there. She didn't know what to say. She was smart. She stayed quiet. I knew right away. I said to my wife, he's, that's bull feathers. He's lying. What happened a month later? Oh, big and bad, tough Joe Rogan, right? Hey, get him in the ring with me, right? Tough guy, right? He said, yeah, I made it up. On to the next subject. <laughs> uh, you notice when he does his show, he's smoking robots of dope, right? He could blame it on the THC uh, content in his marijuana. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And let's, let's hear the sound on the pitch. So many young Americans who momentarily have decided that they're soccer fans, watch, right now they'll go back to their normal life and won't even know any of the rules and regulations uh, and the history of soccer. Listen to the call of the victory by the Dutch wearing their wooden shoes, smelling tulips, watching the windmills go while smoking ropes of dope and having hash brownies. Leon, Daily Blint. Gets the cross in, free hit him outside, third goal for the Dutch. Dumfries, assisted the first two, scores the third. Completely wide open. Yeah. He's had a good game on that right-hand side. Has the assist on the first goal for them. In fact, he has two assists on the day and now adds a goal to his tally. Can he get around the outside on Blint? Yes, he can. Lifting in the cross. Morris was in there, couldn't get contact. Coop Miners held in by Aronson. Reina's header into the middle. Moves the blocks. Dutch had that clinical finishing edge. Oh, enough of this crap. Get rid of this. I didn't like it the first time, and I hate it the second time. The only thing I liked about it is the Dutch knocked us out of competition. So once again, I'm reading all of these tributes. I'm reading this one by Mike Lupica. Oh, Mike Lupica, the New York Daily News. Excellent sports writer. He sucks, though, when he's on the radio and TV. I mean, let's face it, he's horrible. Although I've told this story many times, there was that moment in the history of WABC before it was saved by John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis of our parent company, Red Apple Media, where there was paperwork on the desk of Chad Lopez. At that time, he was the company tutti of Cubulus running our local WABC uh, affiliate. And it was a contract to have Mike Lupica do the mid-morning radio show replacing Geraldo from 10 to 12. And it was the choice of Don Imus, a despicable human being, if ever there was. Don Imus decided he wanted Mike Lupica, his friend, to do it in Mike Lupica's basement in New Canaan in his mansion and never come to the studio. I said, what? This place is going to be a ghost town. I'll be the only one doing a show on the 17th floor, Tupin Plaza, at the old WABC. So I bum-rushed in the office of Chad Lopez. I said, you cannot sign this. This will be the death warrant of WABC. First off, since when is Don Imus on his high horse? What the hell does that mean? Oh, what do you think you're on, your high horse? I still don't have a definition. What does it mean when you say Come down off of your high horse. What the hell does that mean? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Come down off your high horse, Don Imus. 1-800-848-9222. They were going to let him determine who it was that was going to follow his program. That's crazy. And so with me, it's always high noon. You know, uh, you talk, I am the ultimate risk taker. I said, look, I'd rather get fired than to allow this, which will just sink the good ship, WABC. And if they had done that, if Chad Lopez had signed that contract, instead of bringing in Sid Rosenberg from down in Florida where he was in exile and joining him with Bernard McGurk, who wanted Sid to be with him, to finally have a chance to do their own show together, that would have been it. That would have been the destruction of WABC. In fact, it might have occurred so quickly that there wouldn't have been enough for John and Margot to put back together with Crazy Glue. I'm telling you, it's that bad.
So I just bum-rushed into Chad's law office. I said, you cannot sign that. Mike Lupica is not a talk show host. I've heard him on ESPN. He sucks. I saw him on that morning ESPN show, right, on TV. He sucks. Uh, as a writer, he's great. You can't do this. Thank God Chad said, you're right. We're going to unite Sid Rosenberg. We're bringing him back from Florida where he's been exiled into a closet for 10 years. Hey, let's face it. He was a hot mess for a long time. I get it. And it's Bernard's wish that he would do a show with Sid Rosenberg. And voila, it happened. But boy, we were within minutes watching the cumulus executives People of no consequence who didn't listen to talk radio. They had no idea what good talk radio is. Their idea of talk radio is Muzak. You know, when you get in an elevator, oh, that's good. Maybe we'll replace WABC. We'll just play Muzak. You think we can sell any advertisements on Muzak? They, they would have done it. And we snatched uh, victory out of the jaws of would have been total destruction. And I'm glad to say that I assisted in that and put everything on the line because I could have been fired. Wouldn't have been the first time, won't be the last time. But I'll be damned if I'm going to watch people purposely destroy the most iconic station in America that's ever been created, WABC, the iconic call letters. When we come back, I've got to read to you some of Mike Lupica's column today in which he was saying, oh, we might have lost... But a new era dawns for men's soccer in America. Hey, Mike, I read that from you in 2002. You wrote the same damn thing. And you wrote that in the 70s when the New York Cosmos were around. You know, we had Pele. We had Beckenbauer from Germany, the sweeper. We had the uh, Italian striker, right? Coniglia, Coniglia, Coniglia. <laughs> And we had Shep Messing. Remember Shep Messing? He had that Jew fro, Jewish kid. Born in the Bronx, if I remember correctly. Went to NYU, became a violet, just like Frank Morano, and then went to uh, graduate school at Harvard and was the goalie. Canaglia, Beckenbauer, and Pele. Pele, who's in Sao Paulo, I have no idea why he's staying there. Serious form, I believe, of liver cancer. Man, can we medevac him to Miami or New York uh, or a much better hospital? I've been in hospitals uh, in Rio de Janeiro. He needs to be in Miami or New York getting care. 1-800-848-9222. All night long, this is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. I'm wishing on a star. Yeah, you're going to win World Cup here in America. Sure you are. Wishing on a star, right? Why don't you get onto a dromedary camel in Qatar or a two-hump camel and go chasing the Milky Way or the Little Milky Way. Oh, look at this, Mike Lupica. He fawns over the American team. By the way, couldn't score a goal if their life depended on it, right? And he says, oh, let me tell you, we were led by a kid from Hershey, Pennsylvania. 
Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hershey, that's known for chocolate. It's not known for football, the real football that's spelled, you know. Wait a second, how do you spell real football? Uh, oh, man, this is embarrassing. F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L. Not with a U. Not that fake, phony, fraudulent football. Kickball, kickball, goal. No, 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 no. To go wishing on a star here. Oh, oh, so on this day, when we felt for the first time in a long time about men's soccer, the way the rest of the countries feel about it, the young American team didn't go ahead, won nothing. And right before they were 10 minutes into the match, they could have put the U.S. into the quarterfinals. What drugs was Mike Lupica doing? For the first time in 20 years, a star of the Dutch team, a legendary player named Memphis Depay. What kind of a guy would be named Memphis who's in Holland? He must have been smoking a lot of Maui Waui and Hindu Kush. I've been to, I've been to Amsterdam. Ain't nobody in Amsterdam named Memphis. Oh, God, you would have thought, oh, we were deprived. That's their sport. It's not our sport. It's not in our DNA. You know, they said the same thing in 2002. The Germans beat us in the quarterfinals. I think it was one nothing. They would say, oh, you will see. We will win a World Cup, Marquanamai. By the way, Italy is not even in the World Cup. Right, the Italians. Kickball, kickball. Never tell you that story. Of course I did, but I'm going to repeat it. It was 1994. I was on the roof of the Gorbachev Hotel in Moscow with Guardian Angels from uh, what was then East Berlin and West Berlin. We were there at the invitation of the crooked Mayor Lushkov to deal with crime in the outer parts of Moscow. And they put us up at the Hotel Gorbachev. Nobody was there. Nobody. No electricity, no plumbing, except for some crazy Italian engineers on the top floor who had some kind of job in the outskirts of Moscow. Oh, but it was World Cup. It was the final game between the Italians and the Brazilians, right? The way it should be, the best in the world. And we're watching it, and, you know, I'm bored, but, hey, it's a close game, and it ends up in a shootout. The Brazilians win, the Italians lose, and one of the Italian engineers jumps off the freaking roof, goes right down, splat. And I said to myself, look, I love American Smash My Football. I love baseball, although it's no longer the national pastime here because it's boring and too predictable. And I love NBA basketball. But you know something? If my team would lose, you think I'm jumping off a roof? And taking my life, these crazy Italians, oh, they're crying. Oh, my God. Mario, Mario, Mario. I said, hey, Mario's muerte. He's dead. For, for stupid soccer that isn't even our sport. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, that's right. I asked a trivia question. I forgot all about that. Let's go to William calling all the way from the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, where they decided they wanted Fetterman instead of Dr. Oz. Uh, Your turn to be heard, William. Good morning, Curtis. A little while ago, you asked about the mobster who fixed the 1919 World Series. And I think that was Alf Rothstein. 
That's right, and he was from New York. Yes. That's right, and he was hooked up. Uh, eventually, he became the mentor for Meyer Lansky, Bugsy, Bugs Siegel, and a whole host of Jewish mobsters who worked with Italians and then just controlled the docks, controlled gambling, controlled vice, controlled all of New York City. Well, nice to talk to you again. Well, hold on. Hold your horses. And by the way, where did that term ever come about? Hold your horses, right? I think it goes back to when uh, uh, around the time of carriages in New York City. Yeah, yeah, but hold on. You think. I'm not asking you to think. I want to know empirically. Or is that uh, imperiali? I want to know for sure how they came up with that phrase. Just like get off your high horse, hold your horses. Where did these phrases come from? You're not, well, a, you're not a help here. Stay on the line, William. Uh, by the way, Avery, let's make sure we hook up William, Mr. Fetterman there, versus Oz in Pennsylvania with a, a Curtis Lee will booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. At least I throw nickels around Frank Morano. He's got alligator arms in the worst side of the other side of midnight. We are the best side of the other side of midnight. We are now into Sunday morning, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, 12 midnight to 6 a.m., and we will take you to the break of dawn, and nobody goes to sleep. So, Avery, make sure William gets that booby prize. I understand that uh, (laughs) I have uh, given away a lot of booby prizes, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, so much so that we have no more stock, (laughs) and it may not be coming in. Uh, if there's a railroad strike, oh, there won't be a railroad strike. Ah, uh, Or if the Red Chinese uh, tie up a series of their ships outside of Shanghai. Oh, but it's such, such a good booby prize. It's a WABC baseball cap. And because William won it on the best side of the other side of midnight, it will have a patch, the Curtis Sliwa Show. Now, let's face it. You can be rough and tough with that patch on. Can you imagine you're in the hood? Guys have surrounded you. They got nine millimeters to your head. They look at your hat. They see WABC. Okay. They have somewhat of a recognition of that, the historical nature of the iconic call letters. But they see the worst side of the other side of Midnight, Frank Morano, and they say, hey, we can pimp slap this guy. He'll give us everything. When they see the Curtis Lee with the better side of the best side of Midnight, no, 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 no. no. They're not going to mess with you. So it has duality, duality. Let's go to Teresa, who is calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Teresa. Good morning, Curtis. Um, thank you for your hard work and your wife, Nancy, also. All right. Um, I come, uh, my goodness, five brothers and one sister. All five brothers played soccer starting in the 70s before it was popular in America. My sister also played. My brother Damien reached semi-pro status. He passed away in 2014 at the age of 54. He was a miracle. Okay. Whether the American team won or not, my brother Damien. Do I need a Wikipedia here? I got to hear about her whole family, right? 
Her whole family got hoodwinked into playing soccer, including her sister. And what happened? Let me tell you something. I remember 1971. How many of you, Studio 54? They parted like the Red Sea for Pele, Canaglia, Franz Beckenbauer. And, of course, Shep Messing. What was I, like Mo, Larry, and Curly, Shep? Who was Shep of Mo, Larry, and Curly? Which one was Shep? one 800 Oh, this was going to start the soccer craze. They started indoctrinating and brainwashing that generation, mandatory. You had to play soccer in grade school, junior high school, high school, and college. You know, this way everybody uh, participated. There were no no losers and there were no winners. You know, everyone was a participant. Just like my son now, Hunter, he's 11 years old. He's a goalie of his local team in Forest Hills, and he loses. Every game he loses, and they give him a freaking trophy. I want to take that trophy, and I want to destroy it. I want to melt it down. The hell, you give trophies to winners. Who gave you that trophy? Oh, my coach. Why did he give you a trophy? Uh, you're a loser. Oh, no, no, no. Our coach said that, you know, we tried our best, and uh, it's a participatory trophy. Did you ever hear anything like that before in your life, Broadway, Billy? A participatory trophy. What figure would be on a participatory uh, trophy? Would it be Mercury? Would it be Athens? Which Greek god or goddess would want to be on a participatory trophy? What does it mean, a participatory trophy? That you inhale and you exhale and that you still have a heartbeat? Oh, I got a 20 on my test. Do I get a trophy? No, you fail. We are leaving you back. No, you can't do that. You'll affect that kid's self-esteem. We're gonna give we're gonna give that young man a participatory a participatory <laughs> certificate of graduation. Thank you for participating. Even though you're a loser, you failed. Madonna my Let's go to Tommy and Forrest. Still's your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Yeah, last Sunday night I called in and you were talking about the um, Harry Houdini where he was interned. And I told a call screener that I'm Tommy from Forest Hills and he actually went ahead and told you that I said that Houdini was buried in Forest Hills, which is not, it's a misquote. I said he was buried in Cypress Hill Cemetery. It's right between East New York and uh, Liberty Park in Glendale, actually. It's right by the Interborough Parkway. Did I say that last week? Right before, uh, right behind Franklin K. Lane High School, right? Cityline Avenue, right? Franklin K. Lane. Fun kicks, laughs, and no education. Are these Frank Morano listeners? I mean, he, meant, he didn't mention you, Avery. Our telephone talent coordinator, he mentioned that Stunard 10, the runway model. The one that Frank Morano is infatuated with. You know, some guys, they cheat on their wives. They have gumadas, but Broadway Bill Lee, it's generally with another woman. This might be one of those times where Frank, you know, it usually happens once you have your first kid. You know, you, it's, it's not the same like before you have the kid. You're not like two uh, bunny rabbits. You don't, no, he's not. Well, Ken is a runway model. 
I don't know. Frank always makes excuses for this guy. He's he's having a conversation with Tommy and Forrest Hills, right, about Harry Houdini. And he tells he tells this guy to call and tell Curtis. I already said that. Can we fire? Can we fire uh, Ken? Just for being a student, I'll go to HR and say, look, I want Ken fired because he is a freaking student. Although I don't want to see a grown man like Frank Morano cry. Who would he cry more over? Losing um, his uh, 1970 yellow Vega that is a fire trap. I mean, it really is. Where the dash, the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, 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 do we, where do I find, where do we find these people? I thought I thought there's a lack of there's there's so many people looking for work, right? Am I right about that, Broadway Billy? A lot of why did we end up with Ken? I I need we need to research this relationship between Frank uh, the Mameluke uh, Morano and uh, Ken the uh, runway model. Might be. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm not passing judgment. I'm not necessarily a saint myself, right? At least I wasn't a saint years ago. And I wonder. I wonder why we keep. Maybe Avery later on in the show can uh, comment because sometimes he's on loan to the Frank Morano show as the telephone talent coordinator because the runway model can gets lost coming in from eastern Pennsylvania. Twice a week, he goes over the bridge into Phillipsburg in Jersey and somehow can't make it here to New York City. Twice every week. Poor Avery gets uh, the bat signal from Frank Frank. Frank goes, Avery, even though I make fun of you, I cast aspersions against you, I need you as my telephone talent coordinator. And whoever made up that name, telephone talent coordinator, it used to be you were a phone screener. Does that make you feel better, Avery? The fact that they call you a telephone talent coordinator, does that help your self-esteem instead of a freaking phone screener? (laughs) What are we doing? My kid gets a trophy. They lost every game. Oh, it's a participatory trophy. Kid, you like soccer? Oh, I love soccer, Daddy. You like being a loser? I'm not a loser. Look, I got a trophy. (laughs) Yeah, sure you did. Oh, my God. You get fired from your job. What, did they give you a trophy for trying? Man. Let's go to Denzel. Is this Denzel Washington from Mount Vernon or Fordham University? Is this Denzel? Yeah, this is Denzel, not Denzel. Hey, Kurt, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing because I know how you're doing. You've had better days. Damn right. Listen, man. Damn right. Okay, let me, let, let me say this to you here, okay? This is from my heart. You ain't never met nobody like me. But I'm going to tell you this. I love you, brother. I love you. Hold on a second. Okay? Uh, let, me, let me be very specific. It's platonic yeah. love because I don't go that way. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. You just like me, man. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't want to clarify cool. that. I don't want to give people a misconception here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But but this is genuine, okay? Oh, okay. I, okay. I, thought, right. I thought you knew something about tone. Oh, okay. Okay, very good. I'm into tone. Okay, very tone. Good. Okay. Yeah, tone tells you a lot about a person. And um, 
you, you know, you're a beautiful guy. All the way around, man. Hold on smart. a second. Now you're yeah, calling me a beautiful yeah, guy. Yeah, Are you coming yeah, on yeah, to I, me? I, I'm calling you. Okay, I want to tell you how to how to win more people. Oh, oh okay. okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, uh-huh, more people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I hear you talk about your son, okay, and playing soccer. You say, you say to him, do you want to be a loser? And he said, Dad, I'm not a loser. He's right. It tells you something about his spirit. He doesn't think of himself as a loser. First of all, this guy is flirting with me. He comes on to me, right? I know. Right? Let's face it. He said, I love you. I said, I don't go that way. Then he says, you're beautiful. Hey, that ain't me. Now he's going to tell me how to raise my freaking son? You know, there's a lot of kids out there who need adoption. You know, they're in foundling hospitals. They really need to have a father or mother. Why don't you go out there and have your own kid, huh? And you know what it feels like when your son tells you, I haven't won a game playing soccer as a goalie, and I'm supposed to, well, you know, just keep trying. How about try a different sport, huh? How about try a different sport? Or don't do any sports. Most kids, they never play sports. When I went to school, most kids didn't play sports. It's a jock culture. Do something else. Don't go out on the pitch and every game lose. But I get a participatory trophy at the end of the season. Manajina. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Now, what was that I heard, uh commercial for Tony Orlando Without Dawn, tie a yellow ribbon around the old Christmas tree. I thought it was the oak tree. Did he ask permission of Santa Claus that he can do that? My God. Creative license. Uh, J-Lo. Jenny from the block. Grew up in Castle Hill. Went to Preston High School in the neck. Legitimately Bronx, unlike AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors. But boy, the diva of all divas. I mean, should be a competition between Mariah Carey and Jennifer Lopez to see who's more of a diva. Anyway, let's go to Robert, who's calling from Suffolk. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hi, Curtis. Hey, did you ever see it rain cats and dogs? Now, there's another statement I can never quite figure out. What the hell does that mean? It's raining cats and dogs. I can't either. Have you ever seen it rain cats and dogs, Robert? I certainly haven't. Uh, I thought it was close when it was Superstorm Sandy. Yeah, that was a biggie. And, you know, we're going to get another biggie, not a biggie smalls, another Superstorm Sandy, no doubt about that. But all these statements, get off your high horse, <laughs> right? Raining cats yep. and dogs. Hold your horses. Uh, people just keep repeating that. And then I ask them, well, what does that mean? And they look at me with this vapid expression like, well, I don't know. We've always said that. Well, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't you ever want to 
explore why you say what you say or just a parrot and you repeat it? Do you understand any of that, Robert? Hold your horses, get off your high horse, it's raining cats and dogs. I, I remember the song, It's Raining Men, but I never heard a song, It's Raining Cats and Dogs. That's right, right. How about the cat's meow? I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, the cat. Well, that that you can pretty much figure out. I, I Look, I got the 18 rescue cats in our lair, and there's always one who's meowing. And I'll ask Nancy. I can't determine who it is. And Nancy knows right away by their meow. Oh, that's Ajax. Oh, that's Apollo. Why are they meowing? And then she, she she's like a cat shrink. She tells me psychologically what's going on with the cats that would make them meow. Oh, yeah. Why do you think cats meow? I mean, why? Why, Robert? What, what do you think? I mean, really, I'm very interested. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. way of talking with us. Oh, so they're talking to you or are they talking to me? Oh, oh they talk to humans that way. No, no, they you see, I, I tell my cats, I say, yo, you talking to me? You talking <laughs> to me? Apollo, you talking to me, Ajax? You talking to me? And then they run away in the closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, look, I act out. Uh, that's Curtis Lee with 24-7-365. What you get on the radio, you get in real life. You get in the streets. You get in the subways. You get in the parks. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the Michigash in the subways. While the cat's away, a.k.a. the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams. The craziness of the crazies continues on the subways. And I'll give you some first-hand information of what I experienced just within 24 hours. And it's getting a hell of a lot worse. And it doesn't appear like it's going to be getting better soon. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. No sleep till. All about crime. It's all about crime. The crimes taking place there in the streets, the parks, and the subways are off the hook. But let me take you up to where Harlem meets Washington Heights. It's called Hamilton Heights. It's an upscale way of saying, man, that's crime central there. Lower that music, please, because we have gone from Crooklyn, a.k.a. Brooklyn, 
to where Harlem kisses Washington Heights, that's Hamilton Heights. A guy has just sent me over a video because we're all over the crime here, Guardian Angels. We, we have to be because Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, call him soccer man with no plan, has decided to stay in Qatar one more day to learn about security. Hey, Eric, when you get back, maybe you, whatever you learn there from the Qatarians, you might apply here. So they send me this video, <laughs> these bodega guys in Washington Heights. It's all in Spanish. I have no idea what the hell it is. And I get someone to translate it, a guardian angel, and they say, help, help. I'm looking at a video, and there's this guy. He's got the black hoodie on. He walks up to a guy who's walking ahead of him. They're two Hispanics, probably Dominicans because of the area. He pulls out a baseball bat that's stuffed down the trousers of his jeans. It's a big red baseball bat. He clocks the guy. This is in broad daylight. This is on Major Avenue, Broadway. Clips him right there. He goes down and he comes back and he like is clipping him over and over. And so in Spanish, I'm getting the translation here from one of my guardian angels. Help! Help! We can't get anybody from the 3-4 precinct or the 3-3 precinct, which are the two precincts that cover Washington Heights. I mean, it's that kind of brazen, nonstop crime that doesn't just take place at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's taking place at 3 in the afternoon with crowds and crowds of people. And about the only response most time uh, from people, especially guys who consider themselves men, you know, macho, maniacal guys, they're spending time in the gymnasiums pumping iron. They got a muscle between both ears. But they're not getting involved in helping victims. No, they lost their manhood. Look down your trousers, and most guys now, they got no huevos. They got no culions. They got cocktail onions. And what they like to do is whip out their iPhone, their smartphone, and film it so it's live at five. But God forbid they intervene. God forbid they intervene. And it brings us to our story here because this mayor just does not get it. We are now approaching the first anniversary, January 1st, when he was sworn into office after beating me in the general election. And you may have remembered on that very first day, after the ball dropped in Times Square and he dedicated his mayoralty to his mother, who is no longer with us, he woke up in the morning at his basement apartment, the one of the few times that he actually stayed there. He owns the whole building on Lafayette uh, Avenue, Bed-Stuy, do or die. By the way, a little side note, uh, Broadway Billy, he's been hit with citations from the Department of Buildings. That that basement, you know, remember that he did that press conference in to basically say, I live here, I don't live over there in Fort Lee in apartment 22H, like what Curtis is saying, is rat-infested. Rat-infested. I wonder why he hates rats. And wants a rat czar. And yesterday... Uh, people were calling up and defending the fact that he loves to give people a second chance. Uh, this is his whole mantra. If you've been in trouble, I, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan now, soccer man with no plan, will give you a second opportunity to do good. And apparently, I kid you not, the city of New York is negotiating with Sammy the Bull Cravano, former underboss of the Gambino crime family, the guy who ate the Parmesan cheese and ratted out John Gotti Sr., uh, so that John Gotti Sr. got a sentence of triple life without parole, then dropped dead of lung cancer, uh, actually throat cancer, 
uh, when they shipped him to Springfield, uh, Missouri, which is the federal prison there that actually does operations. And when I got the news, man, I was dancing the Tarantella. I got to tell you, I was partying, raising the roof. And he went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. But Sammy the Bull Gravano, they are considering hiring as the czar, the rat czar. And he will be paid anywhere from 120000 to 170000 with the prerequisite that because he clipped at least 12 people, maybe more, he's a good exterminator. These people are out of their minds. I actually took a resume from Sammy the Bull Gravano, and he wrote down, what are your qualifications? Well, you know I killed 12 people, maybe more. You know, it's a hell of a lot more difficult killing people than it is killing rats. And they're considering him. With the caveat that, as you know, the Eric Adams administration always believes in giving people a second opportunity in life. I would suggest that that would not be a good hire. And by the way, we don't have any money. There's been a freeze in hirings of municipal workers. What the hell do we need a rat czar for? Never needed a... Oh, that's right. We did have a rat czar when my kumbadichi, Rudy Giuliani, was mayor. Uh, he assigned that to his deputy mayor, a person of no consequence, Joe Loda. Oh, man, I really hate that guy, Joe Loda. Oh, he is a... He is a miserable. But anyway, you caused me to digress. So let's get to the number one problem, which of late has been the subways. And the mayor has claimed that the reason that he is spending until Sunday night in Qatar is to learn about security and to learn how to basically bring buses from the point of entry to the point of exit, as will have to take place when we co-host the World Cup which will be played not in City Field in Flushing, will not be played at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, will be played in East Rutherford, a.k.a. Secaucus, at the MetLife Stadium. Now, what the hell we have to do with that, I have no idea. But he's claiming, you know, some people are going to be staying in the city and they're going to need to take buses and go through the Holland and Lincoln Tunnel and over the George Washington Bridge, and we have to make sure that they are safe and secure. And so you go to Qatar for that? You could have just stayed here. Rudy Giuliani, he had prepared the Qatarians for the Southeast, Southeastern, as they called it, Asian Games a few years ago. His, his business, as they call it, his law firm before they defrocked him and took his law license, and his security company. They actually had gone over to Qatar and trained them in security. So Eric Adams could have spared us all paying uh, enormous amounts of money to transport him and his entourage, if he would just finally take up on the offer and the shidduch being done by our morning guy, Sid Rosenberg, who is trying to get, he says on December 4th, a dinner, that Eric Adams will be there, Rudy Giuliani will be there, and Sid uh, Rosenberg will moderate that. I really don't think that's going to happen. And I must be perfectly honest with you, uh, Broadway Bill Lee and... uh, uh, phone screener. That's what I'm going to be calling you, Avery. I, mean, I hate this term, telephone talent coordinator. Whoever created that? It's multisyllabic. It uh, makes no sense. You're the phone screener and the nighttime producer. And I'm going to do everything that I can to sabotage that. I'll be perfectly honest. I am lobbying Rudy morning, noon, and I don't take the meeting. And I had a caveat because 
on Friday night when I was at the Marriott Hotel, the main ballroom for the annual dinner, to honor many who have benefited from the Tunnel to Tower Foundation. Great charity. These are men and women who have served our country in different capacities who are injured in the line of duty. Tunnel to Tower will come in and build them a new home from spec, and they won't ever have to worry about paying a mortgage. Great organization. They honored our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis of our parent company, Red Apple Media. It was just a great night. I sat on one side of Rudy Giuliani. Sid sat on the other side. We were like Heckle and Jekyll, pestering him, lobbying him. Sid, you got to have the dinner on December 14th. And I was saying, no, you don't. And finally, I agreed to capitulate if Eric Adams will apologize to Rudy Giuliani for calling him a racist. I think that could be done. I think Sid, now that he is a newfound friend of Eric Adams, can have Eric Adams on. Eric Adams can say, let bygones be bygones. Uh, I was a bit harsh. Uh, At a moment of anger, I called Rudy Giuliani a racist. I apologize. Let's let's have the sit-down and figure out what's best for the city, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? And he apologized. Now, I don't, he doesn't have to apologize to me. He called me a racist, a sexist, a misogynist, a homophobe. Uh, oh, yeah, a xenophobe. Uh, every phobe imaginable, Eric Adams called me in the race. But this is not about me. It's about Rudy. I think that's a fair compromise. And then I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll MYOB, mind my own business. I will no longer lobby Rudy Giuliani not to have a sit-down. So in the last 24 hours, Eric Adams had met with the coach of Team USA before the match, and what happened? They lost. Remember, he had predicted that the Mets would sweep into the World Series, and they got blown out by the San Diego Padres. Uh, we'll be talking about the stupid New York Met owner Steve Cohen letting Jacob DeGrom go to Texas, the Rangers, for close to $200 million. DeGrom, right? It's like DeGrom, Sandy Koufax, right? Tom Seaver, you know, you let him go. How stupid was that? That would almost be as stupid as the Yankees letting Aaron Judge go, which might happen. We'll talk about that later on. It'll be a Curtis Lee with Super Sports Spectacular. Before Eric Adams, the swagger man, no make that the soccer man left, and he's acknowledged he knows Jack Diddley squat nothing about soccer. To his credit, he said, I really don't know anything about soccer. I'm there to learn about security, my quantum mind. He visited the boys and girls high school football team at Atlantic Avenue, which is undefeated. No, actually, I think they lost one game. Avery, our phone screener, could you check that, Boys and Girls High School? They're on their way to compete maybe in the quarterfinals, semifinals, maybe even the championship game of the public school athletically. Uh, and Eric Adams visited them on their field at Atlantic Avenue in the shadow of the Long Island Railroad, which is the L there. And he predicted that they would win the PSAL championship. That's a curse. That ain't happening. If I were the kangaroos, that's their nickname, I would have hopped the hell out of there. Say, please, do us a favor. Don't wish us luck like we're going to win the PSAL championship. I think they lost one game. I'm not sure. Look, I don't want to take that one game from them if they're undefeated. But it's normally teams on Staten Island that win because they cheat. You know how they cheat? You're only supposed to play... uh, 
practice football one time a year before the season starts. You know, at the end of summer, you go right into the beginning of fall, and then your season begins, and then you play like 12 games, if you're lucky, if you get into the playoffs. Staten Island, man, they play football year-round, right? They're in the gym, man, they're working out. In spring, they're not playing baseball. A lot of times we used to play football, and then in spring you play baseball, right? They tell you that. No, they're working out, they're throwing the football, they're simulating games. They got great teams out there. There's Susan E. Wagner. Don't call it Susan Wagner. Curtis High School on the Hill, named after me. New Drop, a.k.a. New Dorp. Oh, of course, Tottenville, uh, the Purple Pirates. That's where Frank Morano went to have Mama Luke. And then, of course, there's uh, Monsignor Farrell, the CHSL, Catholic High School League. They were the powerhouse. St. Joseph by the Sea, do they even have football now? What do they do, play cricket out there, lawn Lawn bowling, I don't know. St. Peter's, uh, look, they got some great football teams out there. I, I got crushed a few times out there. And I'm telling you, they cheat because they play spring and end of uh, summer in preparation for the PSAL and the CHSL season. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'll be giving you a crime blotter update of what it was like in the subways, especially the Bronx, uh, earlier, uh, to actually on uh, Saturday. The Guardian Angels were involved in two of the three incidences involving EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons. You'd actually read it in the New York Post. It's online. And the other story that I'll be talking about, an employee of Bloomingdale's going home at about 10 o'clock at night on uh, Thursday night. Don't make that Friday night. Got attacked, he broke his nose, he got seven stitches, and once again, it was an emotionally disturbed person, and you know what happened? The uh, train left 125th Street heading up to the Bronx. This guy just goes off on this guy, beats the hell out of him, breaks his schnoz, seven stitches. The guy runs up to another car, seeks sanctuary. The emotionally disturbed guy didn't even move. So there happened to be uh, cops uh, on the platform at Hunts Point, They were waved on by the conductor. They walk with the victim back to where the emotionally disturbed person is sitting. And they say, sir, did you punch this guy in the face? He looks at the guy and he goes, yeah, what up? What up? The brazenness. I'd have taken that night. Oh, they don't have nightsticks anymore. I'd have wrapped that nightstick right around it. You want to know what's up? I'll show you what's up. I'm going to drop you right here. No respect. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John, who's been patiently waiting on in Freehold, New Jersey, where Bruce Springsteen was birthed. They said he was a working-class youth. Those days are so far behind, he wouldn't know what working-class is any longer. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, John. Hey, Curtis. Um, A few... uh... Um, when was it? I think uh, Thursday night when you were taking over for Frank, uh, you were talking about finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Yeah, that's another and, phrase um, that we repeat constantly, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, especially when I just stole something out of your uh, athletic bag and I claimed, well, you know, you left your bag there, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Who created that and what the hell does that mean? They, it's from uh, it's an old English proverb, but 
it actually dates back to 200 BC. A playwright in Roman times called uh, Platius, I think that's how you say it. That's did you say, uh, excuse me, did you say platypus? What was that? <laughs> I think Platus, Platius. Uh, no, no, wait, wait. How do I know what you're saying is correct? You seem to be struggling with the name. Admit it, you don't know. You don't know how to pronounce this Roman this Roman guy's name, right? I do not. Okay. So you're, it's like you came with half a donut instead of a whole donut. You only have half the story. You're not really sure about the other part of the story because you, you don't even know for sure if this is the guy. Well, no, they say that's the first document documented time that they see it now it's it's bc it's before christ why should i recognize anything before christ i was birthed a roman catholic right roman catholics believe nothing happened until jesus christ was born then the world started right yeah but uh also uh because your dad worked in maritime finders keepers losers weepers is actually the most common, uh, it's said mostly on the waters because it's all for the people who always find shipwrecks and stuff. And most people, like the most times it's used is on sea. thought you'd like that one. Uh, I really don't like that one, John. You know, you're struggling here. You're really struggling. You come in, you come in here, it's like uh, I, I asked for a, pie, for a lemon meringue slice of pie and you took the meringue and all I am end up with is the lemon, you know, if I ask for lemon meringue pie, I don't just want the lemon. I want the meringue, which is the most difficult thing to make in a lemon meringue pie. You get you get what my drift is, John? Yeah, I mean, I've been up with you till the break of dawn since uh, you took over for Frank. I'm tired. No, no, no. I work during the day. And no, 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 John. John, you cannot go to sleep now. I mean, you you, got to go out, get a prescription of Adderall, which is uh, legal uh, amphetamines. You got to drink a case of Red Bull. You got to open up the windows, take all your clothes off, put the air conditioner on. You cannot go to sleep, John. Under any circumstance. Remember, for a talk radio show host, that is the worst thing that can happen to them. It's like the next step is I'm going to have to get a job hanging wallpaper. And then I just got to leave you with one more thing, Curtis. I don't know if you heard what happened in Poland today. Now. The lady, the lady with the ice recipe died. With, with what recipe? The lady with the ice recipe died. And they're going into a panic. Now, hold on a second. The woman with the ice recipe, I-C-E? Yeah. You're trying to be funny, huh? Hey, John, you try. Hey, man, hold on, hold on, John, John. You're trying to make a Polish joke, right? You know I'm half Polish, John. You know I take umbrage to that, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're trying, you're trying to make a Polish joke. You know I ought to come over there and punch your schnoz right down your throat, huh, John? I love you, Curtis. Happy holidays, man. Happy holidays. You notice how he tried to slip me a Mickey there? By the way, what does that term mean? Oh, I'm going to slip you a Mickey. Doesn't sound good to me. What do you think, Broadway Billy? I'm going to slip you a Mickey. What does that mean? It has nothing to do with Mickey Mouse or Mickey Mantle, I'll tell you that much. 
You know, if you don't watch it, I'm going to slip you a Mickey. What does that mean, Avery, our phone screener and nighttime producer? I'm going to slip you a Mickey. What the hell does that? People say that all the time. And when I stop them and I say, you know, what does that really mean? And they look at me like, well, of course, you know what it means. I said, no, that's why I want you to tell me what it means. And all of a sudden, they don't know. They just know they've been saying it since they was a little kid. I need for somebody out there to, uh, <clears throat> what can we call it, enlighten me as to what slip you a Mickey means. Somehow, I feel that it might be pejorative to a particular ethnic group. Could I be correct on that? I don't know. Maybe uh, the people who kiss Blarney Stones and run around with shillelies and, you know, love shamrock tattoos. Hey! Could I possibly? Am I close? Am I close? Uh huh. I think I am. Could it be Dublin? Could it be uh, Finlock, Coolock, Valley Fremont? Or could it be Belfast in Northern Ireland? Inquiring minds want to know. I need to know which side of the green I'm on. 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Oh, we got a whole board full of calls who think they know the trivia questions that I... I forgot the trivia question that I threw out. I, I forgot all about them. But apparently there are people, they've written it down meticulously, printed it out, block printing, and they're not going to let me escape. Gee, I thought I could slip them a Mickey, get it? I still don't understand what that means. I think I'm using it in the wrong means. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Steve, who's calling all the way from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, I tell you what, uh, you sound marvelous, simply marvelous. Enjoying it tonight. Enjoy it all the time. Anyway, uh, you're talking about that James Madison High School, and uh, you've mentioned this in the past, I believe, Uh, Senator uh, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. Correct, that's one. Tommy Bernie Sanders. That's two. Judy Shindlin, uh Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and the Senator Norm Coleman. They graduated from uh, Madison. That is true. Cousin of our own Sid Rosenberg, Norm Coleman. I have, a, I have a few other answers. Uh, hold your horses has to do with uh, be patient and slow down. And it has to do with uh, actually transportation with horses. No, 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 hold on, Shay. You're, you're fading here. You must speak right into the microphone part of your phone. So oh, okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Let's, I had let's, to wait for my... let's quantify that. Hold your horses means what? Patience. Patience. Oh, Slow down. Upachiens, as my grandfather Fidel Bianchino said. Hey, one down. Upachiens. Patience, right? Okay. Patience. And it had to do with the traveling of horses, slowing them down, getting them to stop. Ukavad, Ukavad, I get it. Horses, all right, slow them down. <laughs> you got to slow them down. One, right? I have one for you I've been thinking about every time Ooh, I hear you uh, talk about Trump. Hmm. You always say, never Trumpster you are. And I was saying, well, you know, there's a never say never stand. That's right. Where did that and statement know, come up from? Well, Charles Dickens' first novel. I guess uh, there was it was uh, the Pickwick pages or something. Charles Dickens, and it has to do with a girl named Mary and Tom, and they're telling her, uh, never say never, you know. I guess Tom's going to call her or something and get back with her. I don't know. Now, that, that had to do with Charles Dickens. 1827. That 
is a very cogent answer. That is the best answer we've had so far tonight, Steve. You actually well, show me. So you finish this line. Show me the money. No, no. Show me the booby prize. Oh, <laughs> the booby prize. Now, I need to ask a phone screener. Uh, Avery, please, uh, if you could speak into the microphone, I realize. Well, I have a hat. I get compliments on your hat. I wear your hat, I got to say, 80% of the time. Right, I usually but, wear just a plain bandana, but, but, but I've been wearing your hat a lot. But I, I, get, I, I, get... I, I need to clarify this with our nighttime producer here, Avery. Avery, are we under a quota now in terms of the booby prizes that I could give out? Because I used to give them out like Pez, you know, a Pez dispenser. Uh, Yeah. What the hell did I do to all of a sudden have a no quota problem. put on I my have head? A, I have a hat and I have a shirt, and I don't, you know, I'm happy to listen what? to you, you know? No, no, but so you don't. No whoa, 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 see. You don't have the full accoutrements. You have the hat, right, the WABC hat. You have the yeah. shirt, but you don't have a jock strap. No. It's very important. Oh, hey, you know, really? Is it like a G-string? And you don't have the jumpsuit either. Yeah. No, no, there's a jumpsuit. <laughs> There's the jock strap. This is very important. There's pajamas with the feet in them. Yep. Yep. That, that's the ones that Frank Morano wears when he does the program. The pajama yeah. with the, you know, the little feet for the, the little kitties. With Marvin the Martian on the back. That's right. <laughs> Just what I need. Just what I now need. And that's a collector's item with Marvin the Martian on the back. Yeah, but you need a million booby answers to, to, to get those. Yeah, yeah. No, no. That's uh, There's a premium oh, on those. I've got yeah. another one. Oh, another one. Good, good. I'll slip you a Mickey. Yeah, you want uh, that? They're putting they're putting something something in your drink to uh, put you out. You don't know about it. You mean Spanish fly? Could be. Hmm, that's old school Spanish fly. Okay. I'll yeah, you see, uh, Broadway Bill drink. Broadway Billy, who's on loan to us, has been at WCBS FM, where all the old uh, out the cockers go uh, for forty years, uh, and he's telling me, oh, he remembers both fly. Does anybody out there remember Bowfly? That sounds familiar. Well, no. You see, don't. That's only going half the way. That sounds familiar, right? I don't know. I don't know Bowfly. I don't know Bowfly. Yeah, Bowfly. I need to know if anybody out there in our voluminous um, audience of eight people uh, absolutely knows who Bowfly is. Boy, this is a real brain buster. Give up, Steve. Give up. I'm, I, I give up. I don't know, Bowfly. It's okay. Uh, which part of Florida are you from, Steve? Ormond Beach, Florida, not too far from Wilbur by the Sea, where it got hit really hard in the homes on the ocean. I went out there a couple of times already. It's terrible. Terrible. Now, let me ask you a question. You are how far from Fort Myers, Lee County? Uh, we're a few hours. I'm in, near Daytona Beach. I'm right in, oh, like, okay. I'm inside Daytona Beach area. Yeah, Fort Myers probably three hours. Right, right. I know, I know, I know. But you know Daytona, something? Daytona Beach area. I, I, I want to salute you, Steve, because unlike these other Gabon callers, you not only answered the question, but you gave it definition. You gave it texture. You actually added to it. It's like you were knitting a a, a sock. You actually kept knitting and knitting and knitting and you just missed Bowfly. That was it. You got everything else. I'm learning from you the best. Yo, don't pull my shorts, please. Don't pull my shorts. <laughs> but that, never say never, never Trumpster. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much, Steve. And what does that mean? 
you know, I'll chew your BVDs and fruit of the wombs. What? It's, I say that all the time, but what the hell does that mean, right? Did you ever stop and think, what did Curtis Lee mean by that? And by the way, who is Bowfly? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. I cannot believe that you, a Euro-Asiatic black man, Broadway Billy, do not know who Bowfly is. In fact, it used to be years ago, quite a few years ago. You would go into a particular store and you got Bowfly. And they'd put it in a paper bag. So that nobody could see it. You didn't want the uh, you didn't want the uh, postal inspector to see that. That's for sure. That's why they put it in a brown paper bag, like it was Colt forty five, or uh, Saint Ives Malt Liquor. Boy, I think I've confused you. Poor Bill Lee is wondering, what the hell is Bowfly? Does anybody out there know what Bowfly is? That's a real brain buster. I mean, this one, you got to go back uh, probably a good 40, 50 years to know who Bowfly is. See, I've already given you part of the answer. It is a human being, Bowfly. No, no, no. It's not some kind of intoxicant. It's not... A form of adrenaline. It's not come some kind of stimulant. It is an actual human being. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A Blowfly C. It's another side of midnight. Seventy seven W A B C. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. It's all in the hips. <laughs> it's all in the hips. 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 Get off of me. It's all in the hips. He just eased the tension, baby. It's all in the hips. I am completely open. You know, I'm a nightlife mayor, and I like to test the product. What kind of product is he testing in guitar, man? You get caught with that cool keen in guitar, man. It's off with your head. Now, see, I give a test to Mayor Eric Adams, swagger man, make that soccer man with no plan. Because, you know, he pretends like uh, he's a street guy. You know that. Broadway Billy acts like he's street. He's not street. He's soft. You know, he'll say in the middle of a press conference, oh, I saw a shorty walking by. I really shouldn't say that. Come on. He's not street. Just to say that is an implication that people are questioning your street credentials. So if I was sitting there with Eric Adams, I'd say, yo, Eric, you ever listen to any blow flying? 
He wouldn't know what the hell I'm talking about. And apparently neither does anybody who's listening now. Because, man, you got to be hardcore street to get into Blowfly. Avery, you will not be going to church in the morning if you're listening to Blowfly. Yo, will, you will not be going to church other than to tell your pastor, the devil is possessing you because you were listening to Blowfly. See, not one person, not one person. Because you see, this is not a station where the hood rats listen. Nope. But I'm a hood rat. I know you're looking at me, Broadway Bill Lee, and saying, wait a second, you're a white boy. You ain't no hood rat. Yes, I'm a hood rat. I mean, you put Dominic Carter on at the same time. Or as the mayor says in his promo, I know Dominic Carter. And you tell the people, right? You don't say Curtis Lewa. You don't say Dominic Carter. You do a focus group in a place where they've never heard of us. Uh, let's say Topeka, Kansas, right? You have a focus group. They don't get to see our pictures because some of them out there may know me from the Red Beret on TV. You can't do that. And you just say, let's play a game. Who's the white man? Who's the black man? And you just play us as we're talking. This is Topeka, Kansas, the heartland of America. Who do you think they're going to say is the black guy, and who do you think they're going to say is the white guy? And they ain't saying that Dominic is the brother. I guarantee you that. Those okie-dokie folks in Kansas, nope. They'll say, oh, who is that? Oh, that's that's Curtis. Oh, well, that's got to be a black guy. I mean, the only people they know with the name Curtis are black guys. The two black people who live in Topeka, Kansas, probably one of them is named Curtis. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Loretta in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Loretta. Hi, good morning, Curtis. Yes, Loretta. Um, I have an old adage you may not have heard. Go for it. It's homegrown. Oh, I've heard that many times, but you <laughs> Okay. Uh, Mama said, Mama said, hold your water. Hold your water, that's right. But but the way she said it, she said, hold your water, and then she emphasized it. She said, hold your water. It made you stop dead in your tracks. And uh, uh, they were pretty smart. They weren't as dumb as I thought they were when I was a kid. Papa said something very true. You could apply it to co-workers, family members, uh, neighbors, friends. He said, some grapes never ripen. Mm. That's now, a good one. Now, let me ask you, are those table grapes, are they vineyard grapes? What kind of grapes are those? Um, he never went into detail. And um, I was a kid, as long as I got my allowance, I didn't ask questions. I didn't want to get in trouble. I would have said... Uh... You know something, I follow Cesar Chavez of the Farm Workers Union in California, and they have asked us to boycott table grapes. Uh, That's a good one. Yes, yes. I I have a joke. Yes. Um, I don't know if you heard this one, but when I was on jury duty and I was madam for a person, uh, when we got bored, I had to bring in jokes and things for us, uh, you know, so we wouldn't kill each other. Um, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? 
How many? One, but it has to really want to change. Oh, God. I, I don't know. That guy Al calls from right Amityville, right? He always wants to try the jokes. He is, oh, no, just one joke, one joke, right? He chews my shorts and pulls my chain. What does chew your shorts and pull your chain mean? 1-800-848-9222. Well, I'm very disappointed in you, Broadway Billy. 40 years at WC, CBS FM. You're really becoming out the cocket. Not to know who Blowfly is. My, how not my. You know, what are you? Lou Rawls, right? I say Lou Rawls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Budweiser beer. That's all you know. Who was he the other day, right? He was getting all for toots, all excited. Uh, over a Lou Rolls song. What was that, Bo Snurdly, a.k.a. James Golden? What a fuddy-duddy he is. Lou Rolls? No, it's Blowfly, man. He's a bad mother. Watch your mouth. No, that's Shaft. Excuse me. Isaac Hayes. You know, Isaac Hayes was a Scientologist. Did I ever tell you that Isaac Hayes went into Watts or Compton? I think it was Compton, which is its own city. And he said, here, I'm, I'm ready to educate all the young people in, uh, in Compton at my expense. And he said, how are you going to do that? I'm going to teach them how to read the book Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. They said, how much money are you going to pay us <laughs> to have our kids be tortured trying to read L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics? Remember when they said, oh, only the Bible has been read more. How do we know that? How many of you actually believe that crap when they advertise L. Ron Hubbard, Dianetics? More people have read Dianetics than any other book in the world other than the Bible. And you hear it enough times and you say, yeah, oh, yeah, second most read book in the world. Bull feathers. Scientology. Yeah, ask Tom Cruise. I'm sure Tom Cruise will tell you that, too, while he's wearing his lifts. Think of all the things that you've been told in life. And you just accept it. What's the second most read book in the world? Oh, that's absolutely Dianetics. Did you ever read Dianetics? No. Do you have a copy of Dianetics? No. Did you ever see anybody with a copy of Dianetics? No. But it's the second most read book in the world since the Bible. Oh, my. Oh, no, my. It's the re-education. Of the population. Yeah, I think that's what we should call this show, the re-education of our population. Curtis Lee was stopped. Because I got to re-educate people. Let's see if Katie in Manhattan knows who Blowfly is, Katie. Hey, Curtis. Not only do I know who Blowfly is, I saw him perform once. Uh, Blowfly is the original dirty rapper for everyone else out there. Pervy, jokester, whatever. He performed at the WSMU Record Fair once. It's either like 2012 or 2013, around there. And he wore his cape jumpsuit thing like he was like a superhero or whatever, or like a Lucha Libre guy. And it was funny. It was pervy. It was gross, but it was very funny. You'd have to acknowledge, Katie, that if Blowfly were at these microphones, he would last all of five seconds before oh. we would have to bleep him out. 
you're lucky John Cassantini's on the station. He would be able to afford the FCC button. <laughs> I know you have, you must have the seven-second delay button, right? And that gets maxed out after you press it oh, a couple of times. Oh, let me you tell you. When you listen to Blowfly, you want to wash his mouth out with Rokish, the laundry soap, and with Felsnap, <laughs> the soap. Eddie, he had the dirtiest mouth I have ever heard. I mean, dirty. <laughs> so if you asked for, like, a cassette tape of Blowfly, right, you go in the record store, you say, Psst, you got Blowfly. You say, yeah, but you got to give it to you under the counter, man, because they'll shut us down. <laughs> yeah, it was that. It, it was that bad. You couldn't even mention the guy's name. Inspectors would want to lock down your record store, close the club. Thank God, Rudy Giuliani wasn't mayor back then. Because man, if he had heard that somebody, somebody named Blowfly was cursing every five seconds was performing, he would have locked that club down. Imagine what the censored versions would sound like nowadays with the parental warning and be like a two minute long album. <laughs> exactly. Well, you wait on the you wait on the line, Katie. No, no, I'm sorry. We must break the fact that we have been uh, told that there's a limited edition Curtis Lewa, the best of the other side of midnight movie prize. I didn't think any of our listeners would get that answer, Blowfly. You know, our typical listener is what, seventy two years old? If they had to yeah. listen if they had to listen to Blowfly, they'd have a heart attack. They'd have a heart attack. We'd have to. I live to tell the day. That's right. And I appreciate that, Katie. And you're a worse person for it. There's no doubt about that. Without a doubt. That's why I'm listening to you all night, right? Thank you. Thank you. Well, stay on the line, Katie. Stay on the line. Please, Avery. Take her information. And, you know, you can tell Jake the Snake Roberts. Hey, Jake, do you know who Blowfly is? Of course not. He's a schmuck. Yeah, man. I mean, that would, when Blowfly performed, the language he used wasn't even triple X rated. It would make a salty semen blush. That gives you an idea of how caustic that language was and is. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. What a diva. Can you imagine that J-Lo had a documentary done about herself by her? That was the first film to be played at the Tribeca Film Festival. And it was two hours about how she was pissed off that Shakira was allowed to perform on the same stage with her at the halftime of the Super Bowl, what, like two, three years ago? Two hours of that. That's almost as bad as a documentary is being made about Nancy Pelosi by her daughter. You think her daughter is going to say anything bad about her mother? 
How can it be a documentary if it's made by a family member or if it's made by yourself? Can you imagine uh, Broadway Billy, the documentary of the world's number one vigilante, Curtis Lewa, by Curtis Lewa? Uh, yeah, but that might be a little different. I might talk about all the bad things. You know, because I love to crawl into the belly of the beast. I love to get into Dante's Inferno. I love to elevate the muck and the mire. I love to bring to the forefront those things that our listeners I never before have experienced. And on this thing of ours that is so intimate, the most intimate form of broadcasting that has ever existed. Pick your poison, either created by the Italian Marconi or Tesla the Serbian. Yeah, go ahead, battle it out. She said that for all of what? Three weeks to uh, Ben, whack, whack, Aflac, and then all of a sudden it was like, on to the next. I don't know who's worse. J-Lo, who is probably vice president of the Man Eaters Club of America, or uh, what the hell is I keep calling him Britney Spears for some reason. Right? I, I so hate this woman now. Who hates men? You know, she she marries them, she dates them. She's like a Venus flytrap. She's like, remember Kanye went up on the on the stage there, you know, half in the bed. Hey, hey, that should have been Beyonce. I can never remember her. What? What? What's her name? What's her name? Oh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Oh, I despise her. So pretentious, so pompous. You know, I date men, I marry men. I get engaged to men, but I really hate men. I'm the president of the Man Haters Club of America. And it's best member. No, no, that's J-Lo. They can fight amongst each other like two scorpions in a brandy glass. Let's see if we can uh, go to Drew, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Drew. Hey, Curtis. Nice to talk to you. Love your show. Stay with you to the break of dawn as much as I possibly can. All the way, the I whole have, nine yards. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I have three um, sayings you might be interested in. Okay. One is mind your P's and Q's. Have you heard that one? That's all the time. Mind your P's and okay. Q's. What the hell does that mean? Uh, all right. Well, it's from uh, when an Irish bartender would tell the patrons a fight is going to break out because it happens a lot in the Irish bars. And they would tell them, mind your P's and Q's, mind your pints and quarts. In other words, pick them up and hold them because the tables are going to be flying. Ah, you see, I thought maybe it had to do with northern Italian cuisine and uh, cuisine in Spain where they put P's in everything. P's in everything. Okay, well, this is the beer. Mind your pints and quarts. That's good. That's good. The the other one is uh, close but no cigar. Oh, all the time you hear, oh, you were close but no cigar. Okay, so that was an, an old gambling game back maybe 100, 150 years ago. It was like a glass dome on wood, and dice were in it. You'd press the glass down, and they had little prizes listed on the wooden base. And if you were close, the number one prize was a cigar. 
but you were close, but no cigar. Oh, that's uh, what uh, the Mama Luke Frank Morano always hears at the Borgata when he's shooting. <laughs> you know, he's shooting craps. So that's good. That's no, good. No doubt. <laughs> and the third one, the last one, is uh, Pipe Down. In other words, be quiet. Yeah. All right, that comes from the old sailing ships when the captain couldn't scream loud enough over the, you know, the big ship to get the attention of the crewmates. He had a pipe around his neck, a whistle. He'd blow it, and then we put it down. That meant shut up. He has an announcement to make. Now, the fact that you know that, and I don't, son of a merchant seaman, Chester, no longer with us, 54 years sailing all throughout the world, cargo ships, uh, oil tankers, the most dangerous sulfur ships. Oh, that was the most dangerous uh, because there they had to keep it warm as they were transporting it. Uh, very noxious and also could explode at a moment's notice. Uh, he never told me that, so I have to thank you, Drew, for educating me on that. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> wow, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah you hit Thanks, the trifecta, the troika, the trinity <laughs> of old expressions, all of which I've heard. And none of which that I I could really regurgitate and tell you what they really meant. I just, like everybody else, uh, like a parrot, you know, just keep repeating the same old phraseology. And then when you stop them in their tracks and you say, what do you mean pipe down? What does that mean? You look at that person like uh, a deer standing into, staring into the headlights. And it's suddenly, oh, you're going to hear that too later on. People mumbling and stumbling as the Mameluke Frank Morano tried to rip off uh, a Howard Stern bit by having his listeners hypnotized. I mean, it's bad when Howard Stern does it. It was worse when Frank Morano did it. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. I had a dream, we were sipping whiskey neat, highest floor of the Bowery, and I was high enough. Somewhere along the lines, we stopped seeing eye to eye, you were staying out all night, and I had enough. No, I don't want to know where you've been or where you're going, but I know I won't be home, and you'll be on your own. Yeah. 
Frank must uh, really feel crestfallen, Frank Morano, that Mama Luke. He's uh, infatuated with uh, Selena Gomez, who is uh, in that uh, show that involves Steve Martin and Martin Short. The film's right down the block from where uh, Nancy, I, and the 18 rescue cats live. I forget the name of it, but anyway... Uh, He's really upset, uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, because apparently Martin Short and uh, Steve Martin are hosting Saturday Night Live coming up. And uh, Frank Morano uh, was wondering why Selena Gomez is not included, because he went out and he bought tickets thinking that Selena Gomez would be in that show. Oh, no. Apparently next Saturday, it'll be, uh, oh, my God. He is really going to just implode. Martin Short and Steve Martin will be hosting Saturday Night Live next Saturday without Selena Gomez. I am trying to remember what the... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, one of my uh, wife, uh, Nancy's, favorite programs. Um, what is that? Only Murders in the Building? Only I think that's in, it. Only Murders in the Building. Right, Only Murders She'll in the Building. She'll probably do a cameo. They'll probably do some skit about it. I know, but Frank bought the tickets already. You know how expensive those tickets are. God, because he thought he'd finally get a chance to see Selena Gomez and actually interview her. There's two women who refuse to have anything to do with Frank. Tulsi Gabbard, right, chased her out to to Oahu in Hawaii. Won't do an interview with him. I mean, he, how many times he's opined for Tulsi, lady in white, right? Nothing. He went all the way up to Orange County. Remember when she was speaking at one of the last rallies for Congressman Lee Zeldin? Went all the way up there, and she left. Wouldn't even give him an interview. He came with this little uh, Tonka toy uh, interview radio that he bought in Radio Shack like 20 years ago, right? Nothing. And to see him, it's so sad, uh, Broadway Bill Lee. Nancy and I, we walked down 86th Street towards the number one chain on Broadway, and that's where that building is, where they film that show. It's this huge, magnificent building where they film only murders in the building. Naturally, they have it roped off. You know, you see there's the the trailer for Martin Short. There's the trailer for Steve Martin. There's the trailer for Selena Gomez. And there's Frank sitting there in a horn chair with a big sign saying, I love you, Selena. Would you do an interview with me, Frank Morano, the other side of midnight? I mean, every freaking day it's embarrassing. And I hate to tell you, he's brought Carmine out there one time trying to use Carmine as a lure, figuring maybe Selena would come over because she'd see the child, right? Nope. God, do you know how much those tickets cost for Saturday Night Live? And there won't be any Selena Gomez? Oh, my God. He's going to probably take two weeks off, three weeks off. He, he'll be so... He'll be suffering postpartum depression. Instead of Rachel saying, you know, as a result of having delivered Carmine 15 pounds last year, 
by the uh, midwife who was on loan from Mount Laredo by Vinny Ignizio, a 92-year-old nun when he was in charge of Catholic Charities out there, Nurse Ratchet at Port Richmond uh, Hospital. Uh, Rachel is suffering postpartum depression. Sometimes women have that, especially when they deliver such a, a large child who's now 50 pounds. 50 freaking pounds after a year. And now it's Frank who's claiming he has postpartum depression. Wait, what? Wow. He's for toots over uh, Selena Gomez. Anyway, uh, I have a feeling I know where Frank Morano is. In fact, last week, I was listening, yes, to Jersey Joe Piscopo, the Frank, uh, Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza where he was talking to his uh, weekly caller, Mary from Hoboken, who was with the ladies who had been convinced by Frank Morano to come to the Borgata and to gamble. Let me welcome to my house the one, the only, calling in Hoboken Mary on the line. (laughs) Mary, how are you, darling? Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Joe, you got to forgive me. I didn't hear any of your show because you know where I am again, Joe. (laughs) You know where I am, A-C, A-B-C-D-E. Oh, man, look at you. Look at you. Did you leave? Did you leave or did you stay down there from the last time we no, talked? No, I'm huh? saying to, no, yeah, no, I left a month, a couple of weeks ago, Joe, and I came today at 12 o'clock, and I'm with uh, a couple of new friends that Ooh, I know from down out. here, and oh. I'm sorry I didn't hear the whole show tonight, we, Joe, we, but you're doing it from home, you said? I am. We have so much going on. It's all great. You know, we have my, oh, my, my big... Good. My big second, but you know what? I'll, and just for you, I think we'll just the next two hours. We'll re, we'll repeat. But you just let us know when you need to hear it, and we'll we'll repeat it again for no, you, I Mary. Them all, Joe. I got everyone that I was on, Joe. I listen all the time. I listen You're all the, the time. My daughter says, "Don't call him anymore." I go, "Oh, come on! I want to talk to him." So you I was just it. eating it, and then the girl said to me, "Why did you call your friend?" I go. No, it's late. It's seven forty-six. Well, you could try. So I said, "Okay, I'll try," and that's what I did. So, but I can't let the night go by without saying hello. And Joe, I said, nineteen eighty-five, Sinatra got the award from Stevens. Remember the Stevens. In yeah, Hoboken. in Hoboken, Stephen Institute. Remember award in 1985? Sure, sure. Yeah. I remember the yeah. Hoboken Institute of Technology because he wanted to be an engineer, and he wanted to right. go there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mary, you could call any time. Happy to. Is Thanksgiving okay with the family, Mary? Very nice. Yeah, my son had to come in from Florida. They had a little a little uh, thing to do, you know, with the yeah. awake and stuff like that. But that's right. okay. It worked Ma- out fine. It worked out Mary, fine. Mary, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Listen, watch it. Don't oh, don't spend you. all your don't spend all your money down there, Mary. Come come on. Don't happy. you worry about me. I'm like a little tightwad. Don't worry. <laughs> we love you. Happy Thanksgiving, Mary, to you and the family. And love I you. Talk to you soon. We love can you. work something out with Stevens, Joe. You got it. I right? that's a good idea. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. God bless you, girl. Now, unfortunately, Avery, Mary is one of the many people who uh, follow Frank Morano to Atlantic City to shoot craps at the board. The board got it. You heard it. She took a break from shooting craps at the crap table to talk to Jersey Joe Piscopo. She does that every week. This poor woman comes all the way from Hoboken. You know, she's on Social Security. And she, she just follows Frank Morano there to shoot craps. Oh, God. 
what a negative impact uh, that he has had on so many people. By the way, I have a feeling that both uh, Jersey Joe Piscopo on what uh, will be a celebration of um, Frank Morano, excuse me, not Frank Morano, Frank Sinatra's birthday coming up. Uh, they're going to have a full-scale extravaganza here. They never let me know because, you know, I don't like Frank Sinatra. You know, ever since he was at the uh, Westchester, uh, Westchester Playhouse, you know, with uh, Carlo and all the Gambinos, Carlo Gambino and all the Gambinos, that, that was it for me. So, you know, uh, Joe Piscopo, he gets upset with me because he said, hey, do me a favor. You're not going to say anything nice about Mr. Sinatra. Don't say anything at all. I, I, well, I said, what are you, my mother? Oh, you should see it. It gets a little contentious in here at the studio. Because, uh, you know, Sundays, you know, he's in 6 to 8, and I'm on before him, and then I'm on after him. He goes, hey, don't you say anything bad about Mr. Sinatra. I say, hey, mind your own business. Mind your P's and Q's, right? P's and Q's. We learned about that last hour. It's very contentious. But I know they're having some celebration of Frank Sinatra's birthday here. I I noticed they're they're hooking up the plays. Now that there's been an announcement that there's going to be a a musical on the Great White Way in one of the theaters in Shuba Alley that's black now, it will be... uh, it will be the place where they will have the Frank Frank Sinatra musical. And you know Jersey Joe Piscopo is going to be there. And you know Mary, who is an avid leader, who shoots craps with Frank Morano at the Borgata, she'll be there. There's no doubt about it. Pack, let's go to the phones here uh, to Ed in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ed. Hey, Ed. What happened? You dropped him? Uh, I don't know. I think that was you. Uh, I think that was you, Broadway Billy. You had a little bit of the shakes there, you know? Hey, it happens. You know, it comes with age. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Tommy, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Curtis. Um, listen, you need to stop all this tomfoolery and let us hit you with a Mickey Sing. All right? You know what I'm talking about. And I know what Mo Fly means. Isn't that most dirty? He's fly, right? But he ain't as fly as you, Curtis. Tommy, Tommy, your stream of consciousness, where is it leading you, Tommy? I don't know. It's all over the place. But I do got a joke for you. Hold on a uh, second. I Hold on. I, I, before you give me the joke, because the last uh, woman who gave us a joke bombed, like that guy Al who always bombs when he calls up. Question: Did you take did you take your medication today? Because you seem to have a little attention deficit disorder. I, I just picked that up. A little ADH. Uh, I am on a new dose of medication. I'm trying to get used to it. It's not easy. Is it, 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 what are the side effects? Just give us the side effects. I'll let you. I'll let you ask to do the joke. But what are the side effects of the new drug you're on? Um, I, I stay up late. This is good for you and your show. Well, that's good. Me, I'm learning from you. I got, I'm learning how to be a good ball buster. That, that's good. And, right. I got to learn. Well, no, and, the best uh, the best part of it is it keeps you up to the break of dawn, and you get to listen to me. So I'm for that drug. Yeah, it's a Prozac. Come on, listen. I'm, I'm suppo- You know, what kills me is I'm, I go fishing right now because this is the best time of the year for striped bass, right? I was down there today. There were birds everywhere. There were fish jumping out of the water. 
I break the line on the bottom. I caught a line. I caught something on the bottom, lost another line. Do you go <laughs> to Sheepshead Bay? Do you, do you get a fishing boat early in the morning at Sheepshead Bay? No, no, I'm a, I'm a beach fisherman. I fish off a of Breezy Point or Fort Tilden or something like that. Next to uh, Marine Parkway Bridge, too, there's some, there's some good bass over there. So now, how long will you stand there waiting for the fish to run and actually bite? I mean, what's the longest you ever just stayed there without any fish biting? Um, some years ago when I was a heavy drinker, yeah, I'll be there all day. <laughs> all one, I'll be day. What would you day. What would you do Didn't all day while you had your fishing pole out? Drinking. I was drinking, but I don't do that no more. Well, that's good. But tell me, what was the synergy there? You got the pole out, okay? You flick the line in the water with the sinker on it and the bait, and you wait because I know at times. No, no. I'm- I'm a real fisherman, Curtis. Oh, what's that? I fish with lures. I don't fish with bait. I fish with lures. Ooh. I'm a hunter. I'm a sea hunter of the sea, you know? Hmm. What's the difference? Like Tommy Ryan. Explain that to me because I'm the non-cognoscente, the lure versus actually baiting a hook. Well, the baiting the hook in the sinker is good if you're going to have beer and sit down or something eat. Chill out for a few. But a, a lure, you cast it out and you reel it in at certain speeds, like certain fish like fast, certain fish like slow. Like right now, the striped bass are hitting. You want to put a bucktail on there, drop it out there, a little bounce off the bottom, and boom. I caught 25, they were all schoolies, they were small, 25, between 25 and 30 um, striped bass the other night. What is, what is the rule? I mean, if uh, all of a sudden... Uh, the gendarme would have come around, you know, the fish and fowl uh, police. What what can you keep and what do you have to throw back? I Right now, I'm, I throw them all back. I don't keep them. Mm. Um, right now, I'm out there for me. It's it's therapy for me, you know. And I will say this, though. The econ guys are going by the seawall next to uh, the beach down right there. Yes. And they, they caught one guy, and he had 10 shorts. Straight bears, and I think it's like five hundred dollars a fish, something like that, maybe more. And uh, that guy's in trouble. Well, you know, the guys who are in the most trouble this time of the morning, they'll be out in a little rowboat right near Floyd Bennett Field, and they'll be looking for horseshoe crabs, which are a protected species. Now, when I was younger, they were everywhere. They were like uh, on the shore. They you thought that they were uh, old uh, German Nazi helmets that had washed up, but they were. Uh, right, but now a horseshoe crab is considered an endangered species. You you could go to jail for harvesting horseshoe crabs because especially a lot of the Asians, uh, they think it's an aphrodisiac inside of the horseshoe crab. There's some some item that they think is an aphrodisiac, and they'll 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 uh, go out there, they'll grab them, and then they'll ship them uh, to the mainland, mainland China, and make thousands and thousands of dollars. Wow. Did not know that. But I did find one horseshoe with a tag on it once, and I, I, I took a picture of it and, and sent it to sent whatever email was on there. I found one in my whole life. Yeah, there's probably, you know, probably the federal uh, game and wildlife uh, uh, tr- tracing the movement of the horseshoe yeah, crabs. Exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah, but now it's therapeutic, so you're catching the fish, you you put them back in. But the fish, when they bite, this is what I can never understand. They bite the hook because the hook gets them in the mouth or wherever. Isn't the fish injured when you put it back? I mean, how do they survive? 
Uh, let me tell you something. Curtis, you've been shot five times. You think a little hope's going to hurt you? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm a, I love fishing. I don't want to hurt the fish. I, don't, I love animals. By the way, I want to be the new rat saw, you know? Now, you're, you're, you're fishing now because the striped bass are running. But do you, oh, my God, yeah. Do you, ca- do you catch other fish as the striped bass are, are running? I, I haven't. I, um, three, four weeks ago, I caught my last fluke, small, but um, that was three, four weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago. And all I've been catching now is striped bass. But there are uh, blackfish out there and porgies. You can catch them. You know, they're right by piles and stuff. Would you would you say that. out of all the fishing that you've done that there's one particular fish that's very cagey, that's very tactical, that isn't easy to catch? They don't just go for the lure. They don't just go for the bait. You talking about striped bass? Are they are they the most striped difficult? Bit. For me, well, I mean, there's a sturgeon. Um, I've never caught a sturgeon. Don't catch one or don't keep one because that's you'll, you get a lot of trouble for that. Yes. Um, there is, uh, I had some problems catching kingfish uh, for some reason, but a friend of mine told me to get a reel in real fast with the kingfish. Mm. Uh, when they're out there, you reel in super fish. That's what they like. And stri- uh, the, the, the bluefish like it fast, too. Striped bass like it bouncing off the bottom a little bit. And what I've noticed, I had a friend of mine, we, we went out uh, snorkeling by the docks. Yes. Did, did, did like five or six huge striped bass just sitting on the bottom. They're smart, they're lazy fish. They just wait for the fish to come to them to be. They just sit there. Wow. Amazing. Now, question, uh, you started fishing how long ago, Tommy? Well, I grew up in, you know, down there in the uh, uh, Rockaways area, you know. All right, so you were, you, were about, you were about how old when you started, Tommy? I, well, I started fishing when I was five years old. Okay. so And I've been fishing ever since. What's the difference in the quality of water that you're fishing in as to when you first started and when you're fishing now? In a way, it's weird because it it, it, was, it got bad for a long time, for a while, and then it started getting better. And then Super Strong Sandy came, and I'm telling you, the, the whole thing looks fantastic now. I mean, the water's real clear, even in Jamaica Bay. But I won't eat a fish past the Marine Park River Bridge. You will not eat a fish past the Marine Park. No, nah, I, I haven't. I, I just catch I don't have a place to cook them right now, so I just catch them and uh, throw them back. If somebody's there, I'll ask them if they want it. I've given a few fish away. Now, did you ever go out to those poles? They call them poles in the middle of Jamaica Bay, those little reefs, those little islands that we used yeah. to think we used to think as kids <laughs> that the pirates came in and buried treasure and we would – we would build a raft, which was pretty dangerous, and we'd work our way out there with shovels, and we'd be digging morning, noon, and night, and we came up with ugats. We came up with bupkis. But we were told by the old-timers, you know, the old, uh, there's no doubt, you know, Blackbeard buried its treasure out there. Well, you know, um, do me a favor. When I, go, when I see you next time, I want you to pick me up a left-handed smoke shifter when you're at it, okay? <laughs> Or Skyhook. Give me Skyhook. I'm going to lift something up. <laughs> Listen, there's a, uh, can you get me a, a – my electrician guy wants a bucket of homes. You want some of that? <laughs> I see he was using a little bit of technology there. Huh? You notice that? You know, we haven't had anybody actually call up and use Pig Latin. I ever tell you the time – I'm there at Gold Street. It's holding cell, NYPD. They're going to move me to 100 Skimmerhorn Street before Raymond. 
And they brought in these 5% of guys. I forget who they held up. They had those sheepskin coats on at the time, you know, reverse sheepskin coats. They had the uh, sheepskin hat on. They had the name buckles. You know, they thought they were bad, like cool breeze, spirit, spit, whatever. So they put them in a cell with me. There are like five of them. And I forgot uh, there was a delay in the arraignments. And they're talking pig Latin to one another, these five percenters. And they're thinking this dopey white boy doesn't understand what they're saying. And basically what they were saying is if this effing white boy goes to sleep, man, we house him right here. You know, you look out for the CEO and then we house him. In the meantime, they're thinking, I have no idea what the hell they're saying. But remember, Broadway Billy, I was in the Ville, never ran, never will. A lot of your brothers were using pig Latin talking about what they were going to do to me. Hey, feet don't fail me now, except I'm in an eight by four foot cage with these five uh, five percenters. They plotted on you in pig Latin? Damn right. But all of the words in pig Latin sound like the words. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I knew what the hell they were talking about. Ernest K. I'll never forget <laughs> Cool breeze, Tislam. It's A is for holler, B is for born, C is for circumference, and for cracker. And this guy's a cracker right here. Oh, I said, oh, man, okay. Five of you, one of me? Yeah, okay, five percenters. If it's five to one, you don't need pick Latin anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's God's will right there. Yeah, right. well, God, you know, that God is uh, supposedly Allah, but not the way a traditional Muslim is. I mean... That religion, 5%, is a crazy religion. <laughs> I actually uh, came upon a parliament. This is when they had their meetings, you know. Love to smoke that herb, you know, they're smoking herb, talking about how they got to fertilize the earths. That's women. They got to fertilize earths to create gods because they consider themselves gods. And remember, a god needs a gun to protect himself from white devils and other blacks who have not recognized that they're gods. You see, I knew all this terminology. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? I said, hey, I came to sit in your parliament. I said, you a devil. I said, well, doesn't devil, devil have a place? At the throne of God, right? I mean, I've read a lot of religions. It's always like an archangel who's the devil. There's Lucifer. I mean, you got to have a devil in your religion, right? And these brothers are looking at me like, man, this white boy is crazy. As they were passing the malt liquor, you know, Code 45. Man, that stuff would eat your stomach out. But they were gods. Sure, you're gods, right? You were God in Rikers Island and then upstate. Place was filled with five percenters. I see most people; they don't even know what I'm talking about here. But I'm kicking knowledge. You see, Broadway Billy, I'm kicking knowledge. C, C is for circumference and for crackers, just like me. I know it's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We're going to give him another chance. I mean, Ed, he did the bird on us. Uh, but let's go to Ed in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ed. I did not fall asleep. I dropped the phone. Oh, it's like dropping the mic, right? You're on stage, and the comic drops the mic. Well, whatever. I'm ne- I've never been on stage. Oh, it's okay. That's okay. And not even the stage deli? You never went there? <laughs> 
No, years ago. The oh. goyim detector went off. Yes, all right. Oh, no, that was Katz's Deli. That's right. Oh, they had so many great delis. Second Avenue Deli was the best, although for a while there, it wasn't on Second Avenue. I said, it's, wait a second. It's the Second Avenue Deli, and you're not on Second Avenue. Well, you know, we're just keeping the tradition alive. Well, why don't you change the name? No, it's the Second Avenue Deli. You think it'd be a little confusing to people saying we're going to the Second Avenue Deli and there's no Second Avenue Deli? I, I just I wanted to make clear because I know you get upset when people fall asleep. I did not fall asleep. Thank God, thank God. Okay, give them the whole nine yards. Do you know where that comes from? No, you're going to have to uh, enlighten us. A gunner in a World War II fighter plane had a string of bullets that was 27 feet long. And he would say to the pilot, how much should I give him? And he would say, give him the whole nine yards. Wow. Now, I like that. That's macho. Yeah. Yeah. Give I him the you, whole nine. You would. I thought maybe that was Pete Davidson with uh, Kim Kardashian. I'm going to give you the whole nine yards. Yeah. You're calling from Staten Island, right? That was his claim to fame. Some people say... Why would these drop-dead gorgeous women want to be going with this geeky guy from Staten Island? I mean, let's face it. Let's put three guys in a lineup, okay, from Staten Island. You got Frank Morano with his pocket protector, right? He really looks like a geek, other than if it's the racket report. You know, he's got that glow-in-the-dark uh, uh, pinstripe suit that makes him look like a button man for the Gambinos. Then you got Vinny Madugno, who looks like a teacher, which he is. And then you got Pete Davidson, who looks like a geek. I mean, come on. Pete Davidson's the kind of guy, right, that you would give noogies and bunces to in school. You know, he'd be sitting there like, what me worry, and you'd bunce him, and you'd give him noogies, and all of a sudden the teacher would say, who did that? And you don't sit like little angels there, right? Little angels. <laughs> and then the teacher would turn around again and write something on the blackboard. And you give him a noogie and a bunch. And his ears would get all red. And then you give him a bunch right in the nose. And, oh, the schnoz, the schnoz, you know. You couldn't breathe after that. I know I was a little terrorist, what can I say? But that's what it ought to be is uh, why do the gals love Pete Davidson? Because he gives him the whole nine yards, right? I mean, it must be. The rumor, the urban uh, legend must be true. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Good morning, Curtis. Well, a little history for you. Last night you mentioned a couple of things. Um, You mentioned that you were down in Georgia at one time. You and the Guardian Angels, and you mentioned uh, mosquitoes as big as horses. Yes. And it got me to thinking, well, Curtis has heard it all. Let me mention something to you. I was up in the Yukon in 1987. took me six days to get there by bus, but that's another story for another time. I was there for a storytelling convention, or not a, well, a festival. Now, now, let me ask you one question, just edification. It was not drag queens telling stories, right, reading from books. No, 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 no. These were traditional. Right, I just want to clarify that. want to clarify that. Okay. These were traditional tribal elders from both sides of the Bering Sea. There were people, there were Inuit, there were Inupiaq, there were... Uh, people from the Siberian side, because the Russians had uh, allowed Glasnost uh, just recently during that time, and there were people from various tribal groups, and 
they came and it was a it was an absolutely marvelous weekend and in the Yukon they talked about I don't want to talk Indians, right? I mean, Anthony Weiner was talking uh, Native Indians, Indigenous peoples, uh, First World peoples. I, 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 I lost the term. Ever since they stripped Chief Wahoo from the Cleveland Indians, they're not even the Cleveland Indians. I, I lost it, man. I just lost it. I mean, Robert, is he knows everything, but I'm just, I'm not in <laughs> wooden Indians tonight. I just, this morning, you know, Forgive me, Robert, you know, I was just talking about pig language in jail, and he's talking about Inuits and the Bering Strait, and it's just two levels too high. I mean, you know, you think I'd be talking that way in jail? You imagine if I'm sitting with the brothers, the five percenters who are talking pig Latin, how they're going to kill me when I go to sleep. By the way, do you realize the Inuits, the... Uh, on both sides of the Bering State, to be looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Let's go to Evans, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Evans. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? Listen, uh, I'm 74. Back in the 60s, you know, I spent a lot of time in the county jail. My father worked in the penitentiary. So I was in the jail with cats that, you know, would come through to go to court in White Plains. they come down from upstate. Brooklyn cats, and there was this one cat named Earl Streeter. Earl Streeter, he was a checker um, master, a checker master. Uh, he 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 killed somebody, you know. It was a gang thing, but he was a really great brother, man. And uh, he used to speak like this: Yo yo, splat out splitting gas. Yo yo, man, don't you remember that one cat from Brooklyn speaking like that? Vaguely. Yeah, vague, vaguely. Now, remember, I was... I think I think it was a gang on Gates Avenue, and that's how they spoke. Now, I... But he... That was my man, man. I mean, the, the Brooklyn Cats and the Bronx Cats were very loyal cats. Harlem is kind of jive, you know, but there's, a, there's, the, there's Harlem and the Brooklyn Cats, you know, that lived in both places. They're really... Excellent people, man. They're very loyal, man. Well, Bronx too. my experiences in Brooklyn, in Brownsville, never ran, never will. I lived on Osborne and Hegeman, as you can imagine. I was White Plains originally. Right. I was a, 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 a very large minority there, a minority of one. One white boy surrounded by brothers and sisters. Well, I know you're crazy, man. You, know, you have to be, uh, and you have to have some balls because, you know, people push up. Look, you know. I remember I used to go to my grandmother's house on 167th and Nelson Avenue. I used to play ball in the in the. In the I was like 14. My my grandmother sent me to get her some L and M's for 25 cents. There'd be a hundred kids on the corner, man. A hundred kids. Yep. Absolutely. And then, and then now imagine you're a white boy. You got a hundred guys on the corner. Well, you got to have some balls, man. Well, you got to be crazy. That's right, like you. But you got to walk through that. And they, back then, they were either Tomahawks or Jolly Stompers there. I don't remember the names of the games. Like I said, I was from Westchester, but I used to always, you know, I used to be in the city all the time. My grandmother's house. I know, but Evans, Evans, if you were to say to me, oh, guys from Mount Vernon and Yonkers, we'd say, oh, they're soft. No, man, Mount Vernon was a motherfucker. Mount Vernon was the. Boy, you had to let him go. 
What a difference between Robert talking about Inuits <laughs> bearing straight and Evans, who was like uh, dropping uh, knowledge and then all of a sudden the F-bomb, right? Where else are you going to get a program like this, right? You get Robert, he's, he's like talking NPR-ish, stuff I don't even understand. And then all of a sudden Evans is talking like I understand, <laughs> And I call him soft, right, because he's from Mount Vernon. Yankees, I figured either one. And he took umbrage to that. You know, what? That was a trigger. (laughs) Mount Vernon. You know who's from Mount Vernon? Denzel. Denzel's from Mount Vernon. P. Diddy. And and who's that guy smooth? You know, who's on... uh... Who's on with uh, what the hell his name is? That off the cock. Larry David. J.B. Smooth. J.B. Smooth, right. Mount Vernon, right? Soft, man. Come on. It ain't the Bronx. It ain't Brooklyn. I've been through Mount Vernon, Yonkers, No Nine Hills, Slowmine Projects, Mumford Gardens. I called it Getty, uh, Ghetto Square. It's called Getty Square. But a hell of a lot of people from the Bronx up there, man. I got to tell you, they just migrated in. Man, where else could you go? And go from Robert, who's like the National Geographic, right? He's like a walking, talking National Geographic. Yeah, six days on a bus going up to the Yukon. But I don't want to tell you about that. That's the most interesting. Imagine six days pounding the hound up to the Yukon. And then Evans kicking it like, you know, man, what do you mean? What do you mean we're soft in Mount Vernon, Yonkers? And then dropping their meth bombs. See, we would have had a fight. <laughs> we would have had to have a fight right there. Hey, man, minority of one, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was a soldier, though, an army of one. General general and a soldier. That's right, General. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant and sergeant. sergeant. Sergeant, I see them brothers on the corner. I said, oh, my God, I got to I gotta walk past them. I got to walk right through them. Again? Yeah. <laughs> they said, what the hell are you doing in the hood? You back? That's right. <laughs> you, you snacking on one of our sisters? Oh, no. Whew. Man. Man, those were devious days. Let me tell you something. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe I'll get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. They're all asleep. I'll finally be able to walk around. There they are. They're like hanging on to that telephone pole. They're like pigeons. They ain't going nowhere. Oh, man, feet don't fail me now. 1-800-848-9222. Yeah, this is in honor of Evan. Originally from Westchester, <laughs> Mount Vernon, Yonkers, Nodine Hill. Yeah. Soft. Y'all soft up there. I have to tell you, go to Mount Vernon on one side with the brothers, the other side Italians. Go to Yonkers, uh, excuse me, Mount Vernon High School. Ooh, man, there was a lot of tension like there always was between Italians and blacks, right? Fight, fight! A white and a, well, I can't say that word. Immediately, man, it'd be like hundreds of people around. Now, if it was two Italian guys fighting, nobody be there. Two black guys fight. Nobody watch. But uh, 
and a white man. They're all there. By the way, all the Italians were into uh, laying asphalt at that time. You know, they, they were laying that, uh, that asphalt. Man, they had all the asphalt contracts. Quite a few wise guys in Mount Vernon. Quite a few. The brothers, they weren't taking that from the Italians. I remember they, they told the Italians who were on the north part of Mount Vernon, we're going to run you out of Mount Vernon. And, you know, the Italians are like, yeah, right, sure you are. And then they, I remember they had Ranzoni, Sonoboni, boxes of spaghetti. And they were going, we're going to run you spaghetti benders out of Mount Vernon. And you know what? They did. Yeah, that that that's another battle the Italians lost. They not only lost World War II, they lost Mount Vernon. <laughs> and they lost other neighborhoods. Brothers, show up. With big boxes around some son of only spaghetti. Yo, you spaghetti banners, we're running you out of here. Now, I'm not going to tell you what we said in return. Or we're going to start a riot out there. Let's just say it got very, very hot. See, the Italians were the last to move. As my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, said, One young, fatali fatatu. I mean, get the hell out of the house or shut up when you're eating and listen. If the fig tree dies, we move. If the fig tree lives through the winter, like weather now, you know, you put the mattress around it. You go up, you get the um, the roofing, you, you cover it with the tar paper. You light up barrels, you know, when it would go below freezing, the figs had to be saved because if the figs weren't saved, that was a signal from God. It was time to move with the other mighty whiteys, the McWhitey whiteys, the Supreme Cougines. My grandfather said, we're not moving. This is an actual tree or like a, like a, like a, you know, symbolic tree? No, it's the real fig tree. And in the winter, it was bad. <laughs> Man, let me tell you something. <laughs> My grandfather go out there nine times a day and check on that fig tree. And, you know, meantime, my mother and my sister said, I hope that tree dies. Yeah, y'all praying for the tree to die. I hope that tree dies. We got to get the hell out of here. Curtis is starting fights with everybody in the neighborhood. They're coming outside. They want to burn us out. A stupid tree. <laughs> And my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, he had hardening of the arteries. He had cataracts. He could barely see. He's smoking the crooked and the homeless cigars. One yawn, we're staying. Why didn't you poison the tree? <laughs> no. My mother and my sister, I wanted to stay. Are you kidding? Oh, you wanted to stay too? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, right. When they came up outside of my house, and they were, like, threatening to burn down the house. I'd say, okay, I see who they are. I'll get them. I'm going to jap them. Three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. I'm gonna ninja them. They're never gonna know what hit them. <laughs> you hitting everybody, in right? This, in this talk. <laughs> Half in the bag. They're going up to their house. They don't know what the hell hit them. That's right, Pete. It was me who hit you with that two by four at four o'clock in the morning. Pete, right now, is saying, "I knew it was him. I knew it was that Pollock. <laughs> what the hell did we let that Pollock in the neighborhood for?" Oh, it was so good. If the fig tree died. Hey, man, I would have been pouring dishwater in those roots. <laughs> Hardcore, man. 
hey, the Jews ran, the Irish ran, everybody ran. You know, all of a sudden, the guy at the real estate firm, Fillmore, right there on 92nd and Flatlands, they'd be calling up, yo, you see who moved on the corner? And right away, all the Jewish people, for sale signs, running. You know, they were the ones saying, oh, integration, we got to get along with black people. Moment they saw one moving on the block, gone. Out to Westbury, there, they meet the Irish, gone. Meantime, the Italians, ah, nah, we're not leaving. No, we're not leaving. I'm sorry, we're not leaving. Oh, and the race riots and the battles, Canarsie High School, South Shore. I told you what poor Al Roker had to go through. I mean, the poor guy is in uh, bad health now. Al Roker was living at the time in the Bayview Housing Projects, Exit 13, Belt Parkway, Rockaway Parkway. Howard Schultz, who's now CEO, third time of Starbucks, he's walking down flat, flat. I need that music, man. I need that. I need the stimulation, man. It's the 70s all over again. I'm in the club. And it's Howard Schultz walking down Flatlands Avenue. Back then, Canarsie High School, he's a degenerate gambler. He's looking for a card game in the Lucchese Club. He's taking care of Jeff Sally, who went on to become an NBA star. He's babysitting for Jeff Sally in the projects. Here's poor Al Roker's going to uh, Xavier High School. Jesuit High School near 6th Avenue, 14th Street. You had to take the LL train at that time, Lousy Line, Rockaway Parkway to 6th Avenue. Twice a week, they had to wear the cadet grays. This is in the middle of the Vietnam War. So Al Roker is walking down Rockaway Parkway, and my cousins, the Supreme Cougines, in their tow trucks, their cars, their GTOs, their muscle cars. Get the hell out of here. Bam. So Al Roker said, I got to run to the train station. Then he's finally in the train on his way to Xavier. He's wearing the grays. And all of a sudden, hippies are coming up to him. You're a baby killer. You just came from Vietnam. What are you doing on this train? They spit at him, smack him in the head. By the time he got to Xavier High School, he said, Curtis, I was exhausted. So I said to the headmaster, the Jesuit, I said, please, I... Don't let me wear the grace, you know, to, that's the rules here. A man's man's got to wear the gray cadet uniform. Poor Al Roker. Uh, now you know the rest of that story. And, you know, soon after that, he moved out of there to Southeast Queens. Oh, what a great time it was. Yeah, right? It sounds like a crazy time, right? Oh, this is the best. If I could go back tomorrow... And be a teenager again. We just take everything back to the 70s. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Would I do anything different? Hell yes, I would. Anyway, let's go to the phones here. You chop that tree down. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like George Washington and then tell my grandfather, Fidel Villanquino, I cannot lie. You know, I cannot lie. Chop the tree down. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. When my Uncle Sammy was growing up, he was like, uh, what, number 10 out of 13. They were on Skillman Street, downtown Brooklyn. Fidel Bianchino, he would work. Uh, he would dig ditches. He couldn't read, couldn't write. He would show up every day for a construction job. Most times, the Irish foreman would say, hey, day goes, guineas, wops. There's no work today. Come back tomorrow. And so he goes to the grocery store. And the uh, guy's a Jewish guy named Sammy, and he tells uh, my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, you know, you're, 
your son Vincent. He put his hand in the registry. He took some money. I wanted to let you know before I reported to the police. <laughs> Fidel said, don't worry. I got it, Sammy. You won't have a problem from Vincenzo anymore. He comes home. He ties up Uncle Vincent, and he puts food underneath his nose while the other kids are watching. Because you're hungry? You're hungry now, huh? Because, yeah, yeah, Pop, I'm hungry. Oh, you disgrace our name. I'll be on Kino name. You're a thief. Let me, come on, come here, come here in the bedroom. He jumped on top of him. He broke his arm. He broke his wrist. What would happen nowadays? Child welfare, you know, he'd be on the front page of the New York Post, the Daily News. Let me tell you something. Uncle Vincent, he would have ended up in Attica. No doubt about it. He would have been upstate with the rest of those Gavones. By the way, he ended up going to reform school. I got to tell you a story about that sometime. Uh, The truant officer would come home looking for Vincennes and my other uncle, and they were cutting school, and they would hide under the snow before there was global warming and climate change where you had a lot of snow, and they'd be breathing through a straw (laughs) as the truant officer would come to where my my mom was living at that time with uh, my grandfather and grandmother, Nicoletta. She was doing seamstress work at home. And the truant officer said, uh, I got bad news for you, Mrs. Bianchino, looking for your sons. You know, they haven't been in school in three days. What? And then all of a sudden he's walking back and he sees this straw sticking up out of the snow. So he grabs them out of there. And all of a sudden they go to court, family court. My grandfather couldn't work that day, which meant, wow, no pasta vazul on the table. You know, you get ugats, u- u- nothing. And the judge says, you know, Pops, uh, I'm going to put him in reform school. He goes, with pleasure. Please keep him in reform school. It's hardcore. It's the way it should be. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Patricia calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Patricia. Good morning, Curtis. What you did and the guardian angels did yesterday to help those poor souls on the subways, I am so grateful to God for you and your people. You have done so much for this city. Uh, There's no words to really thank you. I'm just always amazed by your bravery. I really am. Patricia, let me... Yeah, let me give edification edification to the rest of our audience that may not know what you're referring to. There's a big article in the New York Post. you got to go online. You'll see it. Uh, we had one patrol out in the Bronx on the trains. When we do a subway patrol, it's always three guardian angels, one in the back car, which is usually the car with the problems, one in the middle, one in the front, and they walk up and down. This way they check on all the passengers. So they started at 9 o'clock up at Kingsbridge Road, not far from the empty armory. So they took the number four train, and then all of a sudden they're at 138th Street. And they see that there's this guy, he's an emotionally disturbed guy, and he has a baby in his hand, and he's screaming at a woman who's across from him in the car. She doesn't know him. She's never seen him before. He's like ready to get up. He's got the baby in his arm. He's screaming. He wants to punch her. And the guys grabbed him, but they had to be very careful so that the baby would not be hurt. They removed her into a different car, 
And we rode out, couldn't find any cops at that point, calmed the guy down, and unfortunately we had to let him on his way because he had the baby. Then on the way back on the D train at 167th Street, it's about 11.15, they're walking through the cars, and the D train, the doors don't open, so you have to jump from station to station. And when they come into the car, there's a man and a woman, young adults, and they're smacking the hell out of a senior citizen woman who's about 75 years old. She's crying. Nobody's jumping in. They jump this guy, and they jump the woman. They grab him. The cops come, I think, from the 4-4 precinct who happened to be in the area, not uh, from the 11th uh, Transit Police Precinct. They took him away, and then they give him a disappearance ticket, a desk appearance ticket, instead of locking him up. And then, really, the, the really sad one, a guy calls us up. He had been taking the number six train on Friday night. He was coming home from Bloomingdale's. He works his shift until about 9 o'clock at night. And every night he takes the six train up to Westchester Square. At 125th Street, the doors close, and it's on their way up through the Bronx. And this guy just comes up to him randomly. This is happening all over our city, especially in the subways, and starts hitting him, punching him. Breaks his nose, seven stitches. He runs up in the front car to where the conductor is. He says, you got to get the cops. You got to get the cops. Now, this emotionally disturbed person just sits in that car. He ain't leaving. They get to Hunts Point, the station on the 6th train. They happen to be cops on the platform. The conductor asks them to come on the train. They see the victim here, Eric Martinez, who is 40. They walk back to the guy. The guy is sitting in a seat. And the cops say, did you punch this guy, Eric Martinez? He's bleeding out at that time. He's really in bad shape. And the guy goes, yeah, so what? So what? They cuff him. They bring him in. This guy has been busted so many times before. He's been busted about 28 times. Guy's name is Leonard Thompson, age 36, supposedly homeless, who's supposed to be on trial in January for armed robbery. What he's doing out on the streets of the subways is beyond me. But unfortunately, this is what is happening in our city morning, noon, and night now, and especially in the subways. And I was very proud of the Bronx Patrol for intervening. Big Tommy, uh, the Super, and Popeye, they all have great nicknames. They risked their life on three occasions uh, two occasions uh, within uh, two hours. But this is what guardian angels do to try to help the cops and try to get control of this situation, Patricia. Oh, Curtis, I will never have proper words to thank you and your folks. Seriously, you are our only hope. And, yes, I voted for you. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know, I lost fair and square to Eric Adams. He, uh, Swagger Man, does not have a plan. Uh, on Sunday, I'll go more in depth to his so-called plan uh, to try to get the homeless and the emotionally disturbed uh, people forcibly removed from the uh, subways, the streets, and the parks. But there's no plan to do it. And I'll go into the nitty-gritty details. If you want to read what I just spoke about, just go to the New York Post online. You can see what the Guardian Angels did earlier 
on Saturday. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Straightened out about this song. Thought it was Elton John with Britney Spears. Wrong. I accepted that constructive criticism and I sucked it up. But it's a great song. No doubt about it. And uh, we are moving to the groove. In the wee hours of the morning, there are a lot of clubs that are letting out now. People are tuning in to WABC, their place to be, and they're saying, oh, my God. This doesn't sound like old fogey radio at all. This guy's like 68 years old, soon to be 69, and he's like kicking it, kicking it. And remember, I was uh, chastised uh, Broadway Billy on Friday, substituting for the missing in action Frank Morano. What a goal break, what a slacker, what a deadbeat. He keeps taking more time off, and I'm just eating up his real estate. And I realize that after four hours of just yakking, 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 as one of the callers pointed out, you only took three calls. There's a guy from Suffolk County. I think it was Robert. And it dawned on me. That's right. I was like a male yenta. I was just dominating the conversation. It was like a stream of consciousness. I was moving in a million different directions. And then I realized I got to make it up to our audience because I don't interview guests. To me, it's a waste of time. You know, they, they already have memorized their lines. You're not going to really shake them from their train of thought. I tried that one time with Nick Cannon, right? This Before Nick Cannon flipped the script and all of a sudden uh, started to uh, worship Farrakhan. This is when he was like... Uh, Milk toast. He was like Ryan Sequest, the black Ryan Sequest. I interviewed him on the stage of then the Best Buy Theater in Times Square at a radio uh, conference of about 4,000 people there. And for 45 minutes, I could not shake this guy. You know, it was yes, no, nothing controversial. He would not. He was like Derek Jeter. And, you know, I said to myself, I'll never do that on the radio. Never. I used to do that. I'm never going to do it again. I'd rather not be on the radio if I have to talk to guests who already have memorized their lines, like thespians. You know, like uh, Marlon Brando and The Godfather. You know, he did a great job acting, but a lot of people don't realize when he'd be talking to Sonny or uh, Michael Corleone or Fredo, they actually were wearing oak tag with his lines on it because he couldn't remember his lines. So when he'd be looking at him. You'd only see it from his uh, facial point as he's looking at Michael or Sonny or Fredo. He'd be reading his lines that were taped on Oak Tag to those actors. 
couldn't remember any of his lines. And yet, what I think he, what he win an Academy Award performance set or nominated, I don't quite remember. That's not the one where Pocahontas came up and received the award uh, to decry the treatment of Native Indians, a.k.a. Uh, First Nation people. Uh, oh, God, they have so many names for it. I heard Anthony Weiner earlier on In the Middle talking about all the Indian nations, and I said, I just want Chief Wahoo back from the old Cleveland Indians. That's all I want. Man, oh, what happened? What happened? It's like I got vertigo, man. It's just spinning around a mile a minute. So I made a vow to Robert in Suffolk that I would take calls, calls. And I've been doing it ever since. i got to make up for lost time. You know me, uh, Broadway Billy, I promised. And I realized I screwed the audience. It was all about me. You know, I was talking to myself, which I oftentimes do. You know, when I'm taking my uh, monthly shower or I'm feeding the pigeons outside. What was that? Uh, remember that uh, picture, Avery? Uh, phone screener, you're no longer telephone talent coordinator. That's a ridiculous title. I think it was in Home Alone 2. Remember the woman feeding the pigeons? Remember, she didn't have many lines until the end. You know, with Pesci and all that. Remember, she was feeding the pigeons. That's me. I talk to the pigeons, man. And the pigeons, they, like, react. I'm the pigeon man. There's a hundred pigeons now that follow me all over the city. When I go in the subway, obviously, they don't fly in the subway. But somehow they know where I'm going to emerge. Like when I'm at the studios at WABC, people here know I'm coming here. So Curtis is on its way. How do you know? There's a hundred pigeons waiting outside to be fed. And you know, I do my best talk when I'm talking to pigeons as I'm feeding them. Even better than when I'm talking to myself. You see, I need to purge myself. And it's very therapeutic, especially the best side of the other side of midnight that I can go on these rambling uh, diatribes where even after like 20 or 30 minutes, I say to myself, did I say all of that? Did I really mean all of that? Yes, I did. So let's go back to the phone so I can make up for lost time. Oh, my God. I apologize for not having taken those calls this past Friday. Uh, substituting for the missing in action, Mama Luke Frank Morano. So let's go to Danny calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Danny. Yo, Curtis, yeah, a long time. I, I got to tell you, yeah, you, you were saving my life in the 70s, riding the one train down to high school from 242nd Street down to 72nd Street every day with the, the Red Berets. And your jackets were were a welcome sight. Now, what high school were you going to at the time, Danny? Uh, it was just a little private school right next to Phoenix House on 74th Street, on West 74th Street. We used to joke, when we graduate from Baldwin High School, you go right to Phoenix House. That's true. That's true. A lot of, a lot of people were strung out and then ended up uh, going to uh, Phoenix House. I always uh, had good experiences in Phoenix House. Uh, I would uh, be asked to lecture at many of the Phoenix Houses all over all over the tri-state area. Uh, I always found that out of the different places uh, that I had been to, the rehab centers, uh, they always seemed to run the best the best programs. And uh, 
I believe, I'm trying to just think to myself, thinking, thinking Mitch Rosenthal was the director. I think recently he passed away. I got along very well with him. Uh, I've been to other rehab centers in which I, I'd walk around and I'd realize, wow, these uh, these guys uh, and gals with uh, drug, drug problems, they're getting over on these folks. But I always felt that Phoenix House was a really sharp, uh, well-run organization. Now, you didn't end up in uh, Phoenix House, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, you know, it was you know, it was one of one of the uh, the major ones, the ones that started the whole regime of doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and it was so badly needed because the state, the city, the federal government. They really didn't know how to handle that. They had no idea how well, to handle well, that, that. That neighborhood was 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 uh, what was it? Needle Park was right around the corner. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, right? It's Seventy Second and Broadway. Uh, right, that was Needle Park. Right, and that's where the movie was made with um, Al Pacino in the movie. Right, Panic in Needle Park. Right, yeah. and I tell people who live there now, a lot of the hipsters and millennials, and they say, "I oh, can't." Ah, oh, people are shooting up here. I said, "Yes." In fact, those that area was where the first battles between uh, Jerry the Whale Nadler, who was the local, I think, assembly person at that time. He wasn't uh, right. I know him. I you know I'm a, I'm in my sixties too, so I know right. And he was battling the builder at that time, Donald Trump. They hated one another because Trump was trying to get permission to build some of those buildings along the west side over the Amtrak trains, which eventually he succeeded in doing. But his nemesis was always the whale, Gerald Nadler. And uh, oftentimes uh, the politicians, they would they would do no politicking right by there, 72nd Street, the entrance uh, to the 1, 2, and 3 train, because the dope fiends were all over there. Oh, tell me about it. You know, uh, again, you know, I, I, I had to take that train – I took it. I lived up in uh, what I call. I, I'm living up there still at the, at, the, at my stage in life, but uh, Reeferdale, I call it. But Reeferdale, <laughs> you know. Now that's and, it. That's the question, Danny. I've been in Riverdale many times, and I'm always yeah. a Weisenheimer. And I say to the people, I say, "You're the Bronx. You're not Riverdale. No, no, we're Riverdale. No, you're the Bronx." And, and I said, "Why do you have a name?" that separates you from the Bronx. And they say to me, well, isn't it evident? So what do you mean by that? I don't feel that way. I, you know, I'm a, I, I feel as though I, I'm a Bronx boy. That's, that's my blood. Now, Danny, you know? uh, when you were living in Riverdale, did you ever see Willie Mays walking around there? He lived right up there. I know that. I know at the time, actually, he was living in the neighborhood when I was growing up, because I'm 62. Yes. So I'm I'm a bit younger than you. But I was growing up in the neighborhood when he was living over there, when he was playing for the Mets. That's right. And then, and, not far from where Willie Mays was living in that apartment house, was the Russian embassy that was wired up like a Christmas tree. They were listening to everything. I, I remember when they were building it. Yeah, they, they were listening to everybody's phone calls, man. <laughs> I only lived at that point. I lived, you know, Skyview, the, the the big three buildings? Yes. I lived in Netherland Gardens right below Skyview. And when they and I went to PS 81. 
Yeah, and then uh, naturally a lot of the kids. And that's where they built the, the Russian embassy was right behind PS 81. Yeah, a little further up. A lot of the kids there went to Horace Mann and Elite High School. And then, oh, uh, yeah, they were the rich kids, yeah. And then, you know, a Riverdale Day School, or whatever they call that, uh, of course. Oh, Riverdale uh, Country Day School. Yeah, Country, yeah, country know, Day. Right? What, what, what kind of a man's man would say, I go to Riverdale Country Day School? It's like Sid Rosenberg. Oh, I go into Poly Prep uh, country, uh, country Day School. How weak is that? You know, I, mean, I got to admit, I did go to a little you know, private school in Manhattan. But again, you know, it was, it was, we were for the kids that were a little bit off kilter, you know. So, you know, so we were, you know, the ones you, that, uh, Danny, you were a little titched. You were a little titched. We would say, hey, they're robots. They're titched. You know, they're. Right. And, and, and thank God my father had enough money to afford the uh, tuition, you know. Oh, and let me tell you, when drugs were flowing, the dope dealers knew, man, just hang outside of those private elite schools because those kids, you know, they already are living off a of blind trust, man. They were keeping those dope dealers in business. Oh, you know it. You know it. And, 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 and the stuff nowadays that they're, that they're getting, nowadays they're walking around they're smoking vape things. You know, they're not even having to roll it up in the paper because they use a vape. Yeah, no, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, Danny. In fact, in a few hours, I'm going to give everybody an update on what's happening in Jersey and New York in terms of the sale of what is now legal recreational use of marijuana. And now they're claiming that some of the pop-up stores, which are illegally selling it, are selling tainted marijuana now, I don't know if that's so true or if it's just a ruse to get customers not to go to the pop-up stores. All of a sudden, they're selling tainted marijuana, and we're not talking with fentanyl. We're talking about with other chemical agents. And I'm saying, oh, what is it? Now, all of a sudden, he's got, oh, 20 of these uh, illegal pop-up stores that are selling marijuana, and marijuana products are selling tainted marijuana, and I'm saying, Hmm, why now that they're ready to open up the first legally licensed uh, location in which you can uh, purchase your uh, uh, marijuana for recreational use that obviously tax dollars will go to the state and the city, support education, other programs. But they all of a sudden release this report. Oh, a lot of those pop-up stores, uh, you know, they're selling tainted. It's like tainted Tylenol. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
Yeah, this guy, one name, Hathaway. He's a Trinity man, TNT. I think he hangs out in Germany. I remember when this song was uh, released, it was the bomb. In fact, all the clubs had this. It was considered very liberal, very progressive. And in fact, uh, especially the gay clubs would play this like nonstop. And you know, Mark Levin, and you can hear Monday through Fridays from 6 to 9. This is his favorite song. And I had to sort of give him a little bit of the background of who Hathaway was. I think he lives in Germany now, sponsors a baseball team over there. He loved baseball. I mean, imagine a baseball team in Germany. See, that would be the equivalent. That's why I applauded the loss of Team USA in soccer, because that's their game. The Netherlands. I mean, look, even Italy isn't even in the World Cup, right? That's their game. It's not our game. It would be like if all of a sudden Hathaway had his team in Germany play for the World Series, right? It's not their game. It's an aberration. You know, it's okay. They got a baseball team. I got baseball teams in Australia, baseball teams in Japan, Korea, Taiwan. Well, let's face it, man. It's our sport. We call it a World Series. It's like only one foreign team, and that's in Toronto, and it's mostly Americans or South Americans, excuse me, West Indians or Caribbeans or South Americans playing on that team. We don't have teams from all over the world. We call it a World Series, right? Because we always consider ourselves the best, pretentious, obnoxious, obstinate. And that's why I was so happy when we lost We lost World Cup to Netherlands and got knocked out. Oh, man, you should have seen the young guys here at WABC. They were sitting shiver. They were crestfallen. I said, hey, 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 come on. We can't win everything. And by the way, I hate, I hate with a passion that fake, phony, fraudulent football they spell with a U. Kickball, kickball, go! God, it's so boring. It's so un-American. Football in America is smash-mouth football, and that's what it'll always be. Let's go to the phones. And uh, to Ann in Staten Island, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Um, I was wondering, I know apparently that Sid is pretty well manipulated by Eric Adams. And I was wondering, do you really think that you could stop a meeting between um, Eric Adams and uh, Rudy Giuliani? Because that that's, like, ridiculous. I don't even know why Sid wants to get them together. Well, he wants, to be, he wants to be the big fish, the big kingmaker. He wants to do the shirach. But I will tell you this, Ann. I think I've compromised enough to say, look, I'm not going to stand in the way any longer. Uh, I will give my blessing to a meeting between Eric Adams and uh, Rudy Giuliani, because Rudy Giuliani knows everything about public safety. He can straighten the city out, give a little advice to Eric Adams. But only under this condition, Ann, Eric Adams must come on Sid Rosenberg's show, as he has recently, and and apologize for calling Rudy Giuliani a racist. Uh I think that's fair. And then they could have their sit-down. And hopefully Eric Adams learned something from that. Now, I'm not even going to add into it. 
that I want him to apologize uh, to me because in the campaign he called me a racist, a misogynist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, all the phobes. I was I was called every phobe in the world. I don't want apologies. But I think if uh, Rudy is going to sit down with him, they got to take care of the business of Eric Adams apologizing. Remember when that tape was released after the election, which you say to yourself, boy, it would have helped me if it had been uh, released in the middle of the election when we were campaigning against one another. You remember that tape where he was telling an audience in Harlem, I kicked those white crackers asses every day when I was in the police department. Yeah. He apologized for that because the pressure was on. But he never apologized to Rudy Giuliani, who he called a racist. And I will put my personal prejudice aside about uh, the need to meet with uh, Rudy. And I would say, yeah, let them have their meeting. And hopefully Eric Adams can learn something because this city is like just slipping into the abyss with all the crime in. But Eric Adams is not going to, you know, he he's just going to BS his way out of it. Just like he did. Well, Rudy's not going to fall for it. But, Boyle, I can't believe that Sid falls for it. I mean, the guy gushes over Sid, and Sid thinks he's like Mr. Perfect. You know, that Eric Adams is, is, is Mr. Perfect. He's going to try. He hasn't done anything in a year. Well, look be- look at this, Ann. You know what the attraction is. Let me Let me see if you're good enough to figure it out. What is the attraction that Sid has towards Eric Adams? What's the one thing that Sid is always talking about that he feels uh, passionately about? Himself. <laughs> That's true. But no, he, he loves fashion, as you remember. His very dear friend, Joseph Aboud, who is a great designer, Makes great suits, customized suits for Sid. He used to have the shop in uh, Manhattan near uh, Rockefeller Center, but he's since retired. So Sid loves a man who wears fancy suits, customized suits like him. So when Sid is standing there in his Joseph Laboud suits, and Eric Adams is there, and I'll reveal to you this coming week where he gets his $5,000 customized suits uh, from and who his personal uh, tailor is. So naturally, when the both of them are standing there together, it's like a fashion show. Uh-huh. So that's yeah. that's what I think has brought them together. Eric Adams will look at Sid and he will say, wow, man, that is a nice suit. And then Sid will look at his suit and say, oh, that is a great suit. And so they'll spend the first 10 or 15 minutes talking about apparel, suits and socks and shirts, you know, things that I would never discuss and a lot of other men or women wouldn't discuss. But it's like and two women meeting for the first time who are fashionistas. You know how they'll compliment one another about the dress, or they'll say, where did you get that material? And, oh, yeah, I had a designer. And they'll spend like half the conversation talking about fashion because Sid loves fashion, Eric Adams loves fashion. And I think that's what has brought them together. Whereas when Bernard was alive, uh, Bernard was not a fashion plate. I'm not a fashion plate. So immediately we have nothing in common 
with Eric Adams, I think the fashion, uh, fashionista thing is what joins them at the hip. Well, that could be. And, and you know, it, it, it's it, it's just like Sid makes excuses for that. I can't even listen to Sid anymore. It's either, should I vote for Trump? Should I not vote for Trump? Oh, but Eric Adams, he's really my friend, my good friend, Eric I mean, it's come on, you know, like. Well, Ann, I, Ann, I, I want to ask you, I want to deputize you as I want to deputize all of our listeners. Uh, and please listen uh, to Sid Rosenberg as much as you can, because I need you to rat him out to me to let me know what he's saying, because I can't always listen, you know, with all the uh, work I'm doing with the Guardian Angels trying to fight the ever-growing crime problem in the subway, in the streets, in the parks. That will be a tremendous favor if you can do that. And I realize it may be pushing you to the edge. It may be asking a lot. Uh, but I beg of you, four hours a day, five days a week, six to ten Monday through Fridays. Talking about him too much. He complains about that, you know. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Curtis, your shows are so much more informative. And you're so right when I listen to you. Everything you say, I may not always agree with certain things, but... Basically, everything you say and your show is so much more informative. You don't need a slew of guests because you are intelligent enough that what you have to say is educational, it's informative. Well, it's well I, will, I will tell you this in defense of Sid. Uh, having done mornings myself, first Angels in the Morning with Lisa, who was my wife from 91 to 94, and then with Ron Kuby, whose mommy is a commie for nine years, uh, we uh, we did interview a lot of guests. It's it's important because the kind of uh, radio you do in the morning is a lot different than the kind of radio I'm doing here, which is theater of the mind, which is more uh, more involved in taking phone calls because I believe in call driven uh, shows as opposed to guest driven shows. So Sid is doing the right kind of show in the morning, and the ratings are bearing that out. He's leading the pack. In the tri-state area. And that benefits all of us. Those of us who broadcast during the week. I broadcast from 12.15 to 1 o'clock Monday through Fridays after the O'Reilly 15-minute update. And I broadcast all weekend long. Uh, five different shifts. It's the Quinella. Uh, and I benefit as do all talk show hosts and hostesses. So as you understand how the ratings work out, it's the, it's your life and death. It's how we survive. Sid gets a really high rating, which is like a relay race. So uh, he is competing against all the other morning shows, of which there are many. That's where most of the listeners are in the mornings because it's it's before people eventually uh, have to get out of their cars or whatever they're doing and go to work, and then they have limited opportunity to listen. So he's getting the bulk of the listeners who would be able to listen to talk radio from about 6 to 9, and then it begins to trail off the rest of the day into the evening. You never have as many people listening to the radio the rest of the hours of the 24 hours. Most will listen between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. And that's why you'll have your best your best personnel, your best shows there, because you have your most listeners. And what he does is he gives us uh, such a fast start that it's like a relay race. It enables us to beat our competitors without having to really break stride. So it's good for the station. 
It's good for the listeners. They're going to be people, people who like Sid. They're going to be people who don't like Sid. Uh, but it's really helpful having Sid Rosenberg uh, in the mornings because it jumpstarts us ahead of all the competition. And then we're able to keep it that way. Let's go to Richard in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Richard. Hey, Curtis. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, listen, uh, yeah, how you doing? Uh, I just wanted to, you, you do it a law firm at, where you state that Andrew Cuomo never said that the nursing homes would have to take COVID patients. But I'm almost 100% sure that he said that if you don't take COVID patients, you're going to have a problem with licensing. And that to me is like, almost like I'll make you an offer you cannot refuse. Ah, like the Godfather. I, I, yeah, I believe he said that. Well, you know what I'll do? Uh, just to be able to straighten that out, Richard, I'll do a whole segment on that. I'll do a deep dive. I'll go back to the audio tapes and then play a series of them. In fact, I'll do a whole hour just on Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Francia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, uh, Fredo, Chris Cuomo, and their wartime consigliere who just got out of jail, who has the chutzpah now to go in front of the United States Supreme Court and ask that his record be thrown out after doing six years in a federal camp for political corruption on behalf of the Cuomos. That's Joe Pococo. I'll definitely, in fact, uh, tomorrow, in my many different shifts, probably, um, I would say probably between 9 and 11, I'll do a full hour of Cuomo, and I'll do a deep dive on that, Richard. You actually, you make a very good point there. I'd be listening. Curtis, can I have a twofer? What's that? What's the twofer? Where did Richard go? Yeah, I'm right here. What's the twofer you'd like? Yeah, the twofer. You mentioned about the marijuana. (laughs) I have to tell you a funny story. Yes. You know, the, you know the food trucks that we see all all over the city. Sure. And on the back of the trucks, they usually have a generator, right? Yeah, generator. They propane day, or they have propane uh, propane tank. Right. Yeah. The other day, I was traveling down my car, and uh, one of these marijuana trucks came across in front of me, and on the back of the truck, I th- I thought it was a, a generator. Guess what it was? What? An ATM machine. I cracked up. I <laughs> so believe it. one of the weed wagons had an ATM machine strapped on the back. Yes, sir. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense because they, it's a cash business. They they can't open up a bank account. You see, the federal government has ruled that marijuana is a stage one drug. Uh, the DEA prohibits. Uh, anybody from uh, opening up bank accounts who is selling marijuana, even legally uh, in the state where they're able to do so either for medical marijuana or for uh, the recreational use of marijuana. So they have a tough time uh, because what do they do with all that money if you don't put it in a bank? And think about it, Richard. If you don't put it in a bank and you take it to your house, there are eyeballs on you who have figured it out that, hey, they can't put it in a bank, so they're probably bringing it to their house. That's why you have a lot of home invasions. People who are selling marijuana legally in some of these states, 
have found that they become targets for home invasions because they can't open up a bank account. Uh-huh. I mean, that's got that's got to change. I mean, I mean, let's face it. Whether you like marijuana, you don't like marijuana, you think it should be legal, it's not legal. There are licenses in some of the states. Men and women have to compete for them. They have to prove that they're worthy to have the license. They have to invest in the business. So now they're finally making money. It's, it's got to be a cash business because they can't deposit anything. And what the hell do they do with that money? I mean, that that's something I got to do a deep dive on. I, I think uh, I, I'm going to do uh, another hour on the legal uh, recreational uh, use uh, drugs that are being sold, the various ancillary projects, uh, the CBD and other products that are being sold, and then, obviously, the medical marijuana that is being sold from uh, legal dispensaries that are licensed by, in this case, New Jersey, soon New York, Massachusetts, California, uh, Colorado. It's like, what do the owners and operators do with all that cash? I, I believe that there is a connection in a lot of these places. I have seen an increase in home invasions and I would bet you there are a lot of people who stand outside these uh, storefronts and they clock people. So they know how many people are going in. They know how many people are coming out. Uh, towards the end of the day, they know whoever the owners or operators are or the managers are probably carrying the cash out and probably going to bring it home and store it somewhere in the house or the basement or the attic or the garage or maybe in a hidden uh, drop box or a safe and then they do a home invasion, and they hit the jackpot. They hit the jackpot. Yeah, I got I got to do an hour on that because nobody's addressing that whatsoever. Let's go to Virginia in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Virginia. Um, Curtis, I, I just have two points I want to make. First of all, I think the ratings really went sky high with Sid because – Nobody's giving Lou the credit that he has. He knows just how to play that music that actually uh, it it bounces off of what Sid says. Ah, so you mean he really, uh, he, uh, you're 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 right. Having uh, done the morning show uh, on Thursdays uh, for about twenty minutes, Lou is an expert at conflating the music with Sid, and it almost at times it's like Prozac. It calms Sid down. Exactly. I always said Sid is like a volcano, and Bernie used, Bernie used to calm him down, and he is wonderful. He could move mountains, but he needs that underneath way to really, like you said, calm him down and really become excellent. But he doesn't give Lou enough credit. Ah, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're right. You're right. I'm going to have a conversation with Sid because I have noticed uh, Lou, who has worked with Sid for so many years, knows the particular musical selections that uh, it's almost like musical Prozac to Sid. It really does calm him down, and he'll he'll recite, oh, I first heard that at a concert, uh, you know, down in Miami Beach, and then all of you all happy. He's not, uh, he's not uh, uh, kvetching, he's kvelling. You're absolutely right, Virginia. I mean, I, I noticed that because, like I said, it's almost like a, a show, a play. And yet, it, it just it, his behavior is just better. Okay, that's why those ratings really increased. Any anyway about the, the meeting, 
I'm not happy about that meeting. You said you were going to try to stop it. Now you're coming to a compromise. Well, well, they haven't accepted. No, no, they have not accepted that. I have suggested that because I want to make sure that Eric Adams says on this station, the most powerful news station in the nation, uh, uh, does uh, a correction of that because you know what's happened in print because the mayor has called uh, Rudy Giuliani a racist. It pops up from time to time when you do a Google. If he corrects that, then that will be removed. And it's really not fair to Rudy that he's being called a racist by Eric Adams. I think uh, if he's willing to do that, which I don't think he will do, Virginia, he's obstinate, he's headstrong, he's stubborn. And remember, he uh, he truly believes that us crackers are racist. I mean, he said it over and over. So I'm a cracker. Rudy's a cracker. The cops he worked with are crackers. And he, he truly believes we're all racist if we're white. Yes, he always said that. I know that. And I just feel like he'll go back to his friends and make fun of Rudy trying to help. And somehow Rudy will not be the great mayor anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Sid has gone on record, Virginia, as saying that this dinner is December 14th. Although uh, no one from City Hall, nobody from the mayor's office has given the green light to it. You see, the biggest problem that Eric Adams has is if he agrees to sit down with Rudy, everybody's going to know. There's no way to hide anything like that. And boy, is he going to get grief from Democrats who are going to say sitting with Rudy is like sitting with Donald Trump. And they are going to make life miserable uh, for Eric Adams. Uh, So let's see what he decides to do. My hunch, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. I just don't like. I just don't like it. I don't see that in the future. It brings anything to anybody uh, except harm. That's all my feeling. No, good point. I, I just. And I'll keep. Uh, I'll keep our audience in the loop as to what transpires. Uh, again, I've gone on record as saying the only way I'll stop lobbying against this meeting, the only way I'll stop trying to call Rudy Giuliani and dissuade him from having a sit down, because you know. Uh, it's like the Friars Club. Uh, Rudy is standing there, excuse me, sitting there, and he's getting a call from me telling him, don't have the meeting. Then he gets a call from Sid, do have the meeting. Sometimes we're calling simultaneously. Sometimes he puts us on speaker, and we're talking to him both together. And uh, Sid will say, why are you trying to convince him not to have the dinner? And I'll say, why are you trying to have a dinner with Eric Adams and Rudy Giuliani before cleaning up this uh, this idea that Rudy is a racist? Oh, you should hear some of our conversations. You should hear it, man. We're like at each other's throats. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Who can translate 
what this uh, song means, Soul Marcosa. Oh, it was a great jam. I remember so many people on the dance floor to this. And what African country is this uh, singer from that was like a one-hit wonder for us? Can you imagine uh, Frank the Mama Luke on the dance floor trying to dance, spin, whirl, and twirl to a soul Makosa? So the conga line starts. So you out on the dance floor doing the hustle, the Patty Duke, the bus stop, the bump. Then all of a sudden the conga line starts. And you got all these McWhitey Whiteys dancing to this African prince who's singing this song in words that nobody knows. That's why it's so Marcosa's there. It's like a snake chum playing that horn, making sure that snake is wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Just beware, because that cobra will bite you. And it's venomous. Oh, yeah. Just stay awake. Don't fade. Don't go to sleep. Don't nod out. It's so Marcosa time. Tanga tanga ombusa tanga, nesa Marcosa na. Marcosa, 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 Marcosa. So good, so good. Perfect lead in the next hour. We're going to leave it to uh, Avery, our phone screener and our nighttime producer, to bisect and dissect the past week of the Mamaluke and missing in action now, Frank Morano. I have no idea if he's even going to be here Monday morning. I may have to just talk straight through. Where the hell is Frank Morano? Nobody wants to know. Remember how Matt Lauer, before he became Udiscraziata on the... Uh, Channel 4, what was that? Uh, morning show or whatever they call that. Today's show. Remember how they'd say, where in the world is Matt Lauer? For us, it's where in Staten Island is Frank Morano? Anyway, let's go to Robert, who's calling from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Thank you, Curtis. I'm letting the cat out of the bag. Earlier <laughs> this week... Earlier this week, Frank Verano said on the radio he's going on vacation to Mexico City. What? Yes, he did. Mexico? That's right. 
the only place that I could have imagined that he would go, because you may have seen that big story in Acapulco, people were on the beach, you know, they were in the uh, lawn chairs, they were drinking their um, all their exotic uh, beverages, you know, martinis and cocktails and uh, drinking their... Uh, um, <laughs> what they call the knockout uh, knockout drinks, and remember the dead bodies were floating ashore, the victims of the narco cartels, and the people didn't even move out of their their beach chairs because it was so they couldn't stop drinking. Oh yeah, oh. I bet you that I believe there's a lot of casinos in Mexico too. Yes, yes, there are. Oh my God, Acapulco. Cancun, and now they're trying to lure, they're trying to bribe people to come down because it's so dangerous, especially here they were strewn all over the beaches of Acapulco, and dead body parts were washing ashore who had been the victims of the the battles between the uh, narco, uh, narco gangs down there. Yeah, that's right. So you heard him say this when? Um... It was the morning show on Tuesday morning, two days before he left. Wow. Wow. And I I was told he's missing in action. He's missing in action. People don't know where to find him. I'm wondering right now in that, that little cabana that they have in Acapulco, what do you think he's having? You think he's having a Bloody Mary? You think he's having uh, cerveza? You think he's having uh, the margaritas? What do you think? Yeah, he's somewhere. He's somewhere lost in Margaritaville, man. Yeah, well, uh, let me ask you, Avery. Avery, um, at times you're on loan to the Frank Morano show when uh, the runway model Ken gets lost coming in from eastern Pennsylvania across the bridge over the river to Phillipsburg, and then hopefully up here to New York. Half the time, I mean, two times out of five times out of the week he gets lost. Did he give any hint uh, as to where he all of a sudden disappeared to? Who, Frank? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he, he said something about uh, another wedding. It's like everybody in his family gets married. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I think it's a cover. Yeah, me too. I just think he <laughs> he wants to drink that tequila. And hit the casinos. The margarita and hit the casinos yeah. because it's a hell of a lot cheaper down there now because they're finding it difficult to get tourists because of all the uh, drive-by shootings, uh, the gang killings, the tainted drugs. You know, obviously people buy drugs down there, too, and they're getting laced with fentanyl. So I appreciate you giving us a heads up. Man, this is, this, oh, you're welcome. It's funny, though. All his all his relatives that get married, they all have destination weddings. So he has to leave and go somewhere. Well, that's what he says. I know. That's very, very peculiar. Yeah, and we haven't seen anything posted, right? No. Yeah. I, I, I don't buy that. And, Robert... I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for being such a good rat in eating the Parmesan cheese. Yes. Oh, I remember from last night. You didn't know where he was, so. No, they didn't tell me. They told me, hey, uh, he's missing in action. We don't know what's going on in his life. You know, he is an enigma at times. Frank Morano cannot be found. Uh, so I think he's just throwing us off the track.
I really do. But um, I think he's down there for the booze. I think he's down there for the gambling. And I think uh, probably because Acapulco, after this last disaster involving tourists, is probably giving away chips, giving away rooms, and giving away margaritas. You know what a lush Frank is. Ah, man. Telling you. I am telling you. Let's go to Pamela real quick in central New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pamela. Hi, Curtis. Um, I just wanted to know if you had any guardian angels out there in Musco, uh, Idaho, where the murders took place. Maybe they, you know, because I know everybody's terrified out there. So, Yeah, no, actually, the closest we have them uh, is on the other side of Mount Hood, which is Portland, Oregon. But we will devote an hour. Uh, tomorrow night, well, not tomorrow night, uh, although it might be tomorrow night if I got a substitute for Frank Morano from 1 to 5. Wow, nobody can find where Frank Morano is. Well, anyway, at some point in the next uh, 36 hours, we will have a full-blown discussion of all the mishigash going on in uh, Idaho. My wife, Nancy, has prepared the timeline. She worked very diligently on that, but I felt tonight, this morning... I really had to do due diligence and make up for all the times I haven't been taking phone calls because I've said it's call-driven, and I think we've proven that. But now it's on to bisecting and dissecting the last week of Frank Morano. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. This uh, is uh, Frank Morano's theme song now by the Intruders, dedicated to Mama. As you know, his uh, nickname is Mama Luke. And there's no better song than this, right? His mother, Stephanie, worked hard, worked two jobs just to make ends meet, along with his father, Carmine, and sent him to NYU just to become a violet. And then to become an intern at WABC, a producer for me and many different shows that I did. Eventually made his bones. They gave him a opportunity to do a show at the previous network he was on, AM 970, The Answer. Buried him uh, to a meaningless uh, location and time. And then he was given the opportunity that he truly deserved by John and Margot Katzmatidis right here at WABC. And he's the host of The Other Side of Midnight. Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, or what I have redubbed, the worst side of the other side of midnight. And whereas he was crowing for a long time that he was the ratings leader here at WABC, ha, 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 
Think again, Frank. Wherever you are, taking time off means I'm eating up your real estate like I have other people here at WABC. And I went from zero to now number two. Number two in the ratings, number two in the sales, right behind Sid Rosenberg in the morning, who has lapped the field. But he does a good show, except at times, let's face it, Avery, on loan to the Frank Morano show, he is uh, guilty of doing a show about nothing, just like the Seinfeld show was, very successful as it was. But I think we'd all acknowledge, having watched many of the episodes, that Frank Morano is like the George Costanza of radio. Would you agree on that, Avery? I'm still not sure if it's quite Costanza, I, but I, I can't find anybody more similar. Yeah, so I'll say Costanza. In so many ways, I see Frank Morano in so many ways. So uh, as we've dissected and bisected the tapes, courtesy of uh, Avery, who used a scalpel on this in his professional manner, let's go to um, Frank talking as he thought for all of us, the common man, the common woman. Haven't we all seen flight attendants or just people in general that seem really eager to flex their muscle and show their power around. I mean, you see it in the workplace, right? Now, you know, this is my job. This is the one thing I'm going to really make. I had a bartender recently, nice guy, but it was a party I was at. And this bartender was so incredibly slow and I feel like he could tell how frustrated everyone was getting with his lack of speed. And some people started making comments and everything. Not me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it, Avery? Uh, you know, it's like, is it always the shield is Carmine? He he can't well, really well, do it. You got to understand now, Curtis. He has Carmine. <laughs> so just right there, he can't really resort to violence. Don't because, say anything. No, either. he can't. Say, he can't do anything that might lead to a confrontation <laughs> because of Carmine. Carmine has saved so many people. They just don't know, Curtis. Uh, notice he castigates the guy, and then but that's not me no, saying. Of course, it. of course, it wasn't me. No, it was another person. He's the, he's the guy in the movie theater that when you talk, he just turns around and goes. Ah. <laughs> 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 he, he makes those faces. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have a problem, man. <laughs> well, he's obsessed. He is really obsessed. And um, I genuinely feel like he slowed down out of spite. And I see this all the time. I see this with Uber drivers. No I see this with waiters. I see this with bartenders. I see this with cashiers at the grocery store. I see this with uh, all sorts of people. I I've seen this with radio producers, you know. Um, and it's incredibly irritating. Wow. It, he does have that aura. Like, I could, like, he just makes you want to, like, I can see as a kid, like, him attracting bullies. Like, I don't know why I'm smacking <laughs> you in the head, Frank. I didn't plan on it. I didn't wake up saying I was going to do it. But every time I look at you, Frank, I just want to smack you in the head. I want to take your lunch money. I like you, Frank, but I just can't help. Like, he has that. Everybody in his life sees him and then automatically wants to. <laughs> And notice, he's got to throw some of our producers under the bus, too. Because they do, too. <laughs> like, Frank, what is it about you? <laughs> oh, well, wait, wait. Now, he's talking about salmon, right? You say salmon, I say salmon. But not Frank. 
He's always got to pronounce things a different way. I was responsible for uh, dinner yesterday where I, I made a salmon that I thought was very good, and uh, my wife didn't like it uh, that much. And it was really, it was nice salmon. I thought it was delicious. It was uh, wild salmon, uh, very, pretty expensive, and she, she didn't think it was cooked enough. She thought it was a little too slimy. I thought it was great. In fact, there's still one left over that if Carmine doesn't eat it today, I may have it for, for breakfast when I wake up. <laughs> He's going to eat Carmine's food. Yeah, but the, but the, the thing I heard was him and Carmine eat the same portions now. <laughs> does this mean that Frank shares eating the cat food as Carmine does from time to time? I don't know. I don't know if Carmine would let him do that. Like, <laughs> if he's talking about how good or bad the salmon is, why does it matter if it's wild or if it's expensive? Like, she, my my wife didn't like it. She thought it was slimy, but it was it's expensive. And it was, it was wild salmon, honey. It's, it's, it's expensive wild salmon. How can it not be good? So it's not salmon that's, like, uh, grown in a pond yeah. with other salmon. It's wild salmon. It's wild and expensive. Like, I don't know why he had to work that into the story. How does he know it's wild, right? Yeah. It looks like, like salmon, right? Yeah. And Carmine said, I don't care. Just put it on my plate. <laughs> Kids, 50 pounds now after a year. If I don't, if I don't eat it for breakfast, Carmine <laughs> eat it for breakfast. <laughs> the last time we were talking about Carmine eating the cat food. Does this mean Frank's going to do it too? <laughs> That's next after the salmon. So then he's got to talk about his uh, producer, um, Alex who is the biggest brown nose in the radio industry. He's got his uh, schnoz right up Frank uh, Morano's tuchus. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving, Mr. Alex Barnard? It was delicious, given that it was the first time I had ever cooked a turkey. Oh, you cooked a turkey? Yeah, uh, my girlfriend Callie and I, we did everything. We cooked the entire dinner for uh, my family, and it turned out to be a big smash hit. A big going... step, spending Thanksgiving together. Well, we ended up we ended up going to their uh, to their place afterwards. We spent the weekend in, in oh, Massachusetts. Oh, so you drove up to Massachusetts. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. nice. That's that's, that's, that's a big step making a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> this is a show about nothing. This is exactly a show about like, like yeah. See that I'll give you. What the hell was that? Who cares? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're like three hens, you know, arguing with one another. Absolutely. Oh, my God, that was Matt Blaze, who definitely is a fugitive. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you got Alex, the brown-nosed producer, and you have Frank. And then he talks about, I couldn't believe he said it, coming out? Yeah. yeah. That's that's sure. I would make a turkey for a long time. What do you mean, how, what do you mean, how did it come? The turkey, how did it come? It's a weird way to ask that question. <laughs> how did it come? You're talking about a turkey. I say, how did it come? And that's uh, that's well, we did it. Uh, we uh, Callie had this method uh, that I'd never heard of called spatchcocking it. Yeah, I'm calling. It, I'm calling the ASPCA. Yeah, <laughs> my goodness. What was that? Curtis, look, man. Spatchcocking. I'm, I'm not doing anything called spatchcocking. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to name it something else. What? I don't care what spatchcocking is. It can be pulling. It can be pulling orphans out of a burning building. You better call him. Every we got a spatchcock. No, no, no. Yeah. Rename it first. Or, or, yeah, yeah. Or it. I would how make a turkey for a long What do you mean? How? What do you mean? How did it come? The turkey. How did it come? It's a weird way to ask that question. How did it? Come? He, you talking about a turkey? I said, how did it come? And that's uh, that's well, a we weird did it. Uh, we uh, Callie had this method uh, that I'd never heard of called spatchcocking it. Yeah, I'm calling. It, I'm calling the ASPCA. Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> he spatchcocked the turkey. 
What the hell is that? We spashcocked it. That sounds psychosexual, <laughs> like it's uh, an SM dungeon. Him and Frank have this dynamic. This is how they talk to each other. <laughs> and you can and you can hear Ken. You can hear Ken getting all nervous and stuff. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, he was definitely getting nervous. He, he's starting to realize his situation now. The situation he's in. Like he's, he's going to get spashcocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, a- anyway. I couldn't believe what he said next, that he was coming out. It's not unusual for me to walk by my wife's office because our offices in our house are right near one another. And our son was taking a nap. And it's not unusual to hear her yelling at me as she's listening to the podcast of this show. So she has um, left a voice message, which you can also do at 8168Morano, with her view of that conversation you just heard with Alex Barnard. It's your wife. I'm calling to give you some feedback on your Monday show. Um, When you were talking to Alex Barnard and the rest of the crew, you said, how did it come? And she was all confused. And you acted like he was dumb because he was confused. Man, let it continue, please. I don't know if it's a Staten Island thing or a Murano thing, but you guys say, oh, how did it come? Oh, it came good. You're missing the word out. How did it come out? Oh, it came out good. Very odd. You're missing the word out. And you made Alex sound like he was the crazy one when really you're the odd duck. So think about that and consider adding the word out. Goodbye. Well, let me uh, let me sincerely apologize uh, to Alex Barnard. I had no idea that I control. was. Sometimes I know when I'm misspeaking. This was not one of those instances. Uh, to me, how did it, how did it come? Makes perfect sense. But I suppose that she and you are right. I mean, I feel like your level of shock at m- the way I phrased the question may not have been warranted. But so be it. I apologize for not. Uh, for not responding appropriately. I mean, I will say in my defense, I was exhausted. Oh, boy. And uh, <laughs> it didn't really r- register to me exactly what you were saying. But if I had been a little more clever, if you had said, how did it come? I would have said, raw. That's how they talk to each other. A kid is in the middle. <laughs> Look, man, he sound like the, he sound like the guy hitting on the intern. And then he realizes what happened when, you know, the intern's not having it, and then he starts, you know, backtracking. My God, that was psychosexual. Psych, man, it was sexual, sexual. Like, and I'm, then, then he sounded like he was coming out, right? Oh. Like on the edge. Look, I'm just saying, his wife kept talking about it, like something needed to come out, and I've been saying <laughs> it for a while. I've been saying it for a while, Curtis, and I'm telling you, he, he life would be so much better if he come out. I mean, think of it. His wife is giving him constructive criticism. They're in the same house. The same house. They could talk to one another. Not about this. She's in another room. <laughs> He's in his own room. She's leaving him a message. How did it come? It came good. How did it come? <laughs> it came out. <laughs> That's a conversation you're going to have. That's yeah, who does that? Who lives in the same house? <laughs> he's in one room. I get it because of his hours. So he's sleeping. She's in the other room. 
Instead of waiting till he gets up to give him the constructive criticism, she leaves a message on his phone. I don't know if it's a Staten Island thing or a Murano thing, but you guys say, oh, how did it come? Oh, it came good. You're missing the word out. How did it come out? Oh, it came out good. Very odd. You're missing the word out. And you made Alex sound like he was the crazy one when really... You're the odd duck. So I'm telling you, that sounds like it's like, honey, finally come out. How did it come <laughs> out? Come out, Frank. Frank, come out. Wow. Then he tried to imitate Howard Stern by having guests hypnotized. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out as planned. Here he was trying to hypnotize his uh, board operator, Matt Blaze. Matt Blaze, did you find that to be an ad- odd phraseology on my part? How did it come? Yes. Rather than how did you did? I did. You did. Kenneth, what's your story? Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree. I thought it was pretty peculiar. Wow, man. So rather than him talk about that, he kept talking about the damn phone call from his wife. Let's get right into the hypnotism. So tomorrow we're supposed to have a, a terrific hypnotist in studio here, uh, Dr. John Trebone, and we may have him hypnotize some of the fellows on the crew here. So far, I have uh, I've asked a number of our colleagues if they would like to be hypnotized to do some stage hypnosis. So far, uh, Alex Barnard has accepted. And Matt Blaze, I noticed you did not answer my email about uh, being hypnotized tomorrow. Not in hell's chance. Why not? Are you afraid of getting hypnotized? Well, how come? Just not going to happen. My bad, Blaze. Are you going to get hypnotized? I have to host the show. Oh, and I have to run the board of the show. Yeah, I know, but come on. No, never going to happen. Not going to happen. All right. Wow. That's exactly what I would have said. And then... Frank had to sort of try to lure others into it by talking about how he himself had been hypnotized twice before. I tried to get hypnotized, I think, twice. Once was at a Star Trek convention, maybe about 24, 25 years ago in New York. And... And I was really excited about this because I've always been fascinated by hypnosis, and I've seen a lot of people do stage hypnosis, and they look really into it. I, I, I don't know if maybe that was not a good hypnotist. I took time away from the Star Trek convention and visiting all the vendors and stuff, and I went with my mom. I took time away from that to go b- backstage, get hypnotized, and then you go on stage, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to, when you get certain cues, act all crazy and stuff. And I don't remember what I was supposed to do, but it didn't really work for me. I didn't feel compelled to do any of these things. But it worked for everybody else on the show. So I don't know. I'd love to think maybe it's because I'm so strong-brained, but uh, that's certainly not the case. Oh, it worked. Strong-brained? <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, the, the mind of our time. And plus, he's going to a Star Trek convention. You would think he'd be going with other nerds, you know, who follow Star Trek. <laughs> No, he's going with his mommy. No, mom is right. Mom, mom sounds about right. Mom sounds right. He's right in the wheelhouse. But that makes him a mama Luke. He's like 30 years old. He's going with his mother to a Star Trek convention. She's like, again? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. He then has to slip a Mickey, get it? Slip a Mickey. And talk about when he was doing Murano Vision on TV. And then one other time. 
when I w- I've always been ha- fascinated by hypnosis, and I always love doing this stuff. So when I was on TV uh, doing Morano Vision, I had a hypnotist on, and I asked him to hypnotize me to, you know, I forget what, but just basically see if it would work. And it didn't work for me. But I had another friend of mine on the show. He hypnotized him no problem. Man. So every time he tries to get hypnotized, he doesn't remember what happens, but he knows it didn't work. And everybody with him gets hypnotized, but he don't think that he got hypnotized. I'm telling you, there's footage somewhere, Curtis, and I'm telling you right now it's good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222 as Avery continues in his bisection and dissection of Frank Morano in the last week. This guy is, he's a giver. He just gives us so much to work with. It is, it is a, it is just like Seinfeld. It is a program about nothing. And this guy sounds like George Costanza. I'm sorry if I disagree with you, Avery. I, I just feel like, I, I, you know, it, it, he stands the ish. But I, I, there's somebody I'm, I'm trying to think of that I just can't put a, a name to it yet, a TV character that he reminds me of. Well, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. I had a dream, we were sipping whiskey neat, highest floor of the Bowery, and I was high enough. Somewhere along the lines, we stopped seeing eye to eye, you were staying out all night, and I had enough. No, I don't want to know. I don't know, maybe uh, Frank Morano is, uh, maybe he's in search of Selena Gomez. First, it was Tulsi Gabbard, woman in white, dissing and dismissing him. Now he's all consumed with uh, Selena Gomez, who gives him no play, won't do an interview with him. So uh, he's suffering postpartum depression, which is normally what the mother suffers from in delivering, uh, in this case, Rachel Carmine at 15 pounds. Uh, now he's up to 50 pounds a year later. Anyway, let's go back uh, to uh, Frank Morano, who decided he wanted to be like Howard Stern and have uh, his uh, guests and staff, his own staff, hypnotized. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving, Mr. Alex Barnard? It was delicious, given that it was the first time I had ever cooked a turkey. Oh, you cooked a turkey? Yeah. You're going to sit up in that chair, and as I go by, you're going to read the news and traffic in an alien language. Go. Read the news. Go ahead. You're doing great. New York. Freeze. What does that mean? This is the news, and there's cars all over New York. Back to the language. Go. Uh, <laughs> Sleep all the way down. Give me the language. alien language. Read the news, traffic, and weather. Go. <laughs> and tapping on the head, it means what? It was uh, not that cold out today, but I still wore a jacket. <laughs> and there is cars outside, just like she said. And these are his friends. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> 
Jesus, Fred, this is what he want Alex and, 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 and Blaze to do. I tell, he want the goods on him. Like, he, he want the goods on him. That's right. Since he knew the hypnotist, he probably wanted the hypnotist to extract from them, once they were poor, sort of put in a trance, oh. the things they would normally not tell him. Or install something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the hypnotist continued. Sitting up in that chair, reading it in whatever language you want, go. And tapping you on the head, it means what in English? Oh, uh, there was an accident on the Brooklyn Bridge and a backup for miles. And what's the weather going to be in alien language? Go. And what does the weather mean in English? Sunny but cold. Zabadoo, zabadoo. Zabadoo, zabadoo. Zabadoo. Obviously. Zabadoo. Obviously. And tapping you on the side of your head, it means what? It means today already your presence in town, and he's causing a lot of traffic. Nothing new there in New York, right? You're going to sit up in that chair, and as I go by, you're going to read the news and traffic in an alien language. <laughs> go. Read the news. <laughs> go ahead. You're doing great. <laughs> Freeze. What does that mean? This is the news, and there's cars all over New York. Back to the language. Go. Uh, <laughs> Sleep all the way down. Give me the language. alien language. Read the news, traffic, and weather. Go. <laughs> and tapping on the head, it means what? It was uh, not that cold out today, but I still wore a jacket, and <laughs> there is cars outside, just like she said. Uh, this is uh, uh, actually this is an audition uh, to try to become news people and uh, replace Frankie Diaz. Yeah, from Mars. <laughs> Wait, it gets better. Now on the count of three, you're a couple of ladies standing around the water cooler in the office talking about whatever happened last night. Your body position will reflect that as well. One, two, three. Go ahead. What happened? Talk. I don't remember what happened last night. I got to bed early. Okay. Oh, I was back at the grocery store, and that guy behind the counter was hitting on me again. And you know what? I brought him back, and I made him wash all my vegetables. That's terrific. And how did you react to that when I did that? Oh, well, then, then, then he cleaned my pipes. I don't know what it sounded like on radio, but to watch it firsthand was absolutely delightful. Yo, Frank, man, you are, I'm telling you, Frank, you, you're not right. Frank, you are not right. They had to get off it fast, Curtis. Who knows what he was about to say? So, he, he said He's hypnotizing these guys, and he ends up with a gay guy there. Frank, Frank's friends. Frank said his, Frank's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs, just loving the whole thing. He's talking about having his vegetables washed. <laughs> Who knows what that means? <laughs> you want to come on wild and wash these vegetables? <laughs> And then clean my pipe. <laughs> and you notice how Frank just cuts in right away. Yeah, stop him. Like, who knows? Frank might have been in one of those stories. Oh, my God. That would have been a, a total backfire. Ooh, Frank, man. With friends like that, man, who needs enemies? Man, let me tell you something. And then, uh, and he's, I think he's talking about, what was he talking about? The uh, The female prime ministers, I think? 
Hey, I also want to give a quick shout-out to uh, the prime ministers of Finland and New Zealand. Um, and, and they are two of the youngest heads of government in the world. These are of two very attractive women, I must say. And, look, there's not a lot of countries that are led by women, right? The United States has never had a government led by a woman. The, there's a lot of ageism and sexism still among the press corps and world leaders. Uh, sounded to me like he was a yeah. little sexist yeah. himself. He was in that group. Like These are the two hot chicks who happen to be prime ministers. <laughs> <laughs> did, I miss the, did I miss the swimsuit part? <laughs> did I miss the swimsuit part of the, of the, of the global conference? Was that too late? I had to park the car. These people, these these people are sexist out here. <laughs> these two hot chicks who happen to be prime ministers are doing the best they can. <laughs> hey, hey, come here, toots. <laughs> yeah, it's twenty dollars. Keep the change. Uh, he's so self-righteous, right? <laughs> oh my God! He talks about that. He talks about how hot they are, and then <laughs> talks about how sexist everybody else is. <laughs> Unbelievable, man! And this is always his Achilles heel: the thousand-dollar a minute oh, contest. Oh, I mean, man. this ends up getting Frank Morano in trouble Every time, time and time and time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you hear this one, Gavon. This guy gives new meaning to the term Gavon. Thank you. As I mentioned, my sister Claudia got eight out of ten of these questions correct. So I'm thinking if she can do it, I think you probably can too. Yeah, come on, Frank. Man, what, what did he do to his sister? Throw her under the bus? Throw her under the bus. He threw her under the, 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 he threw her under the whole bridge. Like... Why was he? Why, why, why would he bring his sister into it and make it seem like she's not? You know, I don't understand that. But can I hear that uh, again, uh, Broadway Billy? Please. Thank you. As I mentioned, my sister Claudia got eight out of ten of these questions correct. So I'm thinking if she can do it, I think you probably can too. The little wig, the little you know. Look, if my sister got eight of these, come on now. By the way, <laughs> if you only get eight out of ten, you don't win. Yeah, you get a hundred bucks. <laughs> But my sister got eight of these, so you so you better get ten. Oh man, God! I don't think any you know his family members should say to Frank, "Please don't mention our yeah, name." Exactly, especially like that. These questions are too hard, Frank. But my sister got eight of them. Oh, she did. So. <laughs> He has no idea what a put down that is. I know. He probably uh, thinks he was praising his sister. That's the bar. His sister is the barometer for how hard the questions are. If she got it, it can't be that hard. Oh, my God. All right. Let's get to the Gavon. Wait till you hear this winner. Uh, let's meet today's contestant, Arthur, on Staten Island. Hello, Arthur. Hi. How are you? I'm great, Arthur. Uh, what neighborhood of Staten Island do you live in? Uh, uh, actually, actually Mayor Island. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm not trying to throw you there, Arthur. That was not a, meant to be a trick question. Small talk, no, no, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Arthur, have you heard this contest before? 
Yes. Great. So you know what to do. We don't have to explain the rules or anything. No. no. Great. All right. If you're ready, we'll get started. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Sure. What month is it? It's December. I mean, it's November. All right. <laughs> what rapper recently dined at Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump? Uh, Kid Rock. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. Um... It was uh, Kanye West, Kanye West, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, Kanye West. As far as we could tell, Kid Rock uh, has not dined recently at uh, Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Now, wait. Now, wait. He's been in so much trouble of late with his contest. Yeah, legal, the legal team has to stand in the studio with him now during the show. <laughs> So he's got to get the okay from the entire law department. The whole law department. Yeah, WABC. (laughs) You know, they huddle with him and they say, you know, let's look at all the potential ramifications, right? You've gotten us into so much hot water already with this $1,000 question. This stupid game. (laughs) (laughs) Why not just give him S&H green stamps? But no, got to give him cash. Yeah. Um, let's see. Can we uh, let me? Can we double check that that Kid Rock has not been at Mar-a-Lago? Um, and what's recently? Right? I guess he was there about three years ago. I don't consider that recently. I don't know that I consider Kid Rock a rapper. So I can't accept Kid Rock, especially because you read any newspaper in America today, Kanye West and Trump are all over this with their uh, with their dinner over there. So. So that's unfortunate. I see you in court, um, Frank. All right. So, Arthur, hang on. Give uh, Kenneth your information. We'll give you something. We'll give you something. Something. See you in court, Frank. <laughs> Kid Rock was there at some point. See you in court. But isn't this amazing? He had to first hesitate because all the lawyers are there. They got cue cards. <laughs> Make sure Kid Rock wasn't there. Uh, we're, we're checking now. Oh, three years ago. Three years ago. Is that recently? <laughs> Now, now it all hangs on the term recently. How do you parse the word recently? God, this used to be so easy to do. Now it's so complicated. Yeah, why couldn't he? Why couldn't he just like like, like built all, all the all the listeners out of the money? Now it's all. Now, now it's all so legal. Now it has to be. Yeah, Frank has gotten everybody into so much trouble. People caught on. Yeah. <laughs> The entire law department here at like four thirty in the morning. Yeah, they all had monitoring the contest. <laughs> oh my gosh! Then wait, wait. There's more. And let us say hello to Terry in Maryland. Hello, Terry. Hello, Frank. How you doing? Good morning. I, I'm doing great, Terry. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Have you uh, heard this segment before, Terry? Yes, sir. I have. All right. So. Uh, I went over these questions with my sister, Claudia, on Sunday, and she did very well. <laughs> Yesterday, I thought we were going to have somebody go to the eighth or ninth question, and uh, sure enough, I think the person got knocked out after question two. So it goes to show you, I can never predict if these questions are easy or hard. So I'm wishing you the best of luck, okay? I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Sure thing. Name a vampire in movies or literature. Count Dracula. What country is Xi Jinping the leader of? China. 
What social media network is now owned by Elon Musk? Twitter. What is my sister's first name? (laughs) His sister. (laughs) How unfair is that? (laughs) Who'd I have a crush on in the first grade? Quickly, quickly, quickly. He probably already detected this guy would probably yes. knock out the 10 yes. questions, right? You, you can tell. He, this guy had potential. Quick. <laughs> Ask him who my sister is. Who's my sister? What my wife had for dinner last night? <laughs> I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 10. <laughs> now, wait. He thinks. And no doubt the lawyers are looking at him like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Listen to his explanation. Starts with a C. Starts with a C. Model with the same uh, name. A lot of models. Oh, man. Take on it. Well, take a guess. Think of a name with C. Caroline. Caroline. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it is it is Claudia, uh, Terry. Claudia. Sorry, sorry, Terry. Now, uh, hang on. Don't hang up. Uh, uh, Kenneth's going to take your information. We're going to send you a prize. Wait. It doesn't end like that any longer. The lawyers have to raise their cue cards, and let's see what determination they make here. Some people may think it's unfair for me to include that, but I don't. Uh, Number one, because I have been saying it intentionally, repeatedly, for the last two days. And including yesterday, I did say it. At, 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 make sure to keep that in mind for the $1,000 minute. And I think it's an incentive to pay attention to a lot of the show. Um, and that's the thing, is the more you listen to the show, the more you'll be rewarded with information. Information that you can use to be profitable. And I think in general, in, in uh, life, we are way too quick not to listen to the people that we talk the lecture. Give me my money, you little. <laughs> Gotta keep me. And then give me a lesson. Walk over in this little cardigan sweater with a mug of coffee. Walk over, <laughs> sit on a stool and give me a lecture. <laughs> you know now, here's why you lost. You should listen to people more. I said it three days ago. You weren't listening. <laughs> three, three days ago, I told you what you would need to win today. You weren't listening. You have to listen. That's your problem. Take a sip of the, take a sip of the coffee. And that's Frank's moment. <laughs> now, you know. Let's go back to the contestant himself, uh, Tom from Maryland. Listen, and he's already clocking it. He's got the uh, stopwatch in his hand. So he already knows from Tom uh, discussing this that Tom's going to, nail these questions. He's going to nail these questions. You could tell he's talking at, at a rate in which he's probably going to even have a few seconds left before the end of the contest. So are we ready? Let, let's go back to the start. Tom, from what, why does he call it Maryland? And let us say hello to Terry in Maryland. Hello, Terry. Hello, Frank. How you doing? Good morning. I, I'm doing great, Terry. Thanks for uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Have you uh, heard this segment before, Terry? Yes, sir, I have. All right. So uh, 
I went over these questions with my sister Claudia on Sunday, and she did very well. <laughs> Yesterday, I thought we were going to have somebody go to the eighth or ninth question, and uh, sure enough, I think the person got knocked out after question two. So it goes to show you, Good I news. can never predict if these questions are easy or hard. So I'm wishing you the best of luck, okay? I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. They sure always thing. so nice at the Name beginning. a vampire in movies or literature. Count Dracula. What country is Xi Jinping the leader of? China. What social media network is now owned by Elon Musk? Twitter. What is my sister's first name? <laughs> now, I clocked it. This guy, Terry, from Maryland, already had three answers in 15 seconds. At that rate, he would have won this contest. Because obviously he was pretty sharp, unlike that other guy from Staten Island, Arthur. Uh, what month is it? December. Don't know. And they gave him that. Uh, which rapper went to Mar-a-Lago? Uh, Kid Rock. Right? Like, forget this. Ain't nobody else winning. I'm making sure of it. What's the guy's name who'll sell me my paper every morning? <laughs> We, it's time to get busy here. That's it. Nobody, nobody else is going to luck up anymore. <laughs> we're going to do a contest, but we're going to make sure nobody yep, wins. This is going to be ironclad. That's the only way the lawyers will let them do it now. <laughs> nobody better not win, Frank. <laughs> and I mean, they, Mr. Cass, I mean, they better not win, Frank. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, my God. Frank has caused so much Michigan, so many problems. So now he realizes, wait, he's used technology. And so he's got to explain to the guy, this Terry from Maryland, why he really can't uh, allow him to continue or why he had to give him a brisk. Starts with a C. Model with the same name. Oh, man. A model Thank with a C right. name. Well, take a guess. Think of a name with C. Caroline. Caroline. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it is it is Claudia, uh, Terry. Claudia. Sorry. Sorry, Terry. Now, uh, hang on. Don't hang up. Uh, uh, Kenneth's going to take your information. We're going to send you a prize. Yeah, don't hang Some up. Some people may think it's I got to talk down to you. <laughs> for me to include that. But I don't. Uh, number one, because I have been saying it intentionally, repeatedly, for the last two days. <laughs> and including yesterday, I did say it at that. Make sure to keep that in mind for the $1,000 minute. And I think it's an incentive to pay attention to a lot of the show. I told um, you. And that's the thing, is the more you listen to the show, the more you'll be rewarded with information. Information that you can use to be profitable. And I think it, in general, in, in uh, life, we are way too quick not to listen to the people that we're talking to. That was your philosophy? Yeah, that's your principal talking to you in the office now. <laughs> and I'm not even getting anything out of it. I lost. And like, if, like, I can see if he did it after I won, and he know he's just making me work for it now. I'm not even winning. Hang up on him, man. Why are you listening to this? <laughs> Thanks, Frank. You really showed me something. <laughs> I'm a better person because of this. <laughs> Hang the phone up. <laughs> you didn't win, and now let me talk down to you a little bit. <laughs> you know why you lost? 
Because you don't listen to people. You got to listen to people, boy. <laughs> Write it down. Take notes yeah, of everything that notes. I say. This is a teachable moment for you. <laughs> oh, my God. And he's serious. Frank Morano is serious. <laughs> This is also a Frank Morano theme song. He is the oldest man in the youngest body that you will ever know. I mean, he's uh, like an altacaca. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Marianne calling from Indiana, the Hoosier State. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marianne. Hi, Curtis. Um, on the uh, subject of uh, who does Frank look like on TV or a character, uh, I think he reminds me of this character on The King of Queens. It's an old comedy show, and his name is Spence, and he lives with his mother. Wow. You're, he, looks, you, he looks just like him. You are so he correct. Looks just like Frank. That's it. Yeah, you, That's you, it. You nailed it, Marianne. He is Spence from King of Queens. Yep. That's who he is. Wow. That's who he is. I knew there was somebody else out there that he where he was more. That's who he is. So he's. he's I kept saying, this guy reminds me of Frank. He is Spence in body and, 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 and like attitude, everything. He is Spence. Yeah, all right. So not George Costanza in Seinfeld. But no. the King of Queens, yes. he is Fist. Spence. 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 Oh, I man. That's right. And he does live with his mommy. <laughs> yes, he does. And then he and then he tries to get out to live in from his mom, and he lives with this guy, and they all think he's they're gay, but they're not. But they act like they are, which is nothing wrong with it, of course, but, you know. No, that funny. sounds like Frank. That really does <laughs> sound like Frank, Mary. Yeah, especially when he keeps talking about coming out. Yeah, exactly. You heard that. You heard that all the way in Indiana. Yeah. I heard that here. He was talking about coming out, and his own wife had to call and leave a message on his phone, even though he was in the same house with her. <laughs> you make it out, it's uncomfortable. Excellent. Excellent, Marianne. See, it took somebody from the heartland of America to nail this. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a close call there. Frank, um he may be borderline. Who knows? Wherever he is. By the way, is he coming back? You know, I haven't heard anything. You know, next week, next month, next year. Break! Check this out. On the weekend. Eva. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah.
Here's Curtis Lewa. to do a little Curtis Sliwa Super Sports Spectacular this hour as I take you to the break of dawn. Now, normally we don't do sports, but there's so many big sports stories that I feel it's incumbent upon me to bring it to the forefront because it affects the future of the New York Yankees. By the way, baseball used to be our national pastime. It is no longer... It's become too predictable, too slow, too contrived. And just uh, most baseball teams no longer have the skill levels of previous baseball teams because almost everybody is trying to hit a home run or strike out a batter. Very little strategy that is utilized in Major League Baseball now. But I wanted to mention, now think of it, 1976. The uh, straw that served, that stirred the drink, according to uh, Reggie Martinez Jackson from Pennsylvania, played with the Oakland Athletics first, then ended up with the New York Yankees. He was the prize catch of the first ever batch of Major League Baseball free agents. He signed a five-year, $3.5 million deal with the New York Yankees, and that was George Steinbrenner. That's 1976. Speed it up, right? So you got 86, you got 96, you got 206, you got 216. Almost 50 years later, what do we witness? That Jacob DeGrom, best baseball player in Major League Baseball recently, has signed a $185 million guaranteed contract. $185 million guaranteed every nickel, dime, and penny for five years. Think of it. We go back to 1976, the first ever batch of Major League Baseball free agents, and it's Reggie Martinez Jackson who signed a five-year, $3.5 million deal with the New York Yankees. Jacob DeGrom, a five-year deal for $185 million, guaranteed. Doesn't matter if he falls and he breaks his leg and he never pitches again for the Texas Rangers. He gets paid in full. And a six-year option that could push the pack to a cool $222 million. Man, that's a lot of money. And you say, here it is. Look, I'm not a Mets fan. I hate the Mets. But I got to acknowledge that this guy was an extraordinary pitcher for the Mets. Let's face it, he came up in the New York Mets minor league system. And there were times where he was just unhittable. I guess the only uh, pitches uh, in my lifetime that are comparable, let's say in the short way, that would be Sandy Koufax, no doubt about it. At times, Sandy Koufax coming out of Brooklyn, Lafayette High School, we are here, was just absolutely unhittable. 
And I just don't understand why Steve Cohen, the owner-operator of the New York Mets, who has more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime. I mean, think about it. Stephen Cohn is the guy who in 2013 bought a Picasso painting for $155 million. One painting. Now, I understand it's an investment, and it's probably only going to go up in value. But Picasso probably had to take a few nights off, I would think, because he was, like, perpetually painting. I think he completed about 13,500 paintings in his lifetime before he passed away at the age of 91. I'm sure some of them are not necessarily all legitimate, weren't all painted by Picasso by himself, maybe others who uh, sort of filled in the dots. But the point being is, the owner-operator of the New York Mets, who should have been in jail for insider trading information, Stephen Cohn, decided that he would not take a risk on Jacob DeGrom, who, when I looked at the playoffs, and again, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, claimed that he was a New York Mets fan growing up in Queens when he went to Bayside High School. He recapped, he regaled uh, the Mets in 1969, the Miracle Mets. He mentioned uh, Tommy Agee, one of his favorite ball players, Cleon Jones. All right, he's got some cred there. He predicted they would go on to the World Series. They got knocked out of the first round against the San Diego Padres. Knocked out, first round. And if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mets fans, that the only pitcher to win a game against the San Diego Padres, who the New York Mets crashed and burned to in the playoffs, was, in fact, Jacob Dugram. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then we have the situation involving Aaron Judge. Remember, he had turned down the New York Yankees' offer of close to $215 million as an extension before the 2022 season. And now he's aiming to get $300 million or more. And it's being winded and timed and pocket lined by the San Francisco Giants. He is a Bay Area boy. He loves San Francisco. I could easily see him jumping ship of the Yankees. What really may have pushed him over the edge is in the uh, second game against uh, the Cleveland Guardians, although there will always be the Cleveland Indians to me with Chief Wahoo, who they've stripped from the uniform identifying the Cleveland now Guardians. I'll never forget it was game two. Yankee Stadium, seventh inning. Aaron Judge was up after setting the American League record for home runs in a a single uh, year, 62, surpassing Roger Maris, 61. And the New York Yankee fans booed him. I do not think he is going to etch-a-sketch that image away from his mind. He's probably saying to himself, his wife and other family members and friends, What the hell do you have to do to get people to actually just simply clap for you? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bernie, who's uh, hanging on the line in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bernie. Uh, Curtis, in 1951, on a Friday, I came home from the yeshiva, I was living in Brownsville on the Osborne Street. And Friday afternoon on a zenith, black and white 
console, I watched, remember Allen Reynolds, he pitched a uh, no-hit game against the Cleveland Indians in the summer. When I watched him in late September on Friday on our zenith, he was pitching another no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox. He had eight and two-thirds out, and the last patient to come up was Ted Williams. So <laughs> Ali Reynolds pitched to Ted Williams. Williams popped the ball up over the plate, and Yogi Berra, who was the catcher, stood under the ball, he grabbed the ball, and he dropped it. Ali <laughs> 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 so, Reynolds he gave Ted Williams another life, and Ali Reynolds threw another pitch to Ted Williams. Ted Williams popped it up over the plate, and this time Yogi grabbed the ball and held on to it. Wow. And Ali Reynolds had his second no-hitter in that season, two no-hitters. I don't know of any other pitcher in baseball history has had two no-hitters in one in the, in one season. Secondly, about two weeks later, it was a Rosh Hashanah. I was going to the Stone Avenue Talmud Torah with my grandfather, and I watched him before that. I watched the game. The Giants beat the Dodgers on Bobby Thompson's home run, and I watched the game all, all the, the whole game and Bobby Thompson rounded the bases, and Leo DeRocher, who was on the third third base, he clapped, he danced, he did everything, and Russ Hodges said, Bobby Thompson hit a home run, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. And <laughs> at that time, my friend, my friend who was in, uh, in, Jeff, in Thomas Jefferson High School, came home a, a little after the game, and my friend, was, uh, who died a few years ago, was a Yiddish esfabrente, it means fervent, fervent uh, Dodger fan. I said to him, the Giants won the pennant, ha-ha, the Giants beat the Dodgers, ha-ha. Wow. And you know, the, the, most, you, the most interesting... The most interesting thing, Bernie, out of all of that, you know, we're so used to uh, ball players nowadays. They're flown in private Learjets, stretch limos. Uh, people who are at their beck and call. They're getting paid millions of dollars. If I, if I stand correct, Bill, uh, Billy Thompson, after he hit that uh, home run, Bobby Thompson. I'm sorry, Bobby Thompson. I'm sorry. That's okay. I uh, know. I need to be corrected on that. Bobby Thompson hits that home run. He took the Staten Island Ferry home that night. The that's Staten right. Island he Ferry home. Island. That's, that's, a, that's right. incredible. He was, he was Staten Island's most favorite celebrity. Uh, you look him up today, you look up Bobby Thompson on your computer, you'll find he's the most, he's just a celebrity on Staten Island 50 years later. Bobby Thompson, he took the Staten Island Ferry. He lived in New Dorp, Staten Island. He came home to New Dorp with his family. He had dinner. And in, 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 in the years that followed, 
both he and Ralph Branca, who was the Dodger pitcher who gave up the home run to Bobby Thompson, they appeared at all the the mid-season chicken dinners. They came together. They became friends. They were photographed together many, many times. Ralph Branca and Bobby Thompson. Now, Bernie, Bernie, let me ask you a question. Who was uh, Ralph Branca's son-in-law? His son-in-law? He was the Dodger pitcher, I think. No, uh, think again. I think I'm correct. You may you may end up having to give me constructive criticism. I'm pretty sure it was Bobby Valentine. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh wait, I see. Um, a little, I, I see a few jaundiced looks here. Broadway Bill Lee is looking at me like, uh, "What the hell would you know? You're a Yankee fan. What, what are you talking about, Dodgers and Giants? Right?" He's looking at me like he's mad dogging me. He's eye fornicating me. I believe yeah. in my heart of hearts that Ralph Branco, who served up that home run pitch that was heard around the world. Uh, that Thompson then ended up taking the Staten Island ferry home, as you mentioned, in New Dorp, had a meal with his family, went to sleep. I mean, nowadays, you know, it would be like, oh, uh, you got to come to ESPN. We got to take you down to, to uh, Disneyland, you know, all those things. It was just another day at the ballpark for him. That's right. Well, I remind the question, I, uh, who, who today remembers Ali Reynolds? But 1951, he was a tremendous pitcher. He got Ted Williams out like nobody's business. He pitched two no-hitters in the same season. But today, nobody remembers Allie Reynolds. No, nobody that's... remembers Vic Rashi. Nobody remembers Joe Page, the relief pitcher. And I was, uh, I'll be 88 in two weeks. I remember them all. Now, I let me let me ask you a question, Bernie. You lived on Osborne and where? Osborne and where in Brownsville? I lived on Osborne, 175 Osborne, between Belmont and Sutter. Uh, you you mentioned a few months ago you lived on Osborne Street and Hagerman. Correct. That was in East New York. But I went to Yeshiva in East New York. East New York at that time was a Jewish neighborhood. Yeah, it didn't have to be afraid of anything. No. It just went to Yeshiva. No, and I I remember you mentioned going to uh, Shul and uh, Stone Avenue. I went to the Children's Library there. Yeah, the Children's Library was only a few blocks away. Yeah. The Children's Library, it's still there. Yeah, now, now, now they've renamed it Mother Gaston Boulevard, Stone Avenue, you know, right? Oh, yes. I remember in the, we, when we were kids on Friday and Saturday, we used to go to the movies. Two theaters were side by side on Stone Avenue. There was a Stone Theater which showed first-run movies, and right next to it was the Rio which showed movies on Saturday when we went. They used to show uh, cowboy pictures uh, reporters outwitting the police uh, pictures. They used to show cartoons. They used to show coming attractions. When I stopped going to the Rio in 1946 or 47, I stopped going because my mother asked me one day uh, when I came home from the Rio, she said, 
how did the movies go? I said, when we, uh, we exited the movie, I was beaten up by kids. They beat me up. Mm. So my mother said, my mother said, you can't go to the Rio anymore. It's over. Forget about it. That was when I stopped going to the Rio. Now, now, now one question, uh, Bernie. Did you ever go to the uh, Dubrow's cafeteria in that area? No, I know where Dubrow's was. There was a Dubrow's on Pitkin Avenue. Uh, but we, when my mother and I used to go to the Lois Pitkin, I remember we saw the fighting guardsmen with, uh, I forget who was in it now. Um, I forget who was in it. We came out on Saturday night, and the old old Jews on uh, outside of Dubrow's on, fr- fr- on Saturday night used to stand on boxes and used to, they were socialists. And used to lecture the crowd on why socialism is better than capitalism. And old Jews gathered in front of Dubrow's. And we used to, my mother and I used to push uh, past Dubrow's and we used to go to Osborne Street. But I never went to Dubrow's myself. Well, well, I uh, you know, there. my first suit uh, was a 100% Wooster suit for my communion that my Aunt Mary took me to uh, off Pitkin Avenue, uh, off Rockaway Avenue, Mo Ginsburg's. That's right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The main thing I, I remembered on Pitkin Avenue, in 1951, the day that MacArthur gave the speech to the Congress, he said he'll have to retire now when Truman took him out of Korea. When uh, that morning, I think it was Passover morning, it was in April, I went to the newsstand on Rockaway Avenue and Pitkin Avenue, and they used to sell baseball. Uh, I was a terrific baseball fan. They used to sell baseball magazines and comic books. So that morning, I bought a comic book put out by Fawcett, The Life Story of Phil Rizzuto. So I remember that very well. I took that comic book home to my uh, apartment on Osborne Street, and then I watched MacArthur give his speech to the Congress on that same day. Well, I must tell you, Bernie, I had many, many conversations with uh, Phil Rizzuto when he was the broadcaster for the Yankees. And uh, the best story he ever told me, Bernie, he's a rookie, you know, he went to Richmond Hill High School in Queens, went into the minor leagues, was a short guy. He was not a big guy. Uh, and they would uh, bed. So if you were a rookie, you would be paired with a veteran when you'd go on the road and you'd stay at a hotel before and after the games. And he lucked out. He ended up uh, bunking with uh, Joe DiMaggio. Uh-huh. So, so Joe DiMaggio says to Phil Rizzuto, can you do me a favor, Phil, I'm booked to do a communion breakfast in Bay Ridge on Sunday. I just can't go. Could you please substitute for me? And Phil Rizzuto Uh goes, I'd be more than happy, but they want to see Joe DiMaggio. They don't want to see Phil Rizzuto. He goes, no. I I think that's where where he met Cora. That's right. That's where he met met his wife. So he goes to the communion breakfast. People are expecting Joe DiMaggio. And back then, communion breakfasts, they were packed. They're expecting Joe DiMaggio, so there are people out in the streets waiting to get in. They see this little picture 
uh, Phil Rizzuto, who they really didn't know well because he's just a rookie at that time. And so the host introduces him to the crowd. This is right after Mass, and they boo him, Bernie. They boo him unmercifully. He's all crestfallen. So the host says, I tell you what, you're a good Italian kid. I'm going to take you home, and my wife's going to make you a good Italian meal, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. He goes home uh, with the host, and helping the mother was her daughter, Cora. And that's when he met her and eventually got married, and he said, it was my worst moment in life, and then it became my best moment in life. He goes, Uh if I hadn't gone, if I had not substituted for Joe DiMaggio and been booed and people were mad at me and upset with me, and if I hadn't taken up the offer of the host to go have a good Italian meal because I was really feeling bad, I would never have met the love of my life, Cora, who he used to talk about all the time when he was broadcasting. In fact, he would leave early, seventh inning stretch, Cross the George Washington Bridge. He would say, I'm coming, Cora, on the on the broadcast just before he left. And then he'd go down the New Jersey uh, Turnpike uh, right past Newark to where Hillside. He was living in Hillside next to Elizabeth. I mean, what a great guy. And they, nowadays, you can never, ever expect ball players to act or behave in that manner like a regular person. Yeah, remember, Rizzuto, to earn extra money during the off-season, he used to have sponsors. He used to have the money store, if you remember. Right. He used to, when he was a shortstop for the Yankees early on, he used to uh, work for a clothing store. Yeah, Abadashri with uh, Yogi Berra. And then they owned... Right, right, they owned... In uh, Clifton, New Jersey, right outside of Patterson, they owned a bowling alley together, Phil Rizzuto and Yogi Berra. He and Yogi. He and Yogi were best of friends. He, they're both dead now. God bless them. For Phil, Rizzuto, Phil Rizzuto, by the way, there was a, a, a television show in those days. It began in 1950 or 51, and Rizzuto had won the most valuable player award. And I think in 1950, when the Yankees won the World Series against the Phillies, so uh, Rizzuto was the first guest they ever had on What's My Line, the show with John Daly and uh, Ali Francis and the rest of them, lasted 15 years, and Phil Rizzuto was the first guest they ever had because he was the most valuable player. Now, a few stories about Rizzuto. Rizzuto, when he was 16, tried out for the Dodgers. He tried out for the Dodgers as a ball player. And Casey Stengel (laughs) was the manager of the Dodgers in those days, if you could believe it. So when Rizzuto tried out, Stengel said to him, kid, you're okay, but you're too short. You better get yourself a shoeshine stand. <laughs> get yourself get yourself a shine box, Rizzuto. Wow. That's true. That but the story about the Maggio is, is interesting. Rizzuto came up in 1941. His, uh, he was shortstop, and the second baseman was a fellow named Gerald Pretty, which nobody remembers anymore. They came from Newark, 
the Yankees minor league team. And when they, they had spring training, Rizzuto, because he was a rookie and short and so forth, wasn't allowed to hit. The veterans shoot him away. So finally, DiMaggio came up and he said, let the kid hit. And then they listened to DiMaggio <laughs> as he was, even though he was gone, and Rizzuto hit the ball all the time. That's how he became a Yankee. DiMaggio stood up for him. <laughs> now, now uh, I want to relate to you another story, Bernie, which uh, broke my heart. This really did. You had uh, Rocky Calavito went to Roosevelt High School. He uh, left in his sophomore year. He was such a good ball player. They wanted him to play semi-pro, and his family needed the money. I think there was something, uh, his father had some kind of ailment. So he's playing semi-pro, and then he goes for a tryout at Yankee Stadium, the team that he loved. You know, he wanted to be just like DiMaggio. He's from the Bronx. He went to Roosevelt High School. They give him a tryout, and they say, the the, uh, uh, head scout says, you'll never, ever make it in baseball, Rocky Calavito. I would suggest to you (laughs) that you go work in a restaurant, get yourself a job as a waiter, you know, near Belmont uh, and Arthur Avenue in the Italian section of the Bronx. It broke his heart. Now, meantime... There was a scout visiting from the Cleveland Indians who then walked down to him after the Yankee scout left and said, Kid, uh, we want to sign you up for the Cleveland Indians. He goes, No, I want to be a New York Yankee. I want to be just like Joe DiMaggio. He goes, Look, they're not going to sign you up. I like the fact that you could hit the ball a country mile. And then he became a Cleveland Indian. It wasn't until years later, towards the end of his career, he became a New York Yankee who fulfilled his dream. But imagine passing up Rocky Calavito, one of the greatest ball players of all time. Yeah, yeah. When DiMaggio was in the taxi cab in 1935, he hit 392. He almost led the league in hitting for the San Francisco Seals. And he went to New York, I think, and he was supposed to have dinner at his sister's house. And he got out of a taxi, and his knee suddenly snapped and went bang. So the Yankees, who were who were going to give twenty five thousand to him, you imagine that twenty five thousand for Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> Anyhow, in nineteen thirty six, he got out of the taxi. And the Yankees said they withdrew their offer. They said, uh-oh, uh-oh, he has a bad knee. Maybe we – he was the leading hitter in the San Francisco Seals. And Paul Cruchel, who was the Yankee scout, who found Lou Gehrig, by the way, but Cruchel said to, the, uh, to Barrow, who was the Yankee general manager, Ed Barrow, he said to him, I don't. I, I think you want to keep that offer on uh, going because the match is only twenty years old. The, the name will heal itself. He'll be the best ball player. Uh, you want to keep it. So all the other teams will do their offers, but the Yankees kept their offer, and that's how they got Joe DiMaggio in 1936. Well, let me uh, let me salute you. Uh, from the Ville, never ran, never will, Bernie. What a great historian on baseball. 
especially local baseball involving the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees and the New York Giants. That was phenomenal. By the way, just lived a few blocks from me. He was up uh, near Sutter, Belmont, uh, and uh, Osborne Street. I was down near Hegeman, uh, not far from the uh, Brownsville Boys Club. Boy, that guy. He had a lot of knowledge. We could have been kicking it for an hour or two. And what do we have that uh, Heckle and Jekyll, those two young guys who do that uh, sports uh, podcast, right? Nah, you put me and Bernie together, right? Old school. Man, he knew a lot about Phil Rizzuto. I really like Phil Rizzuto. Yeah, there was only one problem with Phil Rizzuto. It's like Frank Morano. He had alligator arms. So here it is. Uh, him and Yogi Berra had just been to an event in New Jersey, a promotion for the Yankees. And I think they uh, were in Branch Brook Park in the North Ward. And all the kids are coming up to them. Oh, can you sign this? Can you sign this, Mr. Berra? Can you sign this, Mr. Rizzuto? And Yogi goes, hey, let's buy the kids some ice cream. He goes, no, you buy them the ice cream, man. Tell them I got alligator arms. (laughs) Frank Morano won't acknowledge that he has alligator arms. All night long, this is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. despise them, I loathe them. Uh, If you're a true baseball fan, you can't say, oh, I like the Mets, I like the Yankees. And by the way, the reason I'm doing a Curtis Lee with Super Sports Spectacular here, which is unusual, for a full hour, I'm using it as an antiseptic to all the nonsense that so many of you were putting me through and others when you were talking about, oh, go, go, kickball. Football with a U, that fake phony fraudulent football, instead of American Smash Mouth football. So guess guess what? We're going to give you an infusion of America's sport. And by the way, does anybody happen to know where baseball was invented? Not that far away from our studio. In fact, it was mentioned uh, early on. I remember Mary, when she had that conversation with uh, Jersey Joe Piscopo, as she was following Frank Morano to the Borgata to shoot craps, she, like so many others, being bamboozled by him, huh? Huh? Where was baseball invented? It used to be our national pastime when I was growing up. Unfortunately, it's become too predictable, too slow. 
and it has not engaged a new generation. In fact, I find myself uh, nodding out in the games because of the lack of any fundamentals, hitting and running, bunting, all the basics. They just don't do it. Stealing a base. He used to have pepper on the sidelines. I don't remember if anybody remember. I'm sure that our friend uh, from Brownsville would have remembered pepper. And then they put up signs, stenciled signs, no pepper. That's why both teams would get out of the dugout before the start of the game after taking to the field and having uh, batting practice. And they would pay, play pepper, which was really great with hand-eye coordination as the team would do all kinds of tricks with the ball. It was Oh, it's great to watch. They need to do more of that. It was almost like a little bit of having the Harlem Globetrotters when they would warm up and they would do all kind of tricks with the ball. Uh, When they play Pepper, they'd be doing all kinds of tricks with the ball. It was great. And then all of a sudden they banned it. They outlawed it. Not good. Anyway, let's go to the phones. And it's Ray in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ray. Yes, uh, I wanted to make a point about Judge, but first, uh, that old-timer, he should know there was one player that actually pitched back-to-back no-hitters. Do you know who that was, Curtis? Mm, uh, was that Joe Nuxall? Nope. Uh, you'll have to uh, drop it on me. Go ahead. I think his name was Johnny Vandermeer or Vandermeer. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's Cincinnati. right. He had back-to-back no-hitters. Yeah, he's only guy to do that that is correct Absolutely. but hey we got it we got to give the old time a slack boy he yeah. was he was like yeah, an, he was good. an encyclopedia britannica he was like uh he was kicking it yeah he was knowledge no doubt yes about judge now you keep saying about the, him getting booed in the playoffs he's a big boy he knows he wasn't performing and he knows new york he can handle new york and he him stanton they know in New York, if you don't perform, you're going to get booed, you know? So I don't think that's going to come into his decision to where he signs. Well, I will tell you down. this. Uh, uh, the Yankees' offer at this point on the table is $300 million. Remember, he had walked away from, I think, $212 million before the season started uh, and said, no, 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 I'll go free agent. Uh, and there's a danger here. The Dodgers have met with him. The Giants have met with him. There may be a last-minute entry. Um uh, he's, you know, it's like he was born in California. He's from the Bay Area. He loves the Bay Area. Uh, he's a fan of uh, Barry Bonds. They had Barry Bonds lobbying him. And I'm just uh, a little concerned, a little concerned yeah. that he may want to return to his roots. You know, in that ballpark, San Francisco, it's a beautiful ballpark right downtown. It's not like the old one uh, where Willie Mays played with Willie McCovey. Yeah. Uh, candlestick. That yeah, was a horrible stadium, you know. Yeah, candlestick. Yeah, Hunters Point. They, uh, the, they call the, it. the coldest winter I ever spent was the summer in uh, San Francisco. They used to say something like that. Yeah, the wind would so blow. Cold. It was Hunters Point. It was like in the middle of nowhere. But this stadium is right downtown, right on the water. Do you realize how many uh, home runs Judge would hit in that stadium that would go into the bay? Oh, yeah, he would definitely feast over there. He he may go there, but I, you know, they're probably offering more years, and I'm concerned about that, him breaking down at the end. But if Judge leaves, we're just going to have to fill the holes. That's all. I'll, I'll, 
I'll see you later, Curtis. You got it. Appreciate that uh, constructive criticism and a uh, high five to our uh, friend out there, originally from Osborne, Belmont, and Sutter. Not far from where I lived on Osborne and Hegeman. From the Ville, never ran, never will. Boy, he told a lot of stories. Going to the theater, I guess the Lowy's up there near Zion Square where East New York Avenue meets Rockaway, where Brownsville meets Crown Heights meets Bedside, really. No, 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 no. Uh, let me correct myself geographically. Meets East New York, Brownsville meets Crown Heights. You see, I had to correct myself there, Broadway Bill Leo's getting a little too full of myself there. You know, Frank Morano's the kind of wise guy, right? He would immediately interject. Oh, no, 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 no. Shut up. Let me finish, huh? Nattering guy. By the way, we still don't know where he is. We don't know when he's coming back. You know, I don't mind eating up his real estate and doing all of his shifts because, you know me, the more the better. No one's heard from him. No post, right? This guy is always prolifically posting. He goes to Denny's. He gets the Grand Slam. He posts it on his Facebook in the morning. You know, he has a few martinis. He posts it. He hasn't made any posts. Very unusual. Very unusual. Let's go to Edward calling from St. James. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Hello, sir. Good morning. Uh, I was thinking about my grandfather over listening to the gentleman calling about or listening to old baseball. And he used to be a, um, a boxer in the old Madison Square Garden, and he was welterweight. And I always wanted to look up his record. And I worked in the city at one point, and I, I managed to run into his uh, Olympic boxing coach. And he said, oh, yeah, there's a website. You know, you go here and this and that, look it up. I, there was two that had this, he had the same name as me. And, uh, the records weren't that good, you know, all right, welterweight. But he taught me how to box, you know, you, you punch through the person, you know. But um, he used to tell me back in the day, baseball was a blue-collar sport. You know, it was for the poor guy. He'd come home, maybe he'd crack a, a, a beverage of his choice, and he'd sit down and he'd listen to the radio. Um, you know, I took a lot to heart about the simple things in life. And um, one of the better things in life is baseball. And I was looking at it before with rubber bands on it, you know, hoping for the season. And pre, pre-COVID, I used to chase the um, my Yank, our, our Yankees around um, Florida uh, for uh, spring training. Sure. And um, one of the best um, teams I almost went to see was uh, I'm going out to see my daughter in um, the Midwest. I'll probably be calling you from, um, from there. But um, uh, she's a sweet kid. I'm trying to raise her right when I can. But um, the, the Cubs and the um, the Cardinals, big rivalry, you know. But baseball is my sport, man. And, you know, back before well, gambling back in the day, you know, it was all like. Yeah, no, know. no, no. The gambling uh, has impacted not just baseball, but all sports. In yeah, fact, I mean, in a few hours, I'll be talking about how now they have advertisements uh, plastered on college campuses, just like they got undergraduates to take credit cards and then they they just ended up zeroing themselves out it was like a, 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 a shakedown that's really what it was they're doing the same thing now with the gambling apps on college campuses and college campuses are welcoming them because these apps are paying all kinds of money to the college and it's the kids 
who are going to end up, unfortunately, crashing and burning fiscally. Let's go to Larry, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Frank Morano, I have to tell you, uh, once once a week, this guy um, lowers himself, lowers himself to allow us to ask him anything. You can ask me just for one hour. You can ask me anything, but never ask me any questions after that. That's how important I am. That's how special I am. Well, you know what? I've asked him questions before. I recently asked him a question. This is how 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 wacky this guy is. This is crazy. I asked him if William Shatner, who he idolizes, and I I, I like William Shatner, okay, a ninety plus year old man now. I asked him, would you, if he called you and asked, can I stay in your house for three weeks, not two days, three weeks, Curtis? And his reaction was, are you crazy? Of course. And he hung up. He was going to allow a man, a 90-plus-year-old man, you don't know if if, if he if he eats spaghetti and meatballs with his hands. If he walks around <laughs> in it with it, it is it is, is t shirt and socks. But right away, of course, yes, of course. With my with my wife, with my baby. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There's no doubt you're right. First of all, I met Captain Kirk one time uh, at a convention site in Philadelphia. The guy was so pompous, so arrogant, so erudite, and he had the worst rug on his head I've ever seen. I would have shot that rug. It probably is a raccoon or a squirrel. I know. But to Frank, he's God. You know, there's, there's God and then there's Captain Kirk. Oh, my God. Oh, Carmine, please, somebody, somebody remove Carmine from the premises. Please, please, please. You can't have a 90-plus-year-old woman. Didn't he, did, did some woman die in a pool in his estate years ago? His wife. He, he probably pushed her into the pool. <laughs> but, but, yes, let's, let's bring him in for three weeks. I love Frank. <laughs> I love, I love William Shatner. This is terrific. Well, apparently, apparently, Larry, uh, Shatner, okay, so the wife uh, perishes in the pool. The next day, Shatner is somewhere else, I think, in California. And he comes out, he does the press conference, right? You know, he says very brief remarks. He walks back, and then he sees the paper that's in the alleyway, right? The newsboy, the newsboy must have delivered the paper. He bends yeah. over, he picks it up, he starts reading the newspaper. <laughs> like that's the last thing in the world you'd be doing if your wife had just been killed. Yeah, I know, I know. Look, 
Hey, Curtis. look, I'm telling you, you know, this is the anniversary this past week of uh, actress Natalie Wood drowning. I think it was 1981. You know, she was on that uh, yacht off uh, Catalina Island. And uh, Christopher Walken was on there. I don't know what the hell he was doing on there, but uh, he was doing a movie with her. And then she had her husband uh, on at the time. And apparently they got into a fight. Uh, and then all of a sudden she ended up going over the side. And you say to yourself, my God, they still haven't resolved that. Still. And I would tell you, I would tell you, Larry, I think if you follow that pompous, arrogant SOB, Captain Kirk, I think eventually if you took his DNA and you matched it to whatever was left of his wife's uh, skeletal uh, features, I think all of a sudden we would know what happened to his wife. Ah, just a premonition. Just a premonition. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Oh, yeah, that's the fight song for the Georgia Bulldogs undefeated. Probably going to go on to a national championship like they did when Herschel Walker played. He won the Heisman Trophy there in a different year, but uh, later on in a few hours. Boy, we're going to be touching on a lot of subjects that we didn't get to uh, in this uh, other side of midnight, the best side of midnight. I felt we would just go to callers and give them an opportunity to speak since I got such criticism in the substitution for Frank Morano Saturday morning from 1 to 5 when I took only three calls and I realized, wow. I need to catch up fast. And that's exactly what we've done until the break of dawn. And many of you have uh, stuck it out, as I would hope you always do. And uh, we're going to be getting deep into uh, Barack Obama coming down to Georgia with Ray uh, Red Clay between his toes, coming to the aid of uh, Reverend Warlock, a.k.a. Warnock. Uh, Joe Biden uh, has been told, don't bother coming down here, as has Donald Trump by Team Herschel Walker. And he's had a panoply of different Republicans campaigning at his beck and call. I'm going to play you cuts in a few hours that are going to rock your world. You're going to say, I don't know who's, who's weirder when they're talking. Herschel Walker, who says I'm just a country boy, or Reverend Warnock, who... Uh, you would think pearls of wisdom would be dripping from his lips, but he's talking about chopping off snakes' heads. Oh, it's really good stuff. You know, you can say it's a southern thing, but I've got it exclusively here on WABC. Remember, I come back 3 to 5, and I'll hit you with everything that's been happening all day long. Then uh, I return 9 o'clock to 11, same and I'll get you uh, up to speed on the travels of the swagger man with no plan. Now, the soccer man with no plan, Eric Adams. And then it's 11 to 12, the animal welfare hour. The most uh, interesting uh, and most listened to and most interactive of all the hours that I do on WABC with my gorgeous wife, Nancy, uh, animal rescuer, rescuer par excellence. And then we got to figure out, Broadway Bill Lee and uh, Avery, where the hell is Frank Morano?
I may have to do another four hours after that, after Dominic Carter. Hey, I'm good to go. Problem is, you remember the old-timer from uh, Brownsville, never ran, never will, said that the scout who found Phil Rizzuto was the same scout who found Lou Gehrig right out in Washington State before he came to Columbia University. And I always tell Frank and everybody else here at WABC, the story of Wally Pipp, who all of a sudden was playing well for the Yankees. He wasn't a superstar, but he uh, certainly wasn't a poop putt. Held his own. And he had a migraine headache. And he told the manager, I'm not going to be able to come today. Is it okay? And the manager said, not a problem. I got this kid from Washington State, Columbia University, a guy named uh, Garrick. He'll play today. Don't worry. Come back tomorrow, uh, Wally, it'll be okay. Guess what? Lou Gehrig played every day thereafter. That's how he became the Iron Man. Telling you, everybody here at WABC, you're a slacker. You're a deadbeat. You're suddenly taking time off. Oh, I need a mental health day, a mental health day. Okay. Take that mental health day. I'll eat eat up the real estate. Let's go to Ronnie and Rockaway. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronnie. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Katsimatidis, of course, bought a baseball team in Staten Island uh, only last year. Uh, is it making money or losing money? That I don't know. Uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks, so it revived baseball in Staten Island because uh, the stadium had been dark for a few years. Uh, the one thing they had that nobody else in Major League Baseball at any level had was a female that they brought in from California. Uh, I uh, told John what my opinion is. You should have her playing every day. She was a pitcher. She played the outfield. She played the infield. For whatever reason, the coach and the guy running the team were just sparingly playing her a big waste. In fact, what really uh, got my attention when I was a kid, I was reading up on the barnstorming that the Yankees would do in the offseason, especially uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. You know, they travel on a train and they play teams all over the country. And wherever they played, naturally, the place would be packed. And I even told John Katsimatidis, I'd say, you know, there was a woman uh, named Jackie Mitchell in Chattanooga. I think she was only 18 at that time. She was playing on the Chattanooga uh, minor league team. And she ended up striking out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. She she was 18 years old in 1931. The whole world marveled at that. I said, hey, John, you got got the the, the diamond in the rough. I told the manager, why aren't you playing it? Well, you know, hey, general manager, why aren't you playing it, man? This, This woman should be playing every day. This is the first woman. To play at any level of professional baseball. Nice woman, too. And I had uh, watched her playing softball on ESPN. Great athlete. Met her down on the Ferry Hawks uh, field. Hopefully, she'll come back for next year. And hopefully, they'll make me the manager and a general manager. And I'll tell her, you're pitching, you're playing first, you play third. You'll play every position, all nine innings, every game. And they'll have everybody in the stands. Man, I know how to pack up a stadium, that's for sure.